dum dum da dum 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 for Wednesday, August the 1st, 2007. This is a special episode of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where Deathly Hallows never ends. Weekly. I'm Ryan, and this is Jen, and she's going to introduce everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, let's go here. I know Richard's here, and Melinda, and Kate, and Dobby. Dobby's not here. Dobby left. Dobby and was never here. Jules is here. Jules is here. And who else is here? Well, Dobby was never here. Um, you said Dobby was here. I didn't make that up. Okay, I'm Ryan, and I'm here with every single member of the Potherfic Weekly Forum. Kate's here, Richard from the forum's here, Jen's here, Jules is here, Melinda's here, and Tina is here. Basically, we are all Harry Potter fans. We have just read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and we are all having a conversation about it in a broom closet, is basically what you have here this week. <laughs> Let's get started. Uh, really fast, just tell us your experience getting the... Uh, Kate, why don't you start? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, so I got to board at like 12 in the afternoon and I got my little wristband and then I sat around crying listening to wizard rock crying crying with my friend and then the activity started and I was so bummed out from all the crying that I wasn't even participating and then my friend got a spoilers text at 10 yeah yeah she got it and I happened to be looking at her phone because we were like crying at this point and it said who died so it said that Snape died and that Voldemort died and that Harry dies and came back. It was they were kind oh of right. Oh my gosh! So we threw the phone across the store <laughs> and then <laughs> we threw the phone and then and then we cried hysterically and then I went and I got the phone and I called them with my phone and they didn't answer. So that was lame. But they called me back. But they didn't say anything. 
And then they sent me a text five times, the same text, and they were just laughing. Yeah, and then I called them the next day, but that that was pre- basically it. When the books came out, I cried some more, and when I bought it, I thought I was going to pass out. And <laughs> Did it spoil the reading experience for you, or would you have No, cried? because... Because, like, Snape and Voldemort dying didn't really... I wasn't really, you know, like, not expecting that. And then I figured they were lying about Harry. So I was just, like, in denial. Plus, you just read the seventh Horcrux, and you figured, how could that possibly happen again? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, that's not going to happen. No. Melinda, it was freaky. (laughs) There were so many things, Melinda, that you got close to right. It was freakish. It was so freaky. I was As I bouncing read, I was in my chair. I wish Mac were here. I'm dying to know Mac's reaction because <laughs> when I was reading it, I couldn't, like, there were so many things that were so emotional, but they were the same that I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. But half the time I was reading I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. But then I was, like, upset that it was really happening. But then I kept thinking I knew it was going to happen, but I don't really know what's going to happen. It was so funny. I kept having to check the cover. I was like, what book am I reading? <laughs> well, right. it was funny, too, because, like, in Melinda, not to make light of it, but obviously you had the problem where someone stole the Seventh Horcrux and passed it off as Deathly Hallows. You got lines of dialogue perfect. I know it. Like, I know it. it. <laughs> I couldn't. Whenever he said, you are the Seventh Horcrux, that whole line, I was, I think my heart stopped. I really do. You're like, they're going to sue me. They're going to think I had a copy of the book. <laughs> I mean, this was written two years ago, so I didn't. <laughs> well, I wouldn't think it would be Sue Melinda. I would think it'd be the other way around. Melinda's in a Sue Joe rolling for copyright. Yeah, Sue Joe rolling. Wow, if you could just get a million out of it, heck. No, I just, I was so, like, even down to, like, the color of the bridesmaid's dresses. Yeah, but she said that. Yeah. She said that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's depressing. I was, I was like, oh, my God. Little things that even I didn't notice at the time, but, like, I got, I took George's leg off, but instead he lost an ear. So it was, you know, little things like that. I was like, yeah, I did that, didn't I? Well, I was just going to say, I ended up spending the evening with my sister. It was kind of a tradition. And we went and um, we <laughs> we actually wanted to go somewhere where it wasn't very, very busy. And we found out that the local Walmart was having a Harry Potter party. And we went to the local Walmart, like in Azel, which is kind of a, a podunk town. And so literally, so my sister and I went around Walmart and like basically got all kinds of camping equipment. <laughs> And, like, lawn chairs and, like, an ice cooler and, like, all these things. And we sat out and we, like, we got magazines off the rack. Tailgated to the Harry Potter release. (laughs) We, like, camped out in front of the layaway section because that's where they're handing out the book. And we were first. Like, we got there at, like, six. And, like, we had, like, we bought, like, a 24-pack of Dr. Pepper's. everybody would come by we would like give them a towel and a coke that we that we borrowed from walmart and um it was so funny and like walmart kept coming and taking pictures of us so we were in the the local newspaper this morning (laughs) and us and like literally because i don't know if any of y'all seen the walmart movie where she goes and she lives in walmart basically we did that and i was so shocked that walmart let us like we didn't ask for permission but they didn't tell us we couldn't do it you know so it was so much fun so we went around walmart literally and like set up a tent and stuff it was so funny now did you say i'm jen from potterfic weekly perhaps you've heard of me i wore a potterfic weekly shirt instead of my sister and like we were dressed up 
And like, so we're like the only people in little dress-up outfits at Walmart. Aren't you always the only person in the group dressed up, though? No, really not. Like, we went to the movie, and like everyone was. It was huge, deal. But it was so fun, and they gave us like wristbands, and we got the deluxe edition because they only had three copies. Me and my sister got two of them. In the whole store, we were so excited. Tina, you're up. Well, I was glad that I made it through spoiler-free. Mm-hmm. But at about 11.55, you know, everyone's starting to count down, and everyone's starting to chant and the whole thing. These three... Oh, God. ...whatevers come running through the parking lot, screaming, and all I heard was someone dies or something. But I was prepared. I, didn't, I had my iPod in all night. And as soon as I saw them coming through the parking lot, I just totally cranked it up <laughs> and put my hand over my ears. And I was just, you know, closing my eyes and like, no, no, no. And I opened my eyes and my daughter's like, Mom, you're the best dorky mom ever. <laughs> I was so desperate not to be spoiled for this that I, I was in my boss's office. I, I posted this in the forum. It was like Wednesday or Thursday. I think it was Wednesday. And I had a travel mug in my hand of, like, boiling hot coffee. And he looks at me, and he, and he says, you know, well, what's new? I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, make it to, to Saturday without being spoiled in the new Harry Potter book. You know, the spoiler's out there. He looks up at me, he's like, oh, yeah, I heard that. Harry Potter's dead. And I look at him, I'm like, what? He's like, he dies. And I look at him, I'm like, what, what do you mean, you guys? And his eye, he looks, like, all concerned now. He's like, I, I thought you knew. And I'm like, I will scald you with the coffee in this travel mug if you just ruined it. And he looks at me and he starts laughing. He's like, I was making a joke about Spock from Star Trek. And I'm like shaking. I'm like, never do that. So I thought I was spoiled, but it turns out, you know, Spock dies in Star Trek 2. My husband really isn't a big Potter fan. He'll go to the movies because I like it, but that's about it. Yep. But he heard a spoiler early in the week that Harry commits suicide. And, but, but he didn't tell me that he heard this spoiler. But all week he, he was, and as I'm reading the book, he's going, how's it going? Is it go-? Yeah. And he was just acting very strange. He was afraid of what I was going to do when I got to that. <laughs> he thought Harry was going to kill himself? In a sense, I think it might have been the sacrificed himself kind of thing. Somebody put it as he killed himself. But that was the spoiler. Oh my God. So he was waiting to see how, it, and then at the end when I was, delighted obviously he's like he goes oh i i heard something wrong there <laughs> but he was like on tender hooks all week waiting to see what i was gonna do okay now everyone heard the spoiler uh gabriel moving sharp objects from the roof <laughs> now did everyone did everyone hear the spoiler um the guy supposedly hacked into bloomsbury's computer and stole oh, a copy i'm still sighing oh, yes. about that that's well, not true well, here's the thing. There's, there's, so two characters apparently die, you know, in this, and he wanted to tell the world so no one would read this awful, awful book. So I heard that, and I, and I, and I, you know, I shut, I shut the information off. I didn't want to know it. I'm on the phone with Jen, and her husband screams in the background, "Yeah, yeah, that Gabriel guy. Yeah, he says Hagrid and Hermione are gonna die. Yeah, yeah, yeah." And Jennifer, her heart stops. And I'm, and I'm like, I and like I start freaking out. I didn't want to know that. Like I, I don't think I talked to Jen for like a day, even though she had nothing to do with it. And I start reading the book, and Hagrid falls off the bike onto the. Oh my god! And, falls it. and then Hermione's being tortured, and all I can think of is yes, Jen. What did you do? <laughs> you should have seen me. I was. 
so sure that it was true. And I was like, when Hagrid's like falling off, I was like crying. <laughs> when Hagrid got taken by the spiders, I'm bawling. Oh my God. So it, was bad. It, it turns out it was nothing. So, but you know, between that and between Harry dying and it, it, it just wasn't a good situation. Uh, before we jump into the story, does anyone else have a story they want to share? Ours was lame. You know, they made this big deal about all the stuff that they were going to do. And the only cool thing was uh, speaking with snakes. They had this ginormous, um, like, ball python there. And they kind of did some... Where was this in, uh, in College Station. Okay. It was, it was lame. It was, much, it was much better for Half-Blood Prince than this one. So basically you're saying that when you were attacked by squirrels in the park, that was actually more exciting. That was than going way more there. exciting than the, yeah, <laughs> okay. than waiting around for the Harry Potter book. In case you haven't heard the story, Jules was attacked by squirrels and she fought them off with a stick and they took the stick away from her. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a park with my kids. We were having a picnic. People are stupid and fed them and they kind of decided that I would feed them and I wouldn't do it. And so they kept kind of coming at me. Wow. I threw, I threw like a little stick at it and it caught it and... <laughs> and God, Peter wasn't there. I have a question. Like, this is like role reversal. Who else could picture Jen being late for the podcast because there's like a troop of angry squirrels outside of her house? <laughs> because their like mother got run over by a runaway Camry a few weeks ago. They randomly pulled out of the drive. <laughs> No, Ryan, this makes me think of when you killed Bambi, but seriously, like a few months ago, I accidentally ran over a squirrel. Like, it was alive, but, like, I was watching it go across the road going, no, 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 like, slamming on my brakes, like, trying to go in the ditch, and, like, I hit it, and it made, like, this awful, like, crunch noise, and literally, I pulled over and, like, burst into tears and, like, got on the phone and called 911. It was the most awful, horrible experience. Like, my husband had to come and pick me up. Like, I was so emotionally distraught that I ran over this Jen, what do you think the 911 people were going to do? I don't know. Call animal control. And I don't know. It was. I didn't know what you do. I never hit anything before like that. I hit a raccoon once and, and, and completely lost it. Okay, good. I'm not alone. Yeah, I like lost it. hit a big it. deer great. once. I dro- no, I was just thinking that. I drove over a deer with my car. <laughs> Why is that it's funny all of a sudden? I drove over fast. a deer doing 60 miles an hour. And Jen's like, ha ha, funny. She drives over a squirrel and she needs therapy. <laughs> it's because every time I think of someone hitting a deer, I think of that stupid scene from Cabin Fever, where he like runs into that elk and like the the legs are like coming through the windshield, and it's just very funny to me. I am the saddest part is that you had to pay for it. That's what makes me so sad. Well, the deer didn't have insurance. <laughs> if they made me pay for that squirrel, I would have the tears would have dried up quickly. Well, half of my fender ended up in the deer. That's what I had to pay for. <laughs> Funny moment, though, when I drove over the deer, I called, you know, the, the Massachusetts State Police, and they said, do we need to send to the ambulance? And I said, no, I think I killed it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. All right. Everyone have their books out? Yes, sir. I go get it. <laughs> Jen's like, what? I'll be right back. Ow, my earphones. I-, oh. <laughs> I was reading it when the Skype call came through. Not for the first time. You finished it, obviously, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm almost done the second time. I'm like, I'm so sorry. We spoiled the ending for you. No! How could you? So we start out at Malfoy Manor. I didn't expect this chapter to start off, actually, or the book, I should say, from Snape's perspective. For some reason, I was expecting it to go back to the way it was in the earlier books and have it be, you know, Harry's perspective right from the beginning. Although, I'm not sure why I thought that. I don't know. Book one didn't start 
from Harry's perspective, obviously, it was kind of not Harry's and then his. So I kind of liked how this one ended the same. Yeah, That's true too. me too. Yeah, plus in the last book, too, we had um, we had the prime minister. The other minister. Yeah, the, the, the other, other minister. The other ministers. That's true. Yeah, so the much- first few were from in the last book, but this was just, just one and then into the story. So I, I, I kind of liked that this was the same as that. I will say the one thing that in just in the first chapter, I was not disappointed in, but they made a big deal of, you know, we're going into um, Malfoy Manor and we're at, you know, Voldemort's apparently staff meeting. And I'm picturing like coffee and donuts, like, you know, on the credenza behind them. And, oh, I was uh, thinking it was like a in the shape of skulls and serpents up on the spinning up on the thing up there. Yeah, that's true too. I, I, I don't know. It's just some reason I was just, I just found it amusing that he has a staff meeting around a table. I don't know why I thought that was funny. I just <laughs> like, I don't see him holding like, like I'm picturing him with his little, like, you know, leather bound binder, like 10 AM meeting with death. There's 1130 photo op. I don't know. It's just, that just amused me <laughs> for some reason. I think I was just so excited that we actually get to see Malfoy Manor. Like, I, I don't think we've seen it before, have we? Well, we haven't <laughs> seen it before. Yeah. I mean, we've heard of it. Yeah, Lu- Lucius's giant lawn flamingo is right outside, which is not what I expected. <laughs> well, you know, like, that thing, I kept thinking it was going to have this big symbolic meaning or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a random peacock. There's like a whole, it was, yeah, it's like this peacock. There's like this big, like gorgeous picture of it in the deluxe edition. Like I don't know if y'all if y'all seen that. No, I haven't seen it. But there is this that? big. Gorgeous, it's on the very first. It's before the chapter begins. Oh, okay. But that is pretty kind of like a lawn flamingo. I mean, they're they're pretty big. Your eye goes right to it. They have no meaning. I mean, they're just there. So no, it's, it's really funny. funny. <laughs> if you think about Malfoy, you know, Lucius and Narcissa from like the second book and the fourth book, they're these very, you know, they pass themselves off as these very wealthy, cultured, reserved people who like, you know, they speak with like tremendous, you know, clout and all that stuff. You never really picture them like you know, like almost like the white trash of the neighborhood with like the lawn flamingos and like, it just, it just it amuses me so much just with like the visual. They've got this like tacky house and they're, you know, very scared and they're like walking, like almost like humped over, you know, cause they're so afraid of Voldemort. I just thought it was a really, um, it, 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 it made me laugh going into it. But the one thing I was going to say, and I'm not sure if anyone else agrees on this, you know, a big deal was made of there's someone floating above the table. And but they don't tell you who it is. They don't tell you who it is, and that makes you think. You're like, is it, you know, McGonagall? Is it? Well, I guess here's my only complaint about it. It was, it was no one that we knew before. Am I right about that? I don't think we ever knew who the Muggle Studies teacher was. No. Yeah. So it, it was. It almost reminded. It was like a Star Trek episode, like the red shirt guy of the week. It was just. It, it was someone completely new, and I just thought that you know, in the last book. You know, have it be Professor Sinastra, or have it be someone that we knew before and would recognize and make it. You no, know. I liked that it was someone we didn't really know because it it threw like I was waiting for it. You know, I was waiting for it to be to someone I knew, and I'm like, you know, trying yeah, to guess who, who could be who could be, and then it wasn't. So I kind of let my guard up a little. So when Chapter Four comes, it, it threw me that it happened so fast. I was still glad that it wasn't someone that we knew. I was like, oh, good, it's a stranger. Like, isn't that awful? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, she Just can die bit. and be eaten by the snake now. I really, I have no thoughts on the subject. Yeah, it's sad, but it's not, it's not as sad as it could have been. Like, if it was McGonagall or something. Yeah, and that was actually a funny thing. Was anyone wondering where McGonagall was until the end of this book? Yeah, I was wondering why she wasn't headmistress. Well, because Snape... Well, because Voldemort wasn't going to make McGonagall headmistress. Yeah. Well, it made sense, but, you know, she was deputy headmistress, so it was surprised me. 
Well, the the, the the Dark Lord took over, so he's probably going to want his own people for, you know, coveted slots. I just thought it was funny that we had, like, no contact with her at all. She wasn't at, like, order meetings. She, like, she wasn't mentioned at all until the end. I think it was because of the fact that you know, Voldemort had pretty much taken over the school by putting, you know, Snape as headmaster and, you know, all these various Death Eaters and teaching positions that the teachers are probably staying there to protect the students. Yeah, she was like the last line of defense for the students. Exactly. And she may not have been able to leave either, you know? I mean, she, it was probably hard for her to get no, out No, didn't of it say something about that? Either, either, either stay there and teach or go to Azkaban. That was the choice yeah. they were given. I missed that one no, line, but... But here's a question. Who thought, like, we've had, you know, th- this is just an overarching, um, I'm not going to say it was a concern or a problem, but it was just something that I went, huh, and I know Danielle did too because she was sitting three feet to my left. Um, you know, when, you, <laughs> when, when, okay, the Death Eaters take over, and Melinda, this happens, you know, and, and you, you've written about this too. You know, the Death Eaters take over, the Ministry has fallen, you know, Voldemort is in power, you know, the Death Eaters are taking over. You know, they search the borough and they, but they leave everyone behind and they don't, you know, they don't kill people and they don't, you know, they, they, they take over Hogwarts and they put Death Eaters in charge, but they leave McGonagall and they leave, you know, Flitwick and they leave, you know, the, the Aurors are still in charge. It's referenced later on that, you know, Dawlish goes to pick up Neville's grandmother and she, you know, beats the ever living crap out of him. Like, like it, it, that, that just surprised me that, you know, this is more of like a Voldemort, like, you know, Lay down your arms, and we should all live in peace, guy. That's just, like I would have expected. Well, I don't think that he live in peace, but I think he thought McGonagall couldn't do anything. She wasn't a Muggleborn, so he didn't want to kill her. He he wanted to keep the pure plus pure two and a half he, bloodlines. Plus, she was under Snape, and he had Death Eaters there. He thought she's she's under control. He couldn't kill everybody. Plus, too, from you know public opinion standpoint, if he had replaced all of the teachers with Death Eaters and whatnot, then there wouldn't have been that um, uh, you know that perception in the public that they weren't sure. Like the you know the point is made that why didn't Voldemort make himself prime minister, you know minister for magic? Well, because this way people are fearful. They don't know if you know the minister of magic is a Death Eater or not, and so it's the fear thing. Whereas if he had done that, there would probably have been, like, open rebellion. That's true, too. And one other thing to think about is because Voldemort has a mission for most of the book, he's trying to find the Elder Wand, and then he's checking all of his horcruxes, you get the sense that Voldemort's very distracted. Because, you know, near the end of the book, we find out that, um, you know, Voldemort's going to do away with the house, he wants to be a Slytherin, you know, he's going to recruit people as Death Eaters. And, you know, you, you, you get the sense he has this, you know, bold vision for the for the wizarding world and he wants to change. You get the sense that, he, like, all that was on hold for a few months, maybe while he was finding the Elder Wand and taking care of his horcruxes. So maybe if he was less distracted earlier on, he would have made, like, sweeping changes and maybe it was kind of like the Death Eaters were maintaining the status quo for a while. I don't know. But- My big thought when I was reading this one was there were two sets of information on when Harry was going to be moved. Snape had one set and then one of the other Death Eaters had conflicting and I kept thinking who is still Snape's contact in the Order? Either if he really is bad, then we've got a spy in the Order and if he really is good, then we've got someone in the Order who knows that he's good. That was what was going through my mind through that whole first chapter is who's Snape still in contact with. I really like the way she handled that though. Did you? I, I I really liked the the symmetry of who actually you know leaked the information. I thought that was, I thought that was just a really good way to do it to have it be Hagrid screwing up again. 
and I like that Harry got that and some other people got that, but they really didn't mention it. You know, Harry just, you know, acknowledged it without saying it to protect Hagrid. I, I wasn't under the impression that Hagrid had actually... Yeah, no, that wasn't the impression I had either. I thought Dumbledore was the one that was yeah, telling Yeah, Harry thought it might be Hagrid because that had happened in the past, but didn't Snape actually um, um, Imperial Mungungus and put... Oh, that's yeah, right. At the, at the end, you so find no that one out. told Snape. Snape told them. You're oh, move that's Harry this right. Night. That's right. At the end, that comes out. But when you're actually reading the chapter, when they you get think, to, right? Yeah, when you get to the bar, right. I love the way. You know, Fleur you know, is the one that suspects Hagrid, right. and, and Harry gets it. Yeah, Harry yeah. gets it too. And I just reading through it, I thought it was really cool that even if it wasn't what really happened, that Harry recognized it and didn't suspect Hagrid, and he just let it go. And Hagrid, I'm wondering actually with Hagrid crying, if he actually thought if Hagrid thought he did it. <laughs> and was like, I was drunk the other night. Maybe I maybe I did mention I don't remember. it. <laughs> Basically, you know, we, we need to save Harry. So you you put Harry with Hagrid, who means very well. But as we saw from this, you know, like, Harry's about to get, like, you know, flung from the motorcycle, and Hagrid's like, I'll take care of it, and, like, completely severs Harry's cart from the side of the bike, and he goes... Well, that was another, like, Peter Pettigrew. You never expected him to be the one of the secret keeper, because he was the least obvious choice. And then that fell apart, but then Hagrid, I think, is the least obvious choice, and they did it again anyway. I remember when they, like, were... I know we're skipping, like, the whole, like, naked Harry's scene... But um, <laughs> sorry, Jen. The, 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 the important scene of this book, and and I think that it deserves talking about. But um, but I was gonna say when they chose everyone to go, like I didn't understand why Harry, the boy that they're actually trying to protect, they put with the one who's not supposed to do magic. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's big, but when has Hagrid shown you know exceptional magical protection? ever. He has a fluffy pink umbrella that he will use to defend. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's well, like carrying like an animal or something. In it. To be fair, Hagrid and Harry are the very first ones to make it back from the borough, despite everything that happened to them. They're the first ones that make it back. That's true. Well, that's, yeah, but it's really good and really bad, I thought, planning on Joe's part and as moody as a general. Like, it's hard to, you know, defer between them because they're one and the same, I guess, but yeah, I don't know. I always thought that Harry would go with Moody or, you know, one of the trained... Well, that's what they thought, well, that's too. That's what Voldemort thought, too. <laughs> and, that's why, and so they shot Moody that's first, true. so... That's true. And, and that's why it ended up being good, but my initial reaction was like, what? This is a bad idea. <laughs> well, it worked, out, it worked out very well. And these, you know, Plus, it needed to be Hagrid, because that's how Hagrid got, Hagrid, Harry got to Privet Drive, so that's had, had to be how he left again, too. Nice yeah, on that motorcycle on the bike with, Hagrid. with yeah. Hagrid, and then they got naked. Hmm. <laughs> when did they get naked? Well, this early? No, on? we need chapter two before we. We're not naked yet. We, chapter two. Can I just make uh, sure? Like, there, there is a point in the story where Harry takes his clothes off and he's going to get Gryffindor's sword. All I could picture was Jen is going to love this part of the movie. <laughs> Dude, I got my wild wish in chapter two. <laughs> I was just shocked at how humiliated the Malfoys were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was almost just, out of character. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I expected Lucius to be more, you know, like Bellatrix, standing up to Voldemort, and you know, I've been your your supporter, and and he just kind of sat there like a beaten dog. Well, didn't even I think it was Dumbledore that said, you know, Lucius was in Azkaban in Book Six, and that 
if he had any kind of sense of that, he's probably glad that he's there and away from the Voldemort's wrath. Yeah, because he, he basically gave away one of Voldemort's horcruxes to Harry, which he wasn't supposed to do. You, you can tell that Voldemort had problems with him and suspected him for, for basically betraying Voldemort after his first fall and not maintaining his allegiance like the Lestranges did. And if you think about it, basically sending Draco to kill Dumbledore was meant to be punishment for Lucius. Right. And Draco lived, which probably pissed off Voldemort even more. So, I mean, think of of Lucius like this. He's cocky. He's, like I said before, he's that guy that just exudes, you know, control. And when he doesn't have any resources behind him and Voldemort's turned his back on him and he doesn't have anything he can hold over people, he's kind of like his son. Like, think of how cocky Draco is, but then scare him a little bit and he's a, he's a sniveling little weasel. I mean, you can actually see this. Yeah, you can... I, it, I'm sure that I'm sure that like it, it, Lucius really when he got out of prison, I bet he laid into Draco pretty well for not um, doing his task and making them fall out of favor with the Dark Lord. You know, just think how different the seventh book would be with the Malfoys had Draco succeeded in killing Dumbledore. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it changes the entire family. I think there's a, another dynamic to that whole thing, though. Um, I hate to go back to it, but Lucius got knocked down a few pegs when he failed in the prophecy scene. I think the reason that um, he actually sent Draco to try and kill Dumbledore is that I think the Elder Wand thing was kind of coming in there. And he could still use Lucius as a viable lieutenant as opposed to having to kill Draco to get the wand from him as, you know, to kill him, you know, Lucius. So uh, I think it's all part of the plan. That makes any sense. So. Did Voldemort understand that Draco was involved in the Elder Wand at that point, though? So that's really so. up in the air there. So. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't think he understood that because I think he just assumed that Snape took the wand from Dumbledore, and if it, if that is the Elder Wand, then Snape may be the one. Or to even take that back, I don't even think he got that yet. I think he just thought he would take the the wand from Dumbledore's grave, and then he would vanquish yeah, Dumbledore. As long as he had it, he would be the master. Right, and then that doesn't hmm. work, because then he gets the wand from Dumbledore's grave, and that doesn't work. So then he realizes, mwahaha, Snape you know, is the, is the one who, who vanquished Dumbledore. I must go kill Snape. And I don't think he realized until the final battle, when Harry points it out, that it was actually Draco. Draco. And then Harry vanquished Draco, so now Harry's got the thing back again. Which, actually, I want to bring this up, because I'm just not sure what everyone thinks. So essentially, if you have a wand... And someone defeats you, your wand essentially its allegiance turns to the person who defeated you. Is that what everyone thinks? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I, take it. Now, what if you're in the room of requirement at DA practice and you expelliarmus someone? Well, I think it has to be real defeat because it doesn't happen in school when a teacher is learning teaching students the expelliarmus spell. So right. I think the DA was more, you know, that it was a teaching process. Okay, so essentially. The wand. Maybe can it's tell. the intent. Magic can understand intent, maybe. Okay, so what happens if. So let me ask you this. Has Harry ever been expelliarmist in the course of the series? Like in and outside of the game? I thought he did in four. When in four was. Did he lose his wand? I thought when he was fighting Voldemort in four. Did that not happen? He dropped his wand when Pettigrew tied him up to the, the, the gravestone. Before the Crucio? Yeah, because then, you know, Voldemort's like, pick up your wand. But I don't think... Yeah, no, it just picked it up and handed it back to him. It was magically taken from him. Okay, all right, all right. 
or like in the Shrieking Shack with Snape when uh, Snape sneaks into the Shrieking Shack and Harry Expelliarmus is him with all three of their wands. Maybe it's not just a you know an Expelliarmus. Maybe it's going to be something where you have overpowered the master of that previous wand, or you know you yeah. have you know in quote unquote defeated that person. You know, just any random spell where you know you disarm some, you know, your opponent or whatever isn't enough. Okay. It could be And again, even in that in the Shrieking Shack, Snape was acting as their teacher. He was protecting them. He wasn't trying to to take out Harry. Okay, whereas, you know, because I'm just thinking of the scene on the Astronomy Tower where Draco Expelliarmus's Dumbledore's wand and takes it from him. That was the act. Although he Mm. had the intention to kill him. Trying to kill him. Okay, so maybe that was it. Well, then he kept it, too. Draco Expelliarmus him, and the and wand, the wand goes, goes over ramparts and lands somewhere on the grounds. And apparently, somebody finds it and buries it with Dumbledore. But we don't know what happens between uh, when Snape kills him <laughs> and then uh, when Voldemort goes to steal the wand. So you've seen this coming for a while, Jules. You've been I have been obsessed about Dumbledore's stupid wand for <laughs> months. What 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 made you think that? Was it just anything in the writing, or was it just an idea? I would. I don't, I was when I was rereading Half Blood. Maybe I was listening to Half Blood Prince, and um, I don't know. I just started wondering, and then I was wondering what would happen if Voldemort got a hold of it. And now I know. See, it was good. You were all excited. You and like you and Melinda were like, "Oh like, my Melinda. god!" <laughs> <laughs> I looked at Danielle at one point. And I'm like, "I know you haven't read the Seventh Horcrux, but this is amazing." And I just looked back and suddenly Alice kept reading. I'm like, "Oh my god, this is." Uh, does anyone else have anything else? Well, Tonks and Remus. Got married. We found out that Thompson and Remus are married. Yes. Right. That, that was a bit of a surprise. I was still confused why they were together in the first place, although I was happy, you know, they got married. That was my <laughs> thought on that one. Because of angst reasons, <sighs> of course. What do you Angst! Oh my god, that scared me. I want to comment on Snape. Like, I know we talked about him a little bit, but... Um, and y'all had said that uh, that his actions... I, I, I get the impression from what y'all said that y'all at this point suspected that he was good. But me, in hoping that he was good, after reading this chapter, was almost positive that he was bad. You know, especially when he just turns around and lets that lady who's begging him to die... Yeah. I mean, yes. I, you know, and oh I was just God. like, oh my gosh, he's so bad, he's awful. What and then, you know, done, in future though? chapters, when, you know, all that stuff's going on at the school and they're torturing students, and it's like, oh, how could he have let that happen if... But, but, right. but the thing with the muggles teacher, what could he have done? If he had saved her right then, his cover would be blown. There was no way to save her and not blow well, that. Well, obviously, but, but and then still the, in reading, you know, I still thought he was evil. <laughs> and the students... You know, I did, like, too. I did, too. Allowing the students to be tortured, but you found out that they went into the forest with Hagrid so for the punishment Ginny and Neville and Luna anyway there yeah so it, it, it I think it was sounding worse than it might have actually been yeah I mean okay Voldemort's in charge he puts his his most trusted lieutenant you know Snape in charge of Hogwarts and you know Sna- Snape can't you know immediately run the school like Dumbledore did because it would tremendously blow his cover but yeah like what Melinda just said you got the sense that he was doing what he could to protect the students did were some oh, students you know are you alright? huh? are you okay? well yeah I was just saying well, yes but that's oh, I like thought you said hel- I thought you said help no no <laughs> that's a spell 
I thought that that stuff happens, you know, a lot later on. And I didn't know. By the end of this chapter, I was convinced. It's like she starts off the story with trying to convince us that he's evil. And I believed it. At this point, I thought this is going to be interesting because he really is a bad person. Yeah, but the thing about Joe Rowling, she's shifty. She is. She's tricksy, man. She is. Wonderfully shifty. About something. (laughs) You know, about other things, she's pretty, this is how this is. And I'm going to... You know what I mean? Yeah. So just to recap, I I thought he was good at this point. Uh, Tina, you really did? Yeah. What could he? I was with Jen and Tina. No, I was I was up in the air. I was like, well, if it's you know good or bad, I I I hadn't made any decisions. You know what? There was so much evidence that he was good that was stuck in my head. That I wanted him to be bad. No, I wanted him to be good, but after reading this, I thought I doubted myself after reading this. I, I I'm just. I'm just amused by what you do when you get the book in your hand, because I did the same thing, too. I started this book, convinced Harry would live. I'm on chapter one. Harry's going to die. They're all going to die. <laughs> and it's like, you know, Jen, you know, who, who like, s- sleeps with, like, you know, a replica of Alan Rickman, you know, and just snuggles up next to him at night. He's like, that bastard, I hope he burns. <laughs> wow. No, no. He's lying, everyone. Ryan, they're just believing. They're telling truth. I know. I wish I had a. <laughs> I have the Harry and Hermione and Ron dolls, but I haven't thought about sleeping with them. Thank God. Spell. That's definitely gonna be the bumper for tonight's that episode. Creepy. <laughs> I just want one. I, I wonder if it had like a pull string that had Alan Rankman's voice. I could go to bed with him, like talking to me. Can I just tell you, my friend Karen, who doesn't like Harry Potter, she actually did the intro for a few episodes ago um, to warn about the bad singing. Um, she, we 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 made her watch the movies, and she is like absolutely head over heels. You know, attracted to Alan Rickman, <laughs> that Danielle yeah. and I for her birthday made her a Snape mon- like a Snape album. We took out like all these pictures of Alan Rickman as Snape, and we and we drew little hearts around them and stuff, and we gave them to her. And she, lo- oh. she she's like, I need to go home and, and view this thing more closely. Like, I'll I'll be back later. Like it was. It was, it was kind of <laughs> So, I love that. Jen, there's at least one more out there, and there's a whole podcast for people like you. Oh, that makes me happy. Jen, chapter two, the Naked Harry. <laughs> Yeah, Harry's not naked till four. Why am I the only one that doesn't remember Harry being naked in this? Because it's not. Are you serious? Six months. I don't. I had to reread it like eight times. I was so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, were they naked when they? Oh, was it they were naked in the? They were naked twice in this book, at least. (laughs) Jen has like a small (laughs) piece of paper next to her book. Harry naked. She's got post-it notes. Okay, naked here. Hermione naked here. Nobody really cares. Harry naked again here. Well, no, no, no. In this chapter, Harry's bleeding. So, um, it's himself on the on the mirror, and he curses, which I liked, or swears. Yes, he is sexy swearing boy. How far he's grown. (laughs) But then his first the the first mental note he makes is about that he doesn't know any healing spells. He needs to learn healing spells. And I, I, that, that my hackles raised at that one. I was like, uh-oh, that doesn't bode well for the rest of the story that we're starting with him needing to learn healing spells. Well, it doesn't, yes, bo- it doesn't like, It's bo- a little late. I, I was going to say, it doesn't bode well for the rest of the story that he's injured himself, like, in his bedroom, like, without going <laughs> to look for Horcruxes, like, walking across the hall. Oh, I'm hurt. I need medical attention. Like, what have they learned at school? Obviously nothing of real value. 
how to make food, how to heal yourself, you know. They learn about, you know, little little things that you don't see. Jen's a downer. I'm not a downer. <laughs> I just wish Hogwarts would gain some common sense. I guess it's because I'm always reading fics about, like, their classes and, like, you know, we're learning about children today or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we're learning so about maybe, children. Maybe they learn in their seventh oh, year. One of the classes you have to take to be a healer, you start learning stuff like that, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, maybe it's like an or 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 or. tries a hard word. I love it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you can't say juxtaposed. Juxtaposed. <laughs> yeah, lucky, lucky try. Then we start getting some information on Dumbledore. First, we get the eulogy from, from someone who's obviously Elf- Elphias Dodge, I think his name was. Yes, um, that's a very good memory. I love Melinda for the fact that she can pick these small little clues up. I'm like, I just opened the page and like, hey, she's right. I told you, I remember inane little things. Yeah, um, this was really interesting. And he was obviously very much a, a, a fan, of, you know. But that's kind of like how everybody feels about Dumbledore right at the beginning. And then you give the opposite of Rita Skeeter, who uh, begins to paint a, a different picture. Yeah, was it strange for anyone else to think that when they were reading Rita Skeeter, I got the sense that she's actually got something here? Because I think, it yeah. was, Jen, I think you were actually the reason I thought that. Because whenever, you know, Jen and really? I talk, yeah, you, you really want him to be, you know, like the like the grandfatherly, you know, storybook Dumbledore who, you know, always does the right thing and you don't want to be disappointed by him. So the first thing I can think of is, you know, when I make mistakes, they tend to be huge ones. He's a human being who makes mistakes. Now we get to. Now that he's gone, you know, people are going to be saying, you know, the old wives' tales about Dumbledore, and a lot of them are going to have truth to him. So I was actually buying into what Rita was saying more than I was buying into the into the rose-colored yeah. trilogy just because I figured there was... Yeah. Now, I, I didn't know how bad it was, but... Well, yeah, and I didn't buy completely so. into it. I there was some truth in it, but didn't yeah, know I figured how much. We, we had two such opposing articles, and usually when you have something like that, two such completely opposite views of the same story... It, the truth is somewhere in the middle. So I kept thinking, huh, you know, we're going to learn maybe Dumbledore's not quite as white as, as we always thought he was. Understanding well, is a three-edged sword. Sorry, I just wanted to be prophetic. Go ahead. I know that when I first saw this and saw Rita Skeeter, I was rolling my eyes, like, all, you know, because it's her. But when I read it, when I, when I got into it, I realized that Joe wouldn't put this in here unless this was major foreshadowing for the book. Yeah, you I know thought for I sure it was going to be um, Harry was going to be somehow accused to have something to do with Dumbledore's death, as I thought was where it was going. Me too. Oh, really? Yeah, because she she even you know they don't they say something here about them wanting to question Harry about yeah that he was seen like running that. away or something. Yeah, and she they saw him running Harry, away. And I was like, uh oh, yeah, yeah. But um, when Harry, you know, bellows the lies, I thought that was strange. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, too, if you think about the overall plot, Harry's the only one that that can testify that Snape killed Dumbledore. So what if you have a situation where nobody believes Harry? Which I, I didn't expect to have after Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, I didn't think it would be exactly the same there, but I, but I thought that was going to go somewhere. Yeah, that was the only thing I could think is that, yeah, something something with that... I couldn't see the same plot line coming again because I think the Wizarding World trusts Harry more, but unless you tear him down again, which is easy to do in the media. So that was just my thought on that. In the end of this chapter, and we see Albus in the mirror, his eyes, I was like, he's alive! <laughs> he's alive! 
Dumbledore is DumbledoreIsNotDead.com. I'm so sorry for doubting you. <laughs> I was like, I knew it. But not really. Yeah. You never not so much. That. He really is dead, though. <laughs> Show of hands. Who thought Dumbledore would actually be alive in this book? Oh, no. He was dead. I know he was dead. Well, that's a, that's a weird question because I knew he was dead because Joe said he was dead. But that's when I when I read that though, I thought, oh man. Well, Joe said someone would show you know magical powers for the first time in their life in this book. I mean, Joe makes up stories sometimes. I thought it was about Crab. Yeah, Crab must have she, she actually said that before book six even came out, and I'm still convinced that it was Merope Gaunt that she was talking about. Well, she it did say be. too that but she, she always had magic, right? Like, yeah, she so did. Much. No, they were calling her a squib and until until her father and brother went to prison. Well, you know, that's interesting, though, Melinda, because she's, remember how she said that, you know, when she was writing Deathly Hallows, she killed off two characters and gave one a reprieve? She, I know who they are. Yeah, she came out tonight and said that the reprieve... Really? Yeah, she do? Came, really? She came out yeah. tonight and said that the reprieve was Arthur Weasley in Order of the Phoenix. Yep. And, and I was thinking it was someone oh. in Deathly Hallows. So, yeah, so maybe she was talking about an earlier... Like, weren't we supposed to see the like Arthur Weasley's car come up again? And there were all these things that you know were foreshadowed that we'd see in the last book. I mean, some of them just didn't. Yeah, that was actually brought up, Melinda. I don't know if you noticed on your list today. Some people had some comments about that. You know, it gives a woman a break. A lot of these things she said years ago, and yeah. you know, plot lines change, and you know, maybe and it might have even been there in the original draft. Maybe Arthur dies, and they would use the cars as hers. <laughs> oh, that's sad. <laughs> That's more good. I'm very <laughs> glad that Arthur didn't die. I am too. Do we know Me who too. the two? Do we know who she um who she killed off? Who she killed? Remus and Tonks. Tonks. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was Remus the other? Yeah, she said a different father ended up dying in this one because she didn't want to state right exactly what it was for someone who hadn't read, but uh, a different father. So that's Remus. Did she come on and say Tonks? No. Okay, I figured it was Tonks and Remus because that was kind of like the. I thought Tonks should live and like raise Teddy personally, but. Oh, I thought it was so I'm much okay with Remus together. dying. You are? Well, yeah. Remus was Especially very... Especially since um, we didn't get their, you know, relationship until book six. Remus was not as I expected him in this book. He he was more troubled than I think I thought he would be. He was very, like, <laughs> Harry, can I come with you? Like, you know, he's got the pregnant wife standing behind him. Um, I'll be back in ten minutes. Just trying to get <laughs> yeah, for some milk. <laughs> My disappointment with Remus began in Half-Blood Prince, and it just continued into this one. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. He's, he was tortured, he, in, you know, inside. He, and you saw that in the previous two books. It's just, you know, he spends half of the years, like, ignoring Harry when Harry actually needs somebody. And finally, when Remus yes. has a, a kid of his own and has seen how Harry has grown up parentless, the first thing that goes to Remus's mind is, oh, I'll just leave the kid. It'll be fine. And, you know, and I'm just like, first I of all, Harry in that scene. I know. Know. how did you think Harry would take that okay? I know. I, I, I was cheering for Harry in that scene. When, when Harry cheering. calls him a coward. Yes, him a coward. I don't think that's what my dad would want you to do. Yeah, why, why aren't you staying with your own kid? Um, At this point, though, we did not know if their kid was going to be a werewolf or not. Is that right? That's right. And I'm like, if it was a werewolf, don't you think your presence might, I don't know, help the baby? Absolutely. Help. Can you imagine a baby werewolf running around? Seriously, that would be frightening. Well, could you imagine, like, Remus... Her color changing from pink to purple. <laughs> well, 
Well, its hair did. It was both. I thought, what in this kid is going to be ugly or something. Could you picture some random muggle like on the phone with like the local police department? You're never going to believe this. There's a pink werewolf walking down the street. No, wait, it's blue. And like the person's in a straitjacket in 20 minutes. I, don't know, I just that was the image I had there. I should. Oh, write. I had a Sleeping Beauty moment. Lovely. I should write fan fiction. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought. I, I, should, I would be fabulous at fan fiction, but I could review my own stuff and probably hate it. But um, but it's a boy. The baby was a boy. Well, its name is yeah. Ted, so I would hope the baby's a boy. Yeah. So pink is not <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've determined that Ted is a boy. <laughs> a breakthrough moment. Well, could you Ted- imagine? Could you imagine if we had, um, you know, Remus go along with Ron and Hermione and Harry? Like, every month would they have to, like, lock him in the closet? Like, what would they do with him every full moon? <laughs> I have logistical concerns with Remus's plan, I have to tell don't you. Don't have to worry about it. It didn't happen. I know, I know. I know. Now, yes, one- we, don't, we don't know what happened to Teddy, so... <laughs> Okay, one thing I do want to bring up, because I know we're going to bounce around a lot tonight, is the I was expecting massive bloodbath. I was hoping that at least two members of the trio would live, you know, You didn't think this was a bloodbath? I thought it was going to be so much worse. I thought it was going to be absolutely... Oh, really? Oh, my God. That was pretty horrible. Oh, I, I was haven't ex- cried so much since my father passed away, for crying out loud. Oh. I sobbed through the whole when thing. When died, seriously. Hedwig. Oh, I lost it. Oh, my. Everybody was right talking about he- Dobby, but Hedwig was the one that got me. Oh, Dobby. Oh, Dobby yeah. got me, too. When Harry was digging the grave, and I was just sobbing hysterically. Well, that, this is what I'm saying. I was I was waiting for Ginny, for Molly, for Arthur, for I I knew Remus was gonna go. Hagrid, I thought was gonna go. I thought McGonagall was gonna go. I, I, all these, I was bracing myself for it. Who thinks she's gonna kill the pet owl? Like I, I didn't see that coming. Exactly. I looked over. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, she killed Hedwig. <laughs> like I'm trying. It was just mean. It was cruel of her. Uh, well, hasn't he suffered enough? Well, like I, 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 I think you're right. It was necessary. I mean, it was. You, you have to yield the onion back, and you have to pull away everything that Harry depends on and everyone he needs, and just break him down. And Saint Hedwig was the patron saint of orphans, right? And and Harry's not an orphan anymore. He's he's a man now. He's gone on his own. Or otherwise, they would have had to eat him when they were, you know, starving. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, if Joe Rowling put a scene in where Harry eats him? Him out of chairs, Mo. The thing with Jen is you never know. Crying over hitting a squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. Could you imagine being like, okay, you're in like a broken airplane that's crashed in the mountains, and you're like, like Jen's like sitting there, and your third companion sleeping in the corner, and Jen looks at him and looks at you. I think we're gonna have to eat him. (laughs) I'm not a cannibal. I'm here for three days. That's the title name. Cannibal. All right, (laughs) done. But you know, I'm just. I'm just thinking about this. Not only did he- Hedwig die, and I didn't see it coming. Harry's having a fight with Hedwig at the time, and then he has to yeah. blow up the body. And they oh, never yeah. even got to make up or anything. It was so sad. It was horrible. And like, Wait, we've missed the naked part. Okay, Jen, back us up. <laughs> well, first we had yeah, the Dursleys oh, and Hestia giving them a hard time. I liked her. I did, too. Yeah. I liked Dudley in this chapter. I don't know. What did everyone... That's a good point. What did everyone think of the Dursleys in this? Did everyone... 
I thought there was like something missing from that scene, like some motivation, or it, it seemed like everyone was almost too. Like I was waiting for like the last shoe to drop in that scene, and it really well, didn't. Why weren't Ron and Hermione there? That was that took me yeah. the longest time to get over. Not Ron and Hermione yeah, were supposed to be there to drive him, and they weren't there. And and I couldn't even. I kept having to read over because I was like, wait a minute, why aren't they there? And we never find out. You know, I wonder if at the end of Half-Blood Prince that we didn't all just assume they were also going to go to the Dursleys. Maybe they just meant they'd go with Harry on the hunt into Godric's Hollow. Yeah, but and they said to Euron's house. They said that. Yeah, they said it. Yeah. Well, I guess this is when Hermione was like, um, you know... Obliviating her parents. Obliviating her parents, and Ron was... What? I don't know what Ron's doing. I'm yeah. dressing the ghoul. Eating. <laughs> being a jerk. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't really get into Hestia that much because I was so... I was, like, really um, channeling Melinda in this chapter. And, and to me, this <laughs> is the honest truth. She when wants I to read, No, really. That my, I feel that if they put your scene in here of them leaving the Dursleys, I would have been probably a little bit more happy than with this chat because it was just so much I liked it so much better with the way that Ron you know stands up for him and and that they were there well Hestia did a little bit so they at least acknowledged yeah. it it wasn't nearly what I would have liked but it was I, it I was really okay. liked her for her indignation and that she was even more appalled that Harry was completely bemused by why she would be reacting that way. Well, you know what it was? I felt like we got that scene already from Arthur Weasley in Goblet of the Fire, the shocked reaction that you're not going to say goodbye yeah. to him if you were So I felt like we did that already. I wanted to know, you know, what was in the letter from Dumbledore. I wanted to know what, you know, Dudley saw, you know, when... when no, we never you, learned what like, Dudley saw with... Like, I was expecting one of the two of them to somehow do magic. Like, I had all these expectations for the chapter. And, like, even when, you know, Vernon comes in and he's about to shake Harry's hand, I didn't get why. I didn't get what yeah. changed that, you know, yeah. that made them do that. So I was, like, waiting. I was sitting there, like, like, like what, what's happening here? Like, I, I felt like there was something that was should have happened. And I was waiting, actually, for the for the, for, for the Dursleys to come back at some point just to, you know, explain away the thing. And it, I did like that there was one scene where Harry was, again, trying to convince them that they had to leave to go to the safe house. And he was explaining why that Voldemort would take them in, in, in thinking that he would come Torture. rescue them. And, and Vernon and Harry kind of catch eyes. And he made some comment about both of them knowing that, that neither of them really knew what Harry would do in that situation. I did kind of like that. Yeah, like would, would, Vern, would Harry go after them? Would yeah. he come, yeah. You know, the part that I really liked about this chapter was, was Petunia's goodbye. Because I, I really felt that if she had suddenly given him a hug or something, it just would have been so out of character. It would have been so strange. And I was so glad that even though he is begging to save their lives and, and to help them, that she still can't, she can't even look at him. No. He disgusts her. No, she was horrible till the end. So, and I liked it better that way. I, I, would, I didn't too. want a big turnaround from Petunia. I was I was past forgiving her anyway, so it didn't matter what she did. Wouldn't it be great right. if if Harry said, "Hey, uh, Big D, I got a question. What did you see when the uh, Dementor came over you?" And he's like, "I pictured I was locked in your cupboard." And, you know, and like we're like, "No, no, don't do it. Melinda did that too. Don't do it. Don't do it." Ching ching. Which of course would be a bogger, not a Dementor, but I didn't like Harry calling him Big D. I don't know. Like to me, I was just like, "Oh my gosh." You don't even like each other. Why are you slanging to each other? <laughs> and Harry realizes that Dudley was trying to give him tea all this time as Harry's cutting himself on it, so, you know. 
that would be great if there was like a like in the movie if there's like a montage of their best moments right there and like the sappy romantic music playing is like Dudley beating the crap out of him and, and like throwing him away from the snake glass and like I just think that'd be great. Oh uh, well, I loved Petunia bursting out in tears because of because <laughs> Dudley. Yeah, matters. it was it was just she she has Petunia down so well. And I could just picture the look on Hestia's face when Petunia races past Harry to go to Dudley. I can just I can picture. Yeah, that. yeah. I can't wait. For this scene. He didn't say thank you. I didn't hear that. Did you? No, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do want to say that Hedwig has been named in every chapter so far, except the first. You know, like Hedwig was sitting here. He picks up Hedwig's cage. All of those now are stabs through my heart. <laughs> um, every time <laughs> Hedwig delivers a package, that's it, Joe. Just turn that knife. The trace. We never. How come we never heard of the trace before? Yeah, that felt like it was dropped Joe. at the last minute. That's like she was writing it, then she's like, "Oh crap, that makes no sense." Okay, we have this thing yeah, called she, trace. Didn't she previously say it was just you know? Although, yeah, in the cave in Half Blood Prince, she says that the the reason that Muggleborn witches and wizards, you know, are more likely to get letters from the Ministry is because nobody is doing magic at their houses, whereas at the Weasleys, Ginny could do magic and they'll just assume it's Molly. There was never like this trace in the person, right? But they would still have to have something that would tell them that an underage wizard is in the house. So in maybe Dumbledore that's what the trace um, is. Maybe, or was it they were just monitoring the house, or was it monitoring the person? Right, so like the trace would tell you there's an underage wizard in the house, but it couldn't tell you who actually did the magic. Maybe. 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 Because they played around with the Fidelius charm, too, in this book. Previously, Joe said in an interview that if the secret keeper dies, it died with you, dies, it died with the him, secret right. dies with you, and now it's everyone who knows it is their own secret keeper. It's a secret keeper, so there's 30 secret keepers for... Including Snape. Including Snape. I I, I actually wonder, especially because I never thought of the Ron Hermione, now that Privet Drive thing, I wonder if she read Half-Blood Prince, sat down to write Deathly Hallows, and was like, crap, can't do that. I take that back. (laughs) And then had to back the car up and move things around. I don't know. It happens. It does. You had to do that? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, no, I've never done that. Jen, I'm so sorry. You wanted to talk about Harry being naked. But before Harry gets naked, there was one more line that I thought was awesome. Can I say it? Torture! Torture! When, when they're going to make them into seven, and the, even you know who can't split himself into seven, I think it was Moody that said it. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, oh, here we go. Harry and Hermione glare at each other like, my, isn't this symbolic? <laughs> to tell you the truth, when they started getting into the seven, um, the number seven again, I started thinking that seven was going to be the new Star Trek red shirt. And that everything seven was going to be like, you know what I mean? Like really awful. It's the bad, it's like the 666 or, or you know, 40 in the Bible or, you know what I mean? Um, I don't get the reference to the Star Trek red shirt. I think you just want to be like me and use that as an example. Because <laughs> the red shirt guys no, always like, die. Yeah, like it would be, um, I can't, because I couldn't think of the word. It would be a, um, come on, help me out, guys. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. You do! I'm making perfect sense here. In that's superstition. We're on the naked, I, though. It's not a superstition if it's true, though. Huh? Right? I, oh, well. superstitions are true. Could be. I guess. Maybe. You know, like, if you wear a red shirt, you die. But the number seven, maybe I'm just... Okay. 
Jen's overtired. She's going on vacation. No, I'm tomorrow. not. It made perfect sense to my head. You just wait. We're going to get posted in the forum, and people are going to go, wow, man, that was deep. And I'm going to be like, yeah, I know. Okay. Um, I got it, Jen. Thank you, dude. I love that. Okay. Yeah, so they, they all turn into Harry, which is really great because I'm imagining, like, sexy Harry in leather. Uh-huh. And um, seriously, you know, like, fit Harry. And um, so they all, and, like, they all get naked. And change their clothes, like even the girls, like so everyone has seen every bit of Harry. And well, I, I think I think they were just really changing shirts there. I'm not. I don't think we're talking complete nakedness. Yeah, I didn't think that either. <laughs> I thought that because let me find the sentence where it's that. Because seriously, guys, like, I laughed. You just said something that they were much more comfortable getting naked in Harry's body than they would have been in not naked, but getting undressed. Just, I mean, I yeah, getting undressed to being changing shirts or you know pants. You know, if you get yeah. that whole experience had to be difficult for Hermione. See, okay, this is what made me think. I'm going to read this sentence. He watched as a six doppelgangers rummaged in the sacks, pulling out sets of clothes, putting on glasses, stepping their own things away. He felt like asking them to show a little more respect for his privacy as they all began stripping off with impunity, clearly much more at ease with displaying his body than they would have their own. And that makes me think naked. Yeah, yeah I don't think they would change an underwear standing right there in front of everybody, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think so <laughs> I am going to live with my fantasy. All right, Jen. <laughs> All right, Jen, Jen. Jen, I have to ask then. When they're riding the dragon and they get drenched and they and Harry, Ron, and Hermione get changed all in front of each other, did 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 you sense that too? Oh boy! <sighs> Wait till we get there. <laughs> Jen, you have to start writing your own one shots, okay? No, I'm I'm awful. I'm just so much better at criticizing others. <laughs> Melinda's like, vindication! (laughs) I'm so sorry. No. I love the comment Ron makes about the tattoo. What's that? Oh, the tattoo wasn't real. I knew it. Oh, yeah, we had the first mention of Jeannie there. I was squeeing. (laughs) I missed that. Oh, the, um, the, remember Ginny says the Harry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The tattoo on his chest, and Ginny calls it Macho back in Half-Blood Prince. Uh, yes, and I Ron like what has Hermione says. What's that? About uh, Harry looking tastier than Crab and Goyle. Oh, yeah, his polyjuice. Yeah, that's the compliment. Yeah. But yeah, the polyjuice potion turns different colors for different people. I for thought that was people. interesting. Yeah. And Crab and Goyle's looked like vomit for some Mud. reason. <laughs> yeah, there was lots of references to the first few books in this chapter, I felt. I found that too, Jen. Like, just Did you really? Here and there. Yeah, like... Uh-huh. You know, it's something, you know, I, of course I can't think of anything right now, but I'd read something and it would be some reference to the first book or the second book or something one of the characters did. And, oh, Fred and George, when in the scene, when they're both hairy and they're like, they say to Maddie, no, I'm Fred. No, I am. Yeah. You know, like they did with Molly in the King's Don't Crossing. you know it? Can't you tell us apart? Yeah. yeah. As much as I liked it, it, to me it felt a little babysitter's club. I don't know. I think it was good. It was a good bookend. I mean, the, the problem here is that, you know, if you read the first book, then you read the second, then you read the third, then you read the fourth. I mean, if you if you go through the series, you're in the last book, and you look back, and you're like, oh, I remember that. He said that in the first book. The problem with us is we read the books 500 times each, that we know every line of dialogue from every book, so we make that, you know, reference. We're a little what? obsessive. Just a little bit. Just, <laughs> what, what makes you say you know, that? we normal. What? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone doesn't read the books ten times. <laughs> yeah, I'm and like, then podcast about I'm it with their international fans. <laughs> <laughs> We're in 
international? That's so funny. <laughs> Free Winky keeps us global. So, for that and Amy, I love the image of once they're leaving, you've got everybody on their brooms and their thestrals, and then you got little boy Harry stuck in the side. <laughs> stuck in the best image of, of movie Ron's face in my head, teasing him about that. I was like, I kept I, thinking I of Robin. The, I know Ron just the goofy, haha. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Harry's like, this is so humiliating. <laughs> That's. I guess that's such a boy his age. I guess that's what they would think. But I just thought it was like I thought it was practical. I didn't understand. <laughs> well, I'm just picturing like the guy shoved in like the coach section of the airplane, like with scoliosis, like with his arms flapping to the side because <laughs> he has absolutely no room whatsoever. Well, I mean, would he rather be behind Hagrid, you know, hanging absolutely. on to his midsection? <laughs> Seriously, he, he's being chewed. We're gonna like get Harry and Hagrid shippers soon. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> He'd rather be on a broom. He would be, Absolutely. He would, he'd rather be on this firebolt, which, yeah. Which is which he loses. Oh, my heart broke over the, that. There's the broom, and then Hedwig, and then we thought Hagrid. I was like, oh my god, it's getting worse and worse every second. <laughs> I was surprised that like that people started dying this early in the book. At this point, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't read the rest. Yeah. Well, she really went against her structure. I mean, if you think about how she writes books, you know, at the... You know, four kind of broke the mold a little bit, and you had the, the the attack at the Quidditch World Cup. Five, you had the Dementor attack, which was much briefer, and now it's, you have like a full scale final battle. You know, like four chapters into the book, which and two things jumped out in my mind during the battle when you found out that Stan Shunpike was potentially a Death Eater. All I could picture was, uh. okay, Scrimshaw, maybe not the dumbass we thought he was. And the second one, when Hagrid supposedly well, I think di- I think Stan Shunpike became a Death Eater in Azkaban. I think they he's under the Imperium. I think it's because yeah. they sent him in with the Death Eaters that he came out with one. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell if he was if he was you know being used against his will with the Imperius or if he actually was a Death Eater. I think he was. Yeah, he said he had that blank expression blank. on his face or yeah. something. I think he was okay. Imperius. I was really sad because I actually liked him a lot. I think his accent was so endearing. She was all over for. I liked it, yeah. Can you picture with that accent, Avada Kedavra? Like, I don't know. It's just, it me. Let me get your suitcase, Avada Kedavra. That was the first thing I screamed. And the second thing I screamed when Hagrid, you know, fell off the bike was, Jen! <laughs> I was going, James! <laughs> and he was going, what? Because apparently James almost, Jen's husband almost spoiled the book for me, but it worked out okay. Now, well, at this point, I was still sobbing because Hedwig just died. I like, seriously, yeah, it was one after the other. I didn't realize he lost the broom, then. Yeah, the broom fell yeah, out they first, didn't give you and he grabbed Hedwig's cage instead of the broom. Yeah, yeah I didn't realize They didn't either. give you enough time to mourn the broom, because you ride onto Hedwig after right. that. Like, boom, boom, boom. No, like, who, like, what was everyone's... Like, I sat there with my mouth agape, going, you, you, you killed Hedwig. I had to put the book down and walk away for a minute. I, I needed to I did, too, that. Melinda. Yeah. I didn't walk away, but I put the book down and, like, just went... Oh, no. It's like killing Snowball, the Maltese dog. It's like, who does that? Who kills Hedwig? I think at the end of this, you know, when Hagrid fell out and you thought he was dead, and of course, you know, everything's gone on to this point, that's when my daughter Smith walks downstairs, and I'm sitting on the couch with my glass of wine and my Kleenex, and I'm sobbing <laughs> with the book closed, and she's like, you just started reading it. And I'm like... Oh my God, Samantha! You're not gonna believe. And she's like, "Don't tell me, don't tell me." But it was just like you just started. <laughs> I know. Well, that's what I—I I was so shocked that this scene happened this early. 
Well, she had a lot this of people. This is like a kitchen scene thing. Well, I know, man. She, she you gotta pace yourself. Now, let me get this straight. So Hagrid falls out of of the bike, and he falls all the way to the <laughs> ground. He's like indented, like spread eagle on the ground, and then like he just gets up, rubs the back of his head, and goes on with his day. Like can, nothing can kill him. He's a giant pond. Something didn't they say he was in a pond? So must have broke his fall a little. I don't know. Like, 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 I'm sorry. I think we were taken from fools because we always think, okay, next book, Hagrid's gonna die in the next book, and he just, he, he like, not, like, nothing can get like rid the of Energizer Bunny. He, he fell off. He fell from like thirty thousand <laughs> feet. <laughs> and he's like, I'm imagining Hagrid with one of those drums. <laughs> 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 That's funny. So, did that summoning charm have any effect on him, though? The what charm? At all? The, oh, I think no. he tried to summon him. I don't know if it did anything, though. I don't remember. <laughs> okay, it's dangerous to do Akio Hagrid, because could you imagine Hagrid coming flying at you from across the room? <laughs> <That'd be> pretty scary. <laughs> and Hagrid and Harry dies in Chapter 4. <laughs> oh, a real short book. I had to put the book down, because at this point, I said, if she kills him now, if she kills him now there won't be a book. Okay. Everything's going to be okay. I thought Hagrid was a goner there. I, I Me did. too. Yeah, I did too. I really, really did. I was actually preparing some hate mail for you, Jen, but I never had to send. Thanks <laughs> a lot. So we got to TED Tonks and yeah. uh, Andromeda. Not and Andromeda. Not Andromeda. A- not Andromeda. <laughs> That's why I read it like until they corrected me a few days ago. <laughs> we love Jen over here at Polarfictically. <laughs> now, my first question was: Now, this was the moment when my Melinda meter went off, and I'm like. They're going to stay with the Tonks for a while. And I had just been explaining to Danielle that morning the plot of the seventh Horcrux, and I'm, it was in my head, I'm like, huh, that's odd. Yeah. Interest, okay. I was like, did she live on the beach? I was I, like... And I'm like... <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, I'm like, Danielle, well, a pay attention for her basket weaving class. See, it's a reference to basket weaving at all. I was like, that's so muggle. Jenny comes walking by in the blue bathing suit. I'll be down by the water, Harry, if you need <laughs> For no one who has any idea what we're talking about, that's just fine. Just and read Melinda's fig. <laughs> exactly. So we we kind of move through there. And one thing that disappointed me was Harry says, don't worry, you know, I'll tell Tongs to get in touch with you. And he never does. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then she dies, so... Yeah. Oh, well. You see Andromeda... She's not okay. Yeah. You see Andromeda at the end of the story, I thought she died back in August or July or whatever it was. But... So, so I found that amusing. So then we get to... Does anything the else happen? The burrow. We get to the burrow. And we meet Holy! <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was classic <laughs> twins. I, 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 it was wonderful. <laughs> I thought that was. I thought it was horrible. It was awful. Stop laughing then. Yeah, like I was like visualizing it. Okay, and this is like what really got like. At first, I thought maybe it was like a piercing, and then I realized like half his head is. pierced his ear at thirty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and I was imagining like. I think, like, you know, in Sixth Sense, where that guy turns, like, when he looks normal and he turns his head and it's, like, half gone. And you're like, how is he up? But he's dead. And you're like, okay. And then I was like, so are we, like, seeing part of his brain? Or just his skin cut off? I don't think so. No, they just took his ear off. Because I was envisioning the worst here. Okay, does anyone watch Brotherhood? 
I on don't. Showtime? I don't. Okay, because they did something similar in that, and you'd, you'd be able to picture it if you watched that. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Jules will send us all pictures by the end of the evening. She'll track down pictures, and we'll be able to get that. <laughs> oh. with his ear off? Yeah. So, Je- so Jen's just, yeah, you, you get right on that. So, like, I, I just love it. Jen's picturing, okay, it's either pierced, or he's laughing as gray matter is oozing out of the side of his head. Yeah. Well, they can't stop the the bleeding, right? It's hard for me to remember. No, at first, can't. at first they did. I thought at first they couldn't, and it was scary no, they because can't I grow thought it back. Kind of, they can't oh, it's that they can't grow it back. Yeah. And I well, love Fred's because it was a indignation dark. with with the entire span of ear humor you've got to come up with, and you, the only thing you can come up with is holy. <laughs> <laughs> like I was waiting for like, like there's a, a ton of ear humor out there. I was waiting for the unspoken line. We've prepared for this, and we had material ready, and you abandoned it all. Well, I mean, we're laughing about, you know, the holy joke, but, like, really, when I was reading this, like, tears were coming out of my... I think because of what... One of I think Fred, one of them goes says something like, "Well, now we're going to be able to be torn, uh, people will be able to tell us apart now," mm-hmm. and I just remember being so depressed by that. Well, they had just been joking five minutes earlier that you can't tell us apart. Well, I mean, look at through the whole series, but but yeah, it just wasn't funny when I read it. I was just like a gape is the word I would use when they made that joke. Because it was just so awful that picture, what happened. I can picture you talking back to your book. That wasn't funny. Take it back. <laughs> oh, I've I've talked several times to that. The book. That was just that was that was way too far. And then, <laughs> and then Mad Eye Moody died. Uh, yes. I didn't really feel anything for Mad Eye because I was still upset about Hedwig. And the possibility. Yeah, me too. I was just shocked. I was. I was more shocked rather than. Yeah consummate professional you know he's so battle scarred and he'd been through all these before I felt like uh oh if, if, if they can take out Mad-Eye that easily then we could lose anyone that's how I felt about it well Mad-Eye in my opinion wasn't as serious because Hedwig's loss was emotional for Harry and we felt it and he couldn't talk about it and Mad-Eye dies and everybody's like they, they do a drink to him you know it doesn't seem as internally sad like you, we don't feel that loss because it's not an emotional. We we feel sad because another because Harry feels another person has died because of him, but not any personal attachment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I wasn't sad about Mad Eye until I went and saw Order of the Phoenix again yesterday, uh-huh. and when he came on screen, it that really hit me. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. It would probably affect me more in the movie to see it than reading it. Yeah, that's me whenever I see Hedwig deliver a package. And I wanted, I wanted Harry to tell, like when Mrs. Weasley asked Harry where Hedwig was, I so wanted him to tell them, and he didn't. He told Hagrid, and that was tragic. It was. It was sad. But I, I, I just... <laughs> Every time the mailman comes to the door now, Jens just starts sobbing uncontrollably and slam the door in his face. I want a missing moment scene, though, when Hagrid, when finally Harry goes outside, if Hagrid tells everybody all left at that table what happens to Hedwig. I want to know... Melinda, you're a writer. Come on. <laughs> no, I want to read it. I want to read that scene. Oh, so you write it so well. The rest of us. We're going to have a list for Melinda like by the end of the night. Okay. Jules is like, I'm so excited people aren't asking me for this stuff. That's right. Somebody else. So, Jan, I'm, I'm feeling good about your emotional, you know, compatibility with this book. I feel as though you're handling it very well going into your real life. I'm still picturing you, like, throwing the mailman down on the ground and, like, kicking him. <laughs> 
I'm really no happy change. that I'm that I'm happy with this book now because seriously, you guys, like, I took like four days and like moped. Oh, Jim, we had no idea you didn't like the book. At first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm None sorry. At seriously, right. I bawled for four days. Okay, right. keep going. I'm actually going to Jen. I, I'm actually, if it, with your permission here, I'm actually going to share a private message I got from Jen immediately after the. <laughs> um, the release of the book right after the book came out? I don't remember what I said. Well, I realize now that I was in a depression, not just because of parts of the book that I was disappointed that were left out, but just because it was over. And I'm sure y'all yeah. all went through that. But I, I dealt with it a little bit worse. I received the following message from, from, no, from I'm so Jen. sorry, everyone. I have and no idea what just so everyone here knows, um, Dobby is um, the screen name of um, a member of our um, of our Perfect Weekly forum. I thought I was ready <laughs> for the forums, but I came online and saw that Dobby was online. And I burst into tears. <laughs> because Dobby is, and forever will be, Dead goes back to crying yet again. Message ends here. <laughs> and then the dot 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 too, because Dobby is dot 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 forever will be dot 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 dead. <laughs> oh my God, Dobby! And that was true. It wasn't just me being funny. Like well, really, I'd come online and saw Dobby and like burst into tears <laughs> and had to get off. I was like, it's too soon. It's too soon. Well, when they kill when, when when she killed Dobby, she didn't just like kill Dobby. She like kills him, and then like like they dug his grave by hand. And, like, mm. She uh. killed happiness everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> she took the rainbow from the sky. The killing me part didn't get to me. It was the the the, the digging it by hand that did. Exactly. Here lies yeah. Dobby, a free elf. Free elf. Yeah, and then, oh my god. Like, oh my god, I cried. Is the sun is coming up over the water? Like, oh my god, this woman knows, like, all she needed was, like, the like the leukemia patient dying right next to him. Just, like, there's no yeah, more. Yeah, there were some pages in this book that I really wanted to open the book and, like, have it have that emotional music, like some of those greeting cards. <laughs> because it would have fit. <laughs> You need, like, the angelic female voice in the background. I don't know. And Ron takes off his socks and puts them on Dobby, and, you know, they give him, like, a We're not there yet! We can't talk about it yet. We have to build up to that. I apologize, everybody, for that unfortunate I have to tell you all, this isn't this isn't an act. She's actually sobbing uncontrollably right now. I have to go. No, I'm I'm right. Sorry, Matt. Like, don't you really feel that Mad Eye got the shaft in this? Everyone's yes. crying about the owl and the house elf, like you know the forty-year veteran, like the the law enforcement officer, you know. But he went into it knowing that. Yeah, you know, and Hedwig was mad. Innocent, I, you know, you know, Hedwig was an innocent victim. He was the warrior. It makes, it makes me think of in uh, in order when they go and pick him up, and he's like, "If in case somebody dies, keep going." And I'm like, "Yeah, he's the one that died." It was just kind of ironic. <laughs> Do you think he knew? Yeah, he did, man. Yeah, that's why he took constant him because he knew they would come after him first. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Can I just say one thing, and it makes me feel like a really bad Harry Potter fan? Just so you know, I think I'm the only person here who still hasn't seen the movie. But 
Let me just. Oh my see. god. I'll get get there at some point. Well, I listened to your review and I feel as though I'm prepared for it. Uh, Here's the thing. I thought, like, I was very upset when Dumbledore died. But at least I could take some comfort from knowing we were done with Gambin. (laughs) (laughs) And then I bought this book. And I'm like, what the freaking hell? Like, he's going to be in, like, every single scene. (laughs) This book is almost more about Dumbledore than Harry. Like, I'm like, you gotta be kidding yeah. me. Like, unless they, like, exhume Richard Harris, like, I am stuck with Gammon <laughs> for another freaking movie. But you know, the Harris. way that, that Dumbledore has been, I mean, the way that Gamden has been portraying Dumbledore is more correct, I think, to what we find out in this book about Dumbledore. Uh, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's been a grand plan. He yeah, doesn't bother true, me actually. nearly as much as he used to now. Because but you're not going to have that feeling of disbelief because he's been that saintly old grandfatherly type, and he hasn't been that way in the movies. So you well, don't know if it's going to have that same impact when you find out about his past and whatnot. Well, yeah. in the books, you know, he hasn't necessarily been that. I think partly he's been that way because I refuse to believe that he was anything but... But when I, you know, I opened Order of Order today a little bit, and 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 Half Blood Prince, and there are signs, you know. Well, I don't. Believe, I just refuse to see them. Well, no, I mean, I I, I don't think Dumbledore's nearly as as bastard like. Yeah, as you think he is. I think that there's, you know, he he made some mistakes. So I think I think I think you know you're still you know spooning with Snape a little bit, but you know Dumbledore you know needs to. I mean, I'll put it to you this way. I think anyone who's only seen the movies and then watches the seventh movie and hears that Dumbledore, you know, has made mistakes is going to be like, but he's been beating the crap out of Harry for years. I mean, like, like, I don't think it's going to be, you know, like, like as big of a deal for them as it. But is you it. haven't seen Order either. He does a better job in Order. I don't he really know. does. Kate, yeah. t- Kate tells me he sprints down the hallway. Yeah, I didn't like him. <laughs> well, I'm just saying he, there was no, like, slamming Harry against trophy cases. All right, let me ask you this. Who who remembers the scene from the first movie when there's the troll in the dungeon and Dumbledore has to silence the Great Hall? Yes. And then, yes. And then who remembers the scene from Goblet of Fire when the kids are rowdy? <laughs> because you have to be 17 or, or older to get into the to get into the tournament and he tries to silence the Great Hall again. Like like that last moment, I don't know what that noise was that came out of Gambin's mouth. <laughs> But, like, I think it caused, like, some women in the audience to become infertile. Like, I don't know what that was, but it was, like, wow. this, like, 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 I don't know what it is with Gambin, but, like, like, he actually makes me ill to see the movie, so I don't know. I'm gonna put under your name, Headmaster Gambin Hater. <laughs> Go for it. I will. You don't believe me, I will. I would do it, but, like, I... He I, could start a club. Like, they did a thing on MuggleCast where they had um, Ben Shane pretend he was um, Hagrid. And they did that. Oh, yeah. And they did the interview with him, and he kept just repeating Rubius Haggard, Keeper of Keys, because it's the only line you could say. <laughs> and at one point, they said, you know, well, what do you think of Michael Gambon? Because, you know, I think he sucks. And he's like, never insult Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, yeah, I really did leave this book hating hating him and thinking that Gamden had a, a good, you know, prepa- preparing people for it, so. Alright, now who, like, I just to say this, I think everyone has an Aunt Muriel in their family. Just throwing that out there, that's all I have. I don't. I actually, no. 
I don't uh, need. Yeah, mine's named Aunt March, actually. Believe it or not. I have a Sammy. Now, Jules, I just have to ask you a question. Your mother-in-law was staying with you when this book oh, was God, released. Yeah. Is that correct? Now, did Aunt Muriel in any way remind you of your mother-in-law? Um, yeah, no comment. Okay. She's not listening, Jules. She's not going to hear that. I know she's not going to listen, but yeah. <laughs> Although she did keep my kids occupied, so I could read. That's true. That's true. I just, I just love the part where she's like, get out of that chair. I'm 107 years old. <laughs> Well, Hermione cries through this book, and, like, she starts in the next chapter. That's a big point. Well, Emma Watson's going to be playing it, so I think that's a... Annie harping on Harry with the awkward... She really does both me insane. She did it, like, five times. Yeah. It was just a constant. It's like, all right, he can't do it. Your harping isn't helping. <laughs> I, I, I was really... I got so annoyed with her. She reminded me of my mother. She reminded me of my mother too. She just did. My mother is just such like a violent that. Reaction to her. Like this. Like here's the thing. Emma Watson in the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom in Goblet of Fire. Like th- that is when I picture movie Hermione. That is the scene I picture where you know Hermione. Yes, and she's like, ah! <laughs> and she's crying for no apparent reason. Like, I, like, I don't but yeah, yeah. Ron eats through this book, and Hermione cries. Actually, Ron gripes about his not eating. I loved how we got to see in this scene and then Harry's birthday party. I love how we got to see what the uh, Patronuses do to communicate. Because I remember, uh, Melinda, yeah. you had that in your story. I'm like, how does that work? What is-? And it's uh, apparently it's like a talking Patronus, which I thought was... It comes out in the voice of its owner. Very convenient. I like that. Um, oh, and we're Here's shipping- another thing for Melinda. Exactly. And um, what did everyone think of Dumbledore's will? Because I wasn't sure... I had no earthly idea what that was, although I liked the fact that the Pooter Outer came back. Yeah. And I, I loved was Harry really... with the snitch catching in his mouth, but not telling that to Scrimgeour. I liked that. I liked the line where Harry makes a reference that the snitch as a as a will gift was lame. Because I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, Greatest wizard of the world, <sighs> lame. It's like he leaves him a bowling ball. What? Oh, this is nice. Thank you. Oh. I have to admit, though, when, I, when Harry got that snitch, I thought, oh, my God, the seventh word cracks. <laughs> it's just another stab in the heart that makes us think that Dumbledore actually cared about Harry. <laughs> and it turns That's out there's, true. like, well, he, he, there's, he like, did there's, care. There's, he did care about Harry. There, there's a halo inside it, Jed. He didn't give him, like, a box of Kleenex or something. I mean, there was motive. We don't know that. All we know is that. Oh, he he does care about me because he kept enough that he enjoyed watching me play like a father would or grandfather, not like a sniper, the army. You, Dumbledore okay. is not a sniper. <laughs> no, I mean, that's how he views Harry as a means of a weapon. So Dumbledore is the oh, sniper see, I don't and Harry is the gun? Harry is the gun? Yeah. Basically, it's an interesting analogy. I, I, I don't. I don't I'm, I'm shocked that the number of people I've seen on you know different forums and you know whatnot that have this totally negative view of Dumbledore now. And I, I'm not get. I don't. I didn't get that. No, I. Didn't I think I've it. had it. I've pretty much had it since Order. I think it's kind of like if it's just a way of looking at it. Like the people who really look in depth at what the Dursleys actually did to Harry. I know that when I really looked at what Dumbledore, what it really, what he really did, and that you know how it, how awful it actually is. I don't know. The way I I've looked at it is okay. Dumbledore knew the prophecy. He, you know, it all came down to a choice. And the fact that he didn't tell Harry he was a Horcrux, and it, yes, it seems like he's using him in hindsight, 
But in the end, it came down to Harry's choice. He had a choice whether he walked into that forest or not. And, and back, you know, to- in Order of the Phoenix, you know, I mean, in uh, Half-Blood Prince, when Dumbledore tells him, you know, if you both just walked away, it would all be over. And, you know, it was, Harry knew what he had to do to, you know, it was, but... And Dumbledore couldn't have told Harry even that there was a chance that he could survive. It had to be Harry's willing choice, choice to die exactly. in order to get it out of him. He, Harry had to go in it without knowing there was any other choice. There was no way for Dumbledore to have told him that he could have survived or, or it wouldn't have worked. Think of it like Harry has a, like a, a fatal disease and he has six years to live. Do you, okay, the kid's 11. Do you tell him when he's 11 you're going to die or do you let him go and have friends and, you know build relationships with people and play sports and go to school and enjoy life and, you know, keep him from knowing this awful thing until he needs to know it. And I think one of the things in order was that Dumbledore, you know, protected Harry so much that he ended up injuring him as a result because he lacked information that he desperately needed. So I, I, I never took it that he, that he, you know, was just using Harry haphazardly. I mean, Dumbledore didn't give Harry, you know, the fatal well, illness or the, or, or the or make him a horcrux. And Dumbledore couldn't do anything. And he thought maybe there's a chance at some point he could be saved. But I just, I never got the sense I that didn't he... I, yeah, I didn't get that. I'm not but trying then, to be diff- Honestly, I'm not trying to be difficult or anything. No, I just, just... The way I saw it was that Dumbledore knew Harry was a horcrux, so Dumbledore sent Harry off on this dangerous, horrible mission because, well, you know, if Harry dies, at least it's another slight against Voldemort. Like, to no, me, I it's... Get- no, I didn't. That, yeah, that's how I. Well, I took it that he didn't. He didn't send someone else after the Horcrux because Harry would have to be involved anyway. And why send someone else if Harry's going to be involved anyway? Why risk someone else? And he made sure that Ron and Hermione knew. So if anything happened to Harry, the secret would at least go on. And by Harry, having Harry go after these Horcruxes and know Harry beca- understands the 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 hugeness of this problem and, and what he had it is to go through facing. all of that to be able to make that decision in the end yeah well, if, why wouldn't if, he tell him about the wand and the the story the child i mean he didn't even introduce harry to the the magic sto- child, children's story i don't think at, if prior to dumbledore's death i don't think you know the hallows were an issue but he knew he was going to die. I just don't see... Right, but I don't think Dumbledore suspected he... even that Voldemort would start hunting down the Hallows. No, why did he... No, but he left him... He left Hermione the book about the Hallows, and he left Harry, you know, the stone inside the snitch. So obviously he wanted to... I mean, I'm actually... I've only read the book. Because Harry already had the cloak. Why was he trying to give Harry the Hallows? Was he giving Harry... Well, no, because he didn't want Harry to be weakened by the Hallows as he was and be tempted by the Hallows as he was. I'm actually, I've only read the book once, so I'm trying to pull the plot points together. Why did Dumbledore leave them, you know, essentially, you know, information? Well, I mean, they even talk about this later on when they're, you know, out in the tent, and they, they, they are talking about why would Dumbledore make us go through all this just when he could have told us. And they're even thinking, this is, you know, just like him to make us take all this time and figure it out for ourselves. And I'm like, something was this important. This is just another huge Dumbledore flaw. Why wouldn't he sit down with with Harry and at least tell him about this, the importance of this children's story and the fact that it's not just a story and the fact that... When? When could he do that? 
I don't like the nine months he knew he was going to die, like somewhere in there. I think you at know that point I'm... it was more important for Harry to learn about Riddle. I guess. And, and the I... thing with Dumbledore, too, is it's it's almost like it's not, you know, the, the end result that matters is the journey. And I think he needed exactly. Harry to take that journey. He had to himself. go through that. He had to find them and learn about them. And, and stress the that the Horcruxes were more important. Yeah, and, exactly. Harry, and Harry had that choice and he got to make it. And it's it's symbolized in the scene when they're at Fleur and Bill's house. And Harry walks up the stairs and he can either talk to Griphook, who I just have to point out they have to bring Minnie me now back for the seventh movie, or... Um, Mr. Ollivander, do you go, you know, Ollivander, you know, is, is the Hallow guy and, you know, Griphook is, is the Horcrux guy and, and who do you talk to first? And Harry had to make that decision and it, and it was, he had, and he wouldn't have made that decision earlier. You saw Harry when he first found out about the Hallows, he couldn't think about anything but them. And right. he had to work himself down from that and he had to understand you know, the, the, the flaws in that. And it, it was a decision he had to make. So I, I think... And he came out the better for it, for making that decision on his own. Yeah, it's not the... E- it wasn't the easy choice. And, I, and granted, Dumbledore does make it extremely hard on But, like, he he's not the easiest you know, guy to probably learn from, especially as a professor. But he, he really makes you work for it. But I think you are better off in the end. I honestly see y'all's, y'all's view, and I'm, I, I'm not totally rejecting it. I'm actually really thinking about this now. They're going to have to bring back Mini-Me for, like, half of this movie. <laughs> I just... I think it's uh, it's actually Warwick Davis, the guy who uh, played Willow. It's That's Willow, the... yeah. That's what I thought. I thought he played all of the, uh, the dwarfy people. No, Warwick Davis played the goblin behind the counter who says Mr. Harry Potter wants his key and Hagrid has to give him... The, he was the guy at the counter, oh, okay. but Mini Me was the guy in the cart who like kind of wobbled over and opened the, and opened the door. That was Mini Me. Are you sure? I'm I really positive. thought it was Warwick Davis. No, Warwick like, Davis. I really thought it was Willow. No, Warwick Davis was he the played all of them. No, War, no, he didn't play all of them. War, I'll, I'll look it up right now. Warwick was the guy. He's, he's right. I just checked it. it was, Sorry. Hey, go me. Look at me. Oh, really? Mini Me's in it. That's amazing. Can you imagine this like very like prophetic scene? You know where you know Harry has to make the decision that will determine the fate of the Wizarding World, and Mini Me is playing opposite him. <laughs> I, I don't. Know, I just find that rather amusing. That's all I have. I just want to talk for a moment. Did anyone else agree that this this book had more comic relief in it than any other book? Uh, I would go against. I would know. Yeah, I'm gonna go with no. Yeah, no. No, there was definitely. <laughs> there was some, but uh, was, and I think there were a lot of nods at at fan fiction writers. I really do. No, like who, yours. No, no, no. Little things like like the the Merlin's pants. Every every other joke was Merlin's pants. Merlin's baggy wife. Baggy wife fronts. So Merlin's anything is just completely out of fanfic. And then the other was the book that Ron was reading about how to, how to how to. Get down and dirty with the gal. Yeah, I mean, that was a fan thing, and then it's not all about long work. <laughs> all right, hold on, Melinda. We have to point out that all of these books came from your collected, you know, work. So let's not put this off on other writers. No, here. no, no. I want I mean, to talk about this. They're in, those are things that no, are in a lot of things. Harry turns 18, 17. so Ron gives him How to Get in a Girl's Pants book. <laughs> Ron <laughs> And I just caught him making out. I loved that one. Oh, you know, the smut references. I just died. The naked and the kissing and the... Like, on one level, I... I, I, I know, and then you didn't like the book, Jen. I didn't get it. (laughs) 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 It has nothing to do with 
piece most overall. I love this book. Well, I just love it. On one hand, you had, you know, like, like at one point, like, it was all Ron's expressions. At one point, he's like, I don't give a rat's fart, which I found amusing. <laughs> I love I love how effing was, like, every other word, and it was like E-F-F-I-N-G. I love how it was spelled out. Yeah. But, like, I, I, I didn't even notice that. I think one, I've read so much Ryan. of it. Yeah, but the one character I have to say who I, 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 there's two moments in this book that I absolutely, like, one character I loved and one moment I loved. Creature was, like, Alice from the Brady Bunch after a few scenes. Oh, God. He's like, I'll have dinner waiting when you get home. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, he was, like, the dirty mud blood this, the dirty mud He was, like, Dobby number two, the replacement. No, he he wasn't. No, he literally, like, (laughs) they gave him, you know, the the, the fake Horcrux, and he was, like, their best friend. He's, like, hanging up Harry's, you know. Like, like Harry apparently has had a hallow, you know, as a cloak also. He's hanging up the hallow, and he's dusting, and he's wearing his little white tarp. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. And then, like, and I was so afraid, like, the Death Eaters killed him, or, like, he would, like, go back to Old Creature thinking, like, he's, like, waiting up all night with, like, a smile on his face with dinner on the table, and it gets cold, and he figures they abandoned him and all that stuff. And then, like, at the end of the movie, at the end of the book, he leads the charge with the... (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) I love that. Touch the top, fight for my master! I'm like, oh my god, it's Creature. I I liked the Creature personality transplant. I really did. Creature had, like, therapy. It was unexpected, but it was... I. It was easy to accept. I think well, speaking right. of the cursing, I thought it was hysterical when Hermione says the most vulgar thing she could, Merlin's pants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and Hermione, you bad she girl. Really upset. <laughs> she was very <laughs> about the About the effing? Yes. I thought that that was funny. Because maybe we're supposed to just pretend they don't say effing. Like, cause they're big now, right? Yeah, they're so. 70. Maybe they really are cursing. Yeah, it was a way. To I mean, she in there. she said like a few cuss words, like "damn" and stuff. That I, you know what I mean? Well, like, damn, damn's not the, damn's like, not that bad. In previous, well, that's my bitch. Well, my <laughs> Oh, can I tell you? I have to. I, I'm, oh my god! We have to talk about the bitch moment now. This is my. This is reading the book for me. Danielle and I got the book Amazon.com. You know, the the book comes and we start reading, and she's. For the first, like, hundred pages, she's two pages behind me. And then I must have gone to the bathroom or something. Then she's ten pages ahead of me. Then at one point, she was 50 pages ahead of me. So I, like, you know, had to go, obviously, hide her book on her. So I eventually caught up. And then, we, like, like closing out the book, I was one page ahead of her. I turned the page just <laughs> as Molly Weasley was charging at Bellatrix. And I had to literally bite my tongue so hard to prevent from laughing because I didn't want to spoil it for her because she was one page behind. You know, Molly just charging at Bellatrix, I think, was my favorite point in the entire book. That was awesome. And possibly possibly the entire series. Like, I just, like. It's my favorite in the entire series. Really? I was sad it wasn't Neville. Yes, I was really? like, oh, yeah, I, I like Amazon Molly. Molly. I loved it. Hold I on. loved it. Jules, now you were you were Neville's official spokesperson. Do you feel as though that was disrespectful towards Neville, or do you think Molly was okay there? Oh, Molly was excellent there. Well, no, it's, it's you build up Molly over seven books. She's like the, you know, she'll she'll give you the bear hug well, until the one that killed Fred. It was an explosion that killed Fred. Okay. I think, I think Rookwood did. Yeah, it. all kind of came in. <laughs> Hang in there, Jen. And you know, so, so, but, but I guess that was that was the moment where it's like you have Molly is like you know the bear hugging, you know, separate the kids with a crowbar, you know, pie baking. My daughter. Yeah, get up, not my daughter. You, and it's like, like it's it's almost like picturing like I'm I'm trying to think of an example. It's like 
It's like your grandmother beating up a guy who tried to mug her at the ATM machine. It's like, oh my god, but you you can't look away. It's like a car wreck. It was. Yeah. When I it was just go Molly. Yeah, you have this image of her through all the books of that. All she does is know, you know, how to cook and do cleaning charms. And, you know, to see her, you know, picture her coming after her with her wand blazing and was just like, yeah, well, she's united, you know. They've had entire Pottercast segments, I think, on what is Molly Weasley going to do? All she does is clean up, you know, order headquarters. I think that was MuggleCast. Was it MuggleCast? And then, like, the only only thing I can think of in the book is... um, she she stands guard at the prophecy room once, so obviously she would be able to defend herself. But I even remember Melinda in in um in, my, in Power of Emotion, you had Molly dueling at one point. I remember thinking, huh, I never thought of Molly actually dueling. So to have her kill Bellatrix, who's like the number one, like I just thought that was fabulous. <laughs> I just loved it. I loved it. I would, I had to like stop and and like look around. I'm like, is this real? This is amazing. And then I went back to reading. Don't mess with her kids. <sighs> I thought that was great. I, I, I don't know. I just... I, I want to go back just a little bit. We're, well, we're at the end of the book now, so you want to go back to the okay. I actually want to talk about where Harry is deciding that he's just going to leave Ron and Hermione at the burrow. And Hermione and Ron basically say, Harry, shut up. We knew you were going to do this. Mm-hmm. And Harry ta- and Hermione talks about what she'd done to her parents. I thought that was a little too calm of her mind. Oh, I did this wonderful thing, and you know my parents. What? Were, what? No, I, I get, love this scene. Me too. No, the way she said I, it. I took more of her mind. It was like, like she was just resigned to the fact that these are the things she had to do to join Harry and keep her family safe. That yeah. she did them, and she didn't want to do them, and she hated to do it, but she did it. But she did because it had to how be done. I read it. And at least they have a chance now at not being killed. Yeah, I mean, well, let me put it this way: like, like the point where you know, Hermione has given up essentially her parents to be Harry's friend because Harry's in such danger that she needs to spend so much time with them, and she's so focused on what's happening in the Wizarding World, and she's such a big player there that she really, you know, her parents get left behind. It's essentially, you know, it's one thing for your parents to die; it's another thing for them not to remember you. Like, like I, it just seemed like, you know, I, I believe she would absolutely do it, but I would be expecting Hermione to be, like, inconsolable for, like, a week after that, trying to hide that from Harry so he wouldn't feel guilty. It just seemed like she's like, oh, no, you know, we're ready well, to Well, she'd try to hide it, you know, until he started being steep yeah. and heroic, yeah. and then she had to tell him. him. Yeah, it was horrible, because they had to admit, look at the sacrifices we've done. We're actually serious. You're not going without us. Look what we've done here. That's fair. And he needed to be shown. He needed to have it pointed out. Stupid person. Well, you have to realize too that Hermione caught, like forces her parents to forget she existed, and Ron puts the ghoul in his pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he he had a very valid point. I mean, there were too many of the Weasleys to hide them all in the, in the same way. It's just my, right. my my thought when they pop up into the attic and they find the ghoul in pajamas. My thought was, huh? There's a plot device I never thought we'd ever see resolution. I know exactly. <laughs> Well, like, like no, it's the um. What's the thing that Luna always says she's gonna find the um. Trumplehorn snorkel. Yeah, the, yeah, the snorkel. No, the, the the one that Kate just said. Trumplehorn. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, I, like I think you did at one point, Melinda. I love the fix where at the end you actually find out it's been real all this time. It, like, I'm, like I'm waiting for you know the end you know of the series and you find out that the ghoul is really like the missing Weasley that Joe wrote out of the story or whatever. It's like like I thought you were a ghoul all these years. Like I don't know. It just 
They're called thestrals. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they leave that scene when they make the movie, um, the scene uh, at uh, Luna's house when Harry goes up into Luna's bedroom and sees the painting. Uh, oh, yeah, I want the painting. They're called thestrals. Yeah, that's so getting cut. I tried. There. <laughs> Lens is a realist. <laughs> Uh, sorry, but yeah, it's a beautiful scene. But yeah, it'll that's probably not- have just like a picture instead of like <laughs> this big ornate portrait. It'll have you know some kind of a cartoon. Know. Yeah, the house no, of it's a sentimental thing. It's not going to make it into a Harry Potter movie whatsoever. They cut out Mrs. Weasley in the hospital scene. There's no way they're leaving friends. Yeah, picture. I will never forgive yeah. that ever, ever. And that stupid writer is back for six. I know. I'm so upset. Okay. I was anyway. kind of hoping after all the positive feedback on, you know, this movie that they'd say, oh, you know what, Clovis? Uh, yeah, we're done. Yeah, we're going to keep this guy. Yeah. And they even put out a press release saying, good news, he's back. Ugh. I would I be like, yeah. vomit, vomit, vomit while puking. Okay. You just say vomit while puking? Yes, I did. <laughs> Just to emphasize my emphasization. <laughs> I hope I hope that because this director actually seems to know what's going on, that maybe he can rein him in a little bit. Yeah, this guy's yeah, pretty... the direction was a lot better. And write, it was and great. You think he can force him to write, like, you know, complex sentences? <laughs> like, like, Cedric yeah. was Just good. Just take the he dialogue out of the book. That worked fine. Yeah. Cedric was good. <laughs> he was kind to animals. That's what it is. Just take the dialogue out. Ah. Uh, you know, as long as they actually make Dumbledore die, I'm going to be happy with this next one. You think they'll cut that scene? You know, well, it's at the end of the... It's, no, seriously. It's near the end of the book, and knowing the movies, it'll probably be like, and la, la, la through the daisies, and like we see Severus and Dumbledore hug or something. No, it's going to happen, because no, they... That's a big action scene, though, in that, in that book. Well, no, yeah, I don't know. I'm being facetious. Know what they're going to do? Because they're going to really screw. Because they screwed up, I guess, from what you guys are telling me. Sirius's death scene. Ugh. And don't they have him like turn? I liked the aftermath. No, but I have to admit. No, is it true that he turns his head and like yeah. says James and then gets sucked through the veil? No, no, that, it's not no. that. They're dueling, and Harry, you know, casts some spell, spell. And, yeah. and Sirius says, "Nice job, James." And then he like gets they keep it. fighting. Fighting a little while longer, and that's when Bellatrix does the spell. And he's kind of, you know, it's not. But he has got to cadaverous him first. Like we see him die before he falls in. No, he doesn't die right away. The Avatican him, and and he's, he, he, you know, he does a slow motion fall backwards, but he's still, he's not dead. He he takes the time and looks over at Harry, right. So, so but think, I love the Harry scene after with I'm, Remus. I'm just wondering if, like, you know, in, in the sixth movie, you know, Gambon gets hit by the killing curse, turns to Harry, there's a twinkle in his <laughs> eye, and then he goes flipping over the side of the Like tower. the dental commercials. Ding! Gambon hasn't done the twinkle yet. <laughs> there ain't no twinkle there. He's like, silence! <laughs> he goes flopping over the side. Grab <laughs> Harry and pull him over the side of the ledge or something. I know we, we we were talking about this in one of our podcasts, but I'm actually when he dies, and I know this is sacrilegious. I will be in the theater. I am going to stand and cheer. Oh, that would be awesome. I'll be with you. Yeah, if it I'm doesn't at, like, matter because he's back for the whole. Uh, <laughs> you no, know, my favorite part, and I know this is off topic, but my favorite part of the movie is when Fudge comes back and he goes, "He's back," and everyone in the theater literally the theater. goes, "They went duh!" duh. Like the entire theater. Our theater too, Jen. <laughs> 
really? It was yeah. so funny. Our did it too. Duh. Yeah. So, okay. Back to the book, though. Fudge has to be feeling pretty good in this book. They're on, like, their fifth minister, and he's still alive as far as we know. <laughs> he's hiding yeah. under a rock. Oh, what do you think of Percy? Oh, I like oh, it. I'm so glad I turned but he beat up the Minister of Magic. I lo- he's like, Minister, so have I mentioned this? My resignation. Have I mentioned I'm resigning? He like beats the crap out of the Minister of Magic. When he covers up Fred's body with his own, oh. I, I, that's when I absolutely lost it. And like, I'm it was like I don't know five in the morning, and like I was just like I really I let out a keen before I started sobbing. And I was so sure my sister would come in and like go, "What's the matter?" Like seriously, it was like. Well, I can't even tell you. Well, Tina, I could not read. Tina, it's like the thing you were saying. You, like you, you know, you're crying, but you don't want to spoil it for the other person in the room. It was really difficult to be a page or two off from a major death scene and not give it away to the other person. Oh, it was horrible because Samantha was like a whole day behind me or two. You know, she finished it last night, and Mark and I are watching TV last night, and all of a sudden I hear her bedroom door open, and she comes thumping down the stairs, and she's sobbing hysterically. She goes, "Fred, die!" My, my, my son is reading it now, and he's, he's ten. He doesn't. He hasn't reached that. Point. But Fred is his absolute favorite character. My two sons play Quidditch out in the backyard constantly, and they pretend they're Fred and George Weasley. And he's Fred, and he just adores Fred. And so now I'm I keep trying to prepare him. It's like all right, because he won't let me tell him anything. But he was very upset when Hedwig died, and so he. he and I'm like Connor. There are characters that you like that, that do die. You have to remember, it's just a book. These are just characters, and it's just a story. You know, I keep trying to tell him and tell him, but I'm dreading for him getting getting to that part. But it just makes it all the more worse for me to know that there are kids out there oh. who rip these times. <laughs> Sorry, Jenny. <laughs> oh, my God. I just, have to tell, yeah. I just have to tell you, I did get spoiled on one thing from Danielle. I'm, I'm reading the scene when they're taking off from Privet Drive. And the Death Eaters are surrounding them, and they just start, you know, nameless Death Eaters, you don't know who they are, they're taking their little evasive maneuvers here, and all of a sudden Danielle looks at me, I didn't know Voldemort can fly, and I'm like, oh, I guess Voldemort's about to show up, and she's like, I, like, maybe, like, I left the room, and I made this huge stink, it was bad, but... But that never came back, okay, Voldemort can fly, it never went anywhere, it never came back, we never heard about it again. Snape's apparently a bat. <laughs> That's that's another thing. I think that's vague. Now, did Snape actually turn into a bat, or did he fly? I, I like thought a it bat? was just that she, flying he was like flying like Dumbledore and had the. It looked like a bat with his cape billowing. Dumbledore can fly, or did you mean Voldemort? I mean, I'm yeah, Voldemort. Like my Gampin can fly now. <laughs> Didn't you know? Don't give this guy any more power, please. It's killing me. <laughs> just I know we're really jumping around the storyline. There's so many points I want to hit on. What does everyone? What think? did y'all think? No, Sorry, go no, no, go ahead. It's probably what I was about. Say. Ron's desertion. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Oh. Good, good. Oh. I hated him for that. Oh my god! So disappointed in Ron. My book. Jen, I'm sure you loved it. Jen's probably off packing right now, saying, "Jen's never still gonna crying call. because of Fred." She probably put mute on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I'm gonna go get my laundry. All right. <laughs> <laughs> It's very difficult to get through a whole podcast with Jen. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is a, this is a normal week. Um, oh, like, Ron. Well, here's here's the thing. I mean, this actually reminded me. Hearing that Horcrux, and you know, it just—I think it just—it it just 
took all their emotions and multiplied them by a thousand. Yeah. And they were wearing them for like 12 hours at a time. And, oh, you know, ridiculous. it was still horrible. Jules, you're actually going to read, you said, the uh, the Psychic Serpent trilogy this week? I think so, yeah, maybe. It reminds there's a scene, It reminds me of part of that, um, the whole thing with wearing the Horcrux. I mean, yeah, I mean, Jen, if she were here right now, you know, she'd be saying this, you know, probably sobbing a little bit. But one thing she mentioned to me was that um, she thought that the whole theme of the story is, you know, togetherness and loyalty and friendship. And that was just the betrayal of that. My thing is friendship isn't easy and, you know, trust isn't easy and faith isn't easy. I mean, that's more the message I think of the story. So the point isn't that Ron left and Ron gave up on them. The point he is that he came back. That Ron yeah. came back and even he left a little yeah. boy and he came back a man and he couldn't even go home because he knew what everyone was going to give him for abandoning Harry. Yeah. Ever. What was that? So I, had, I like was hearing this from the laundry room and I had to rush back. <laughs> but oh my gosh. I just, I ended the book and so could not forget Ron for leaving. I was, you know what? I think it goes back too. to his insecurities because when, when he comes back, and you know, Harry says, "Well, I thought you knew. I love her like a sister. I thought you knew." And it was like Ron still had insecurities about his worth, and you know, Ron's journey is he's Harry Potter's stupid friend. I mean, that's who he, he has to define who he is. He sees you know Hermione and Harry somehow. You know, hooking. And all I could picture when Ron left is the Harry Hermione shippers are going to go nuts. But uh, <laughs> I did too. I honestly, at that sure point, I was like, I was, I had so given up on Ron. At that point, I really thought he would never come back. Oh, so you know, let me ask you guys this. this. Is, okay, I'm, I, I wasn't even going to mention this, but now that since we're talking about the Harry Hermione shippers, I have to say, whenever uh, <laughs> I think we when we spoke about this today on the the list, didn't we, Richard? I think um, so. When Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> Broke Harry's wand. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we laughing? <laughs> she couldn't handle Harry's she wand. She couldn't handle it. Said, Hermione can't oh handle Harry's God. wand. <laughs> you have to know, though. The, ship right there. <laughs> the women on Melinda's list are just. They're oh my God, I was perverted. dying. <laughs> Melinda, can you send Jen, Jen an invitation to your mailing list, please? This is my kind of talk now. <laughs> His laundry oh sp- spewed everywhere in James. Here's a here's a thing though. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it going back to Goblet of Fire that Ron is the abandoning type of Harry? He's the only one in the trio that's actually left him several times. Yeah, like yes. I really thought at Goblet we'd seen the last of that crap. Yes, he'd so grown up dead. Obviously not. Like he's just Kate's an like overall so predictable. crappy friend. He's so, the worst. The, the, I thought the, he was going to pull pedigree. He's definitely having an influence there too. I mean, it's more than friendship. I mean. Harry, these people are Harry's family, and he abandoned them there. And while he was gone, did he think to bring back anything, I don't know, that might have helped them, like food or, <laughs> I don't know, healing seriously. Could you imagine him showing up with, like, would a remember huge, food? Could you imagine he shows up with a huge Tupperware container of pasta saying, I brought dinner. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Ron tried to turn around and come back the next day. He had already left. And then he tried to come back another time and he couldn't get to them. So it's it's not like it's been, he has been trying to get there and he didn't know the day that he actually found them was the day he was going to find them. Your charms work, by the way. I love that line to Hermione, like, well done. Well, I tell you, when they had Hermione, like, cry in her sleep and stuff, I hated Ron at that moment for her. I hated Ron. And I thought... 
that I would never forgive Ron at that moment. And, and I, I love still that Hermione don't. didn't forgive him right away. She, she yeah. gave him a hard time when he get back. I mean, I think that showed a lot about Hermione's character, that she could have left with Ron but stuck with it with Harry. And I love how Harry had to... Uh, it was almost like political. It's like, how much can I get away with? Because Hermione's the only one left. If she leaves, I'm kind of screwed. Like, like, you know, he, he was trying to like convince her to go to Godric's Hollow without... Well, it's not just that. It's like, and and I think Harry was so accepting of Ron coming back because Harry is used to people treating him like crap and abandoning him, abandoning him, and well, like he, he was two seconds away from drowning him. too, and, Harry, and Ron pulled him out of the the, the pond. So that was probably. But still, I mean, oh well. <laughs> I just I can never forgive Ron. Me either. I'm with you. It's war, and they were in a life or death situation. And and they're saving the world, and it's kind of like the three of them against everyone else. And he is petty and selfish. And I'm sorry, but when you what's that are saying? Well, I know, but uh, so is Dumbledore. I mean, look at everyone. Seriously, people make mistakes. They make mistakes, and then they turn around and 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 it's the ones that fix them, or the ones that come out better for it. Jen, think of it this way: like Harry at seventeen, Hermione at seventeen, Ron at seventeen, Snape at seventeen, Voldemort at seventeen. I guess it's because all these kids don't seem like kids because they have done and they've been together for so much for so long. They've done so much to get you know for the Wizarding world. Like he keeps saving people. Well, not really, but. But Harry does something similar later when, you know, when he, he insists on saying Voldemort after Ron has said, don't say it because it's how they trace you, right? It's, it's a stupid mistake. Well, it's how yeah. they get caught. It's, that's how Hermione gets tortured. Yeah. Oh, my God. That but to was... me, I guess betrayal is just the unforgivable. Well, no, I mean, I don't like, know. there's betrayal and there's betrayal. I mean, but I see betrayal <laughs> as Ron tells the Death Eaters where they are. I mean, this is the, like, it's like, Melinda, it reminds me of what you wrote in The Seventh Horcrux, since we haven't brought that fic up tonight. Um, it, it reminds me of the moment when Harry and Ginny are laying in bed in the hotel room, and Ron and Hermione are laying in the next bed, and Harry's tickling Ginny, and Ron wakes up, and, you know, hears Ginny saying, no, stop, and figures, you know, Harry must be raping Ginny in the bed right next to me, and proceeds to be Yeah, I was like, him. good friend, you ass. Well, no, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> It's true. My point you miss. It's that you know they're tired and they're doing and they're doing this like very long thing and they're at the, they're at their wits end. They're at each other's edge and that is how Ron reacts. He 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 reacts. He doesn't act. He reacts and then he thinks about it. And it was just by the time it wasn't that he was a aban- not abandoning, but it wasn't that he was betraying Harry. He just walked away like I've had enough of this. He walks away. And then he turns around like, wait a minute, what am I doing? But but it's too late by that time. It's it's his way of blowing off steam. And once he gets his head back together, he knew right away that it was the wrong thing to do. It's just it's kind of like the seventeen year old. That's what they do. I think, and I think the thing too. I mean, Grant, like, think about their last fight was was like it was like a teenage fight. It was you know we're arguing over you know it's like one step above does the guy like the girl it's like it's like a, it's a stupid teenage fight this was basically you know are are we going to be able to do you know this monumental mission that we you know set out in front of us like no we can't do it i'm leaving and then he forgets the next day i mean i see the important thing as he went back not that he right. left in the first place i think he came back as a different character and i agree i love the fact that hermione beat the ever-living crap up Oh, since it was mentioned, can we talk about when they're at Malfoy Manor? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, Hermione. 
All right, Jen, you're at Malfoy Manor, I also thought that your husband gave away that Hermione was going to be killed, and I was taking out my hands. <laughs> Jen's off, apparently. Jen's mute, yes. Jen's, I'm still mad at Ron. Jen's, Jen's, like, beating up her husband right now, calling him Ron, and he has no idea what's going on. <laughs> but Poor guy. You get used to it after a while, I'd imagine. Um, my heart was just breaking, and it wasn't hearing Hermione screams, it was seeing how Ron reacted to hearing Hermione screaming and being tortured and it was I just got shivers it was horrible absolutely horrible because you weren't actually witnessing it you were witnessing the reaction to it and you never knew you you couldn't see her you didn't know if she'd be alive when they got back you didn't know what shape she was in you didn't know all you knew was she was in a lot of pain and it was getting worse plus it's the last book I think, like, like everyone had their list in their heads. You know, I think Harry's going to live, and Hermione's going to live, and Ron's going to And, like, you, you get the book in your hand, and you look at it, and you're like, everyone's going to die. <laughs> so you're reading it, and every scene, like, something happens, you're like, okay, this character's going to die. Like, I, I really thought there was no way Hermione was going to walk out of that. I thought that would have been it. And then Harry yeah. would feel guilty for saying Voldemort and causing the whole thing, but... Until Dobby showed up. As soon as Dobby showed up, I knew that he, she was going to be okay. Thank God. And Luna and Ollivander were there? Yeah, as well. And, and Luna had. A, and didn't it seem like you weren't shocked at all to find Luna? It just seemed perfectly. No, normal. not at all. I was like, she was she's there. like, hi. She's I'm like, I, here. I have a nail. Can, can would you like it? Like, <laughs> Mr. Ollivander's been keeping me company. <laughs> and Mr. Ollivander's like twitching over in the corner. <laughs> but yeah, and I, and I even love the moment too, where you know th- th- they get out and they go to save Hermione, and, and Dobby even gets his line back: "You will not harm Harry Potter." Harry Potter. And I'm like, watch out! These people use the Avada Kedavra. We've seen this before. I so what about Wormtail coming unhinged when yeah. she when she saw the um, sword? Oh yeah. At that you point, it kind of clicks for me. She's going to be wonderful in this movie. Yeah. It, it clicked for me when she saw that, the comment she made in um, Order of the Phoenix, when she said, he's trusted me with his most precious, and gets cut off. Yeah. And when she saw the sword, I thought, oh, I bet she, do- I bet she does know about the Horcruxes. I don't know if she knew what she, what she had, just that he asked I kind of think she did. Me. I think she does, because... Because uh, of the panic. Was- it was absolute panic when she thought they had been in her vault. Yeah, but even if Voldemort had just given her the cup and said, this is something very important to me, you need to keep it safe at all costs, that would be enough. To, he wouldn't have to tell her what it is. Just the fact that he gave it to her and wanted her to keep it safe. It was her job to keep one of his possessions safe. She's, a, she's insane. That would, that would be enough for her. Why do we think that Dumbledore was never able to get into that vault before when she was in Azkaban? The goblins are real. Like, real yeah, the goblins aren't going to... They're, they're, not, gonna they're not just going to let anyone in. Because then they wouldn't have gotten to ride on the dragon, and that was cool. That was, that was cool. That was way cool. I was waiting for that moment because I knew it was on the cover of... Um, what cover was that on? The deluxe edition? The deluxe edition. The deluxe, yeah. yeah. US it ha- deluxe. It had to be a blind dragon, too, because there's no way it could be you know, just a regular, everyday dragon. It had to be blind. Yeah, but that's, well, then I mean, it would see them and eat them. Well, that's true, too, although they were hanging onto its back. So, I have a question. We're on covers. Um, the Mary Grand Prix edition, where the... Freaking hell are they? Like, they're, like they're in a in the great hall. That's the great hall. Yeah. They're in the great hall. I think so. So that's the great hall. And, and that's sunrise. the enchanted ceiling. Oh, yeah, the enchanted yeah. ceiling. Yeah. But they don't have excellent wands. No, this is when I think it's when Harry is 
it's at the end. point when when they cast their spells at each other, and Harry is reaching up to catch the Elder Wand. No, tell, remind me how that scene went again because I forgot. It's I pitched that they were facing off with each other, and Voldemort had the Elder Wand, and Harry had Draco's wand, and they yeah. re, and they reenacted the final battle, and the Avada Kedavra was bounced. Expelliarmus. Right, and the Avada Kedavra bounced back at Voldemort. Right. So I didn't picture them, like, reaching out both for the same wand at the same time? No, I think because, like, Voldemort's kind of... It looks like, to me, that this is when Harry expelliarmus him at the same time he AKs Harry, or throws the AK at Harry, and Harry's reaching up. The wand leaves Voldemort, and Harry's reaching up for it. Okay, maybe it's just the way the scene's going. It looks like they're... Yeah, I mean, they're not actually facing each other. I think it's more artistic interpretation here. I have an idea. What's that? Um, I I was just looking at it as you guys were talking about it, and it looks like there could either be people or, like, gravestones in the back, and maybe... I'm just shooting off the wall here, but maybe they're in Godric's Hollow, like, outside, and Voldemort's coming to try to get in, and, like, all the broken wood and everything's from, like, Facilda's house out there. They went smashing around or something like that. Maybe, but... but... But wasn't the Great Hall filled with people? Because that's where... It was. So I think that it's an artistic interpretation that they just didn't want you to know who else was there and who else was still alive, so they grade everybody else out. And where it's kind of circular, showing the sky, which is actually the enchanted ceiling. ceiling. Yeah. And it's that sunrise. It actually reminds me of like a a planetarium almost. I don't think I thought the enchanted ceiling would be that... I love the book. I think artistically, it's just beautiful. I just stared, stared at it for a while. Like this is a good-looking book. Oh, it, it is. just is. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was. Fun. Yeah, I just never connected I actually, it to the. I got both editions. I got the the regular and the deluxe. Mm-hmm. And I was actually disappointed in the deluxe edition. Yeah, I expected more. I guess I don't know. Do you want me to read that? Scene? Do you have any of the other deluxe? Yeah. Do you have this? Do you have the scene? I, I have it right here. Yeah. Read okay. it. So Voldemort does the AK, and Harry says Expelliarmus, and. Uh, Harry saw Voldemort's green spell, green jet meet his own spell, saw the Elder Wand fly high, dark against the sunrise, spinning across the enchanted ceiling like the head of Nagini, spinning through the air toward the master it would not kill, who had come to take full possession of it at last. And Harry, with the unerring skill of the seeker, caught the wand in his free hand as Voldemort fell backwards, arms played. The split, slit pupils of the scarlet eye is rolling upward, and then he hits the floor. Okay, never mind. It's really the Great Hall. It's the Great Hall. Okay. And I just got shivers again. Oh. <laughs> so much for my idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Godric's Hollow. It must be. It makes perfect sense. Okay, can I just tell you that scene at Godric's Hollow? What was her name, the old lady? Bethilda. Bethilda. Yeah, Bethilda. That's going to be the creepiest scene, when she's just staring at Harry but not speaking. Yeah, oh, yeah. Was, yeah, that was creepy. They're gonna the find, they, they, that's going to be a really creepy scene. I, I really, I, I can't look forward to that that scene. I may actually see the seventh movie. <laughs> oh, good gracious, Ryan! Oh, we'll see the fifth movie. I'm going to show up at your door and I'm going to drag you to these movies. I just open my door and some random southern woman grabs me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what scenes have I know we haven't talked about a lot, um, but what made major... the Hollow? Yep. When you know they they find the house and the statue and the memorial and mm-hmm. and his parents. Yeah, I want to talk was, about how mm-hmm. they kept like knowing where to go off a clue that was in one sentence in chamber or something. Like I was like, how do they know to go there? And, and I have to say. 
that for Voldemort to keep all of his Horcruxes in extremely obvious places. Yeah, I mean, he kept <laughs> he kept one in the rumor requirement. He kept one in some random cave no one's ever heard of, and he kept another one in Bellatrix's vault. I mean, and one was that one was with Lucius. One for was a while. with Lucius for a while, and he does say. Towards the end, when he suspects that Harry is hunting the Horcruxes, he's like, he still doesn't get it, that, oh, no one knows. He really thought he pulled one over on everyone, but I guess he didn't realize the lengths that Dumbledore went to to retrieve those memories and learn about his past and was well, that was a huge clue right there, too, because he didn't know about the ring, and if Snape was really that loyal to him, Snape would have told him about the ring. Oh, good point. Jen, you I see didn't that even one think coming? About that. Yeah. Snape is good, and we should bow down to his holiness. Okay, who's picturing George right now? <laughs> <laughs> one scene I just really can't wait to see in the movie is okay, picture Voldemort at Disneyland crunched into one of those little bumper car things, and his like, knees are over his head. I'm picturing Voldemort in the boat. After having learned the lock, and you know Harry's like fortifying Hogwarts, and Voldemort's in the boat, like trying to paddle as fast as he can to get back. To get back. <laughs> He's like, "Damn you, Potter!" And like trying to go fast. Watch that. Maybe a boat flips over. Oh, but the there's magic. He, he just realized the boat to is. take him over, and it sailed over Seriously. very gracefully. And I can see it now. Or maybe he flew there. He'll flip. And he put one of those charms on it that, like those cars, have charms that it was plenty of roomy inside, no matter how small it looked. Yeah, he he doesn't. Go not in comfort. He charms like a little engine in the back of the boat. No, Belinda, why don't they wizard space the boat? What? Why don't they what? Why don't? Why didn't they wizard space the boat? Wizard space. Oh, wizard. Dumbledore. Space. Is that what you're talking about? Dumbledore and Harry. Wizard space fan fiction. Well, maybe that the, they couldn't risk using magic in that room. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jen, that's your noise for you know that's stupid. That's crap. I just don't want to say it. <laughs> Yeah, I have to mention my one favorite part that we haven't talked about at all is while they're on the um while they're on the hunt there and they're living in the tents and Harry's got the Marauders map still and he's staring at Ginny's dot moving around. Oh, I know. Oh, oh. love that! I was like, I, you know, Ginny wasn't in it as much as I hoped, but but she mentioned way more than I expected I was going to get. So I was so happy. I will say that I. I, I love I love Ginny from Harry's perspective. I love the Marauders map, and I love you know like when he's at you know Luna's house. He's not, he hasn't been this close to Ginny in a while. I wasn't very impressed with her character in this. I love the kiss at the beginning. And, oh. like you know what it is? Maybe I've read too much fan fiction where Ginny you know can just take on anyone. But when they get to the room of requirement, everyone says stay behind, and she stays behind. Like Ginny would yeah, uh huh, uh-huh, okay, and just follow them out of the but room. But she didn't stay behind though. She did yes, that. She, she, she just Harry, she though, caved she? in. She caved into everybody when they were there. But the second they were all gone, and then they had to use the room, she was out of there. And they're like, "You stay here." And the, she wasn't there when they came out either. She was in the battle. Right. Although she was there yeah. until they came back to the room. So she and no, it was. I really didn't get that much of a sense of her like later on in the epilogue. So I'm like, Ginny didn't get like that one. Like aside from the kiss, she, she didn't. Get didn't that one. She was the one that led them after the sword there too. That's true. So off page, she was she was doing her part off page. We just didn't get to see it. That's true. Right. That's right. Well, you know, I I'm was thinking- disappointed with the lack of Ginny in this book. Like they, it's. I felt like they, like Joe was building her up, building her up as a character, and this book was a letdown with her character. She had three oddly named children. 
I mean, that's something. Oh, sorry. They were perfectly named names. children. They were perfectly named. Oh, my great. God. Oh, my God. Well, Albus Severus <laughs> just is not. Oh, my God. Her. What's up with Hugo, anyway? There's too is much there any us in that name. <laughs> yeah. What, what's up with Hugo? I mean. <laughs> and Rose. Rosie. Well, Rose is fine, but, like, I just don't see... No, but, like, Hugo I and I thought Rose. of you, Ryan, when I saw Rose. You thought of me? <laughs> yeah, I thought Rose K. Brown. Oh, Rose Secretary K. Privy, Rose K. Brown. Secretary Privy, Rose Secretary K. Brown. Secretary Privy, Rose K. Brown. I got to talk to her. Secretary Privy, Rose K. Brown. I did, too. So exciting. I like to think okay, that, wait, you, go, you know, we didn't hear middle names for for James and, and Lily, Lily, but I like to think we got a James Sirius there. And for Lily, I would love to hear... Or somebody have a right effect with a Lily Frederica, but have every single one of the Weasley kids have a Fred somehow in there and have a oh. portrait of Fred in the house egging on all of his mischievous nephews and nieces. I think that would be a riot. Melinda has to go now because she has to go right there. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't see that kind of fluff in this kind of book. I think that was what the, it felt like reading fluff. You know what I mean? And after it's this dark, ending. horrible, but. Oh, I just oh, I can't even talk no, about it. No, so no. I'll go away when y'all talk about that. That's no, okay. We can we can hear it. Okay, can I say how much I really liked what all of the Wizarding World people did to James and Lily's gravesite with the the letters and the um. I didn't expect that, and I liked it too. I like yeah. yeah. It felt like Lady Diane or some Diana, yeah. Princess Diane. Yeah, it made me think of that kind of stuff. And yeah, I, all I the really stuff like it. That. The monument. Yeah. The monument. Yeah, and it was so touching to Harry. I, I I thought that was such a lovely moment. All right, what do you think with Dumbledore? You know, being from Godric's Hollow too. It felt like fanfic. It did. Yeah, it felt pushing. You know, I love the fact that we had all this great backstory for Dumbledore. It just seemed like a lot of it came out of left field. Although I love the fact that it fills in the story from the end of Half Blood Prince when he swallows the potion and screams, "You know, not them, not them." we finally get to understand what he's experiencing. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that, I thought that was, because I, w- I know a lot of people are trying to figure that out. We didn't know if it was, you know, an attack on Hogwarts or something to do with the mistake he made. So I, th- like, it, it, I love moments when we realize, okay, Joe's had this planned all along. Mm. Oh God, that, Jen, that's your, I want to go to bed noise. <laughs> no, 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 that's my, no, I, I, no, that's not it. That's me flipping through and trying to find the scene where Ron and Hermione are wet and naked. Uh, okay. <laughs> because I feel like we haven't talked about Ron and Hermione enough in this story. The Ron and Hermione moment in the battle. The and Ron's like, but what about the house elves? They don't know. And Hermione's just like, oh, Ron. I like I went, oh, Ron. Do we have to do this now? You were all in a tent together. I just have to mention Melinda wrote that scene, too, about four years ago. Just throwing that out there. I love that Harry is standing there for their first kiss. They were standing there for his. No, they weren't. Well, I'm Yeah, they were. Yeah, they oh, were. not his first, first kiss. With Ginny. Uh, Joe doesn't count. Oh. That, was yeah, like, not, that doesn't count. That was like a kiss. slobbery <laughs> lick. That doesn't count. Oh, I love Ginny. <laughs> <laughs> Which is in the movie. I, I, I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen the movie. Wait till you see it in the movie. Oh, Brian, pretty sexy. Ginny wouldn't let Cho take Harry to the Ravenclaw Tower. Funeral, thank you. I was like, go, oh, Ginny. Yeah. <laughs> and I know we talked about this, but I just saw this page and I and I felt like mentioning it again. That my probably my favorite emotional page of this entire book 
is the part where Hermione is demanding that Harry give her back her wand so she can curse Ronald Weasley's ass. (laughs) She even says it. And I will not calm down. Oh, my God. I was going, yes, Hermione, yes. This is the same Hermione that can't handle Harry's wand, right? (laughs) Are they laughing? She can handle Ron's just fine. Yeah, she can handle Ron's wand, but she can't. She tries to handle Harry's wand, and it breaks in half. Oh, I like that. No kidding. That just says so many weird things about a wand. There's so many wand jokes. It's like the serious joke. I mean, my gosh, this woman knows how to write her smut. <sighs> That's right, Jen. The whole thing's smut if you just read it the right way. I read in the I know. Now, can I just tell you how much I love McGonagall when when we get to I love her. Hogwarts? I love oh. the, I love that Harry curses the Death Eater because he spits at McGonagall. She spit in your face. <laughs> He's turning you into that. a man. <laughs> Before her very eyes. When I first read that, it was like four in the morning, and I jumped up and started yelling. My roommate comes out of his room all tired and is like, "What? What are you doing?" And he doesn't know anything about it, and he's kind of mad about that. But that was the, my favorite part of this whole book, when he did the Crucio on Electo or whatever. Yeah, what's up with, like, the use of the Unforgivables? I know the Ministry's gone, so there's <laughs> a waiver. They're so calm about it, too. But, like, Hermione does Imperio. Harry does Imperio. He does the Crucio curse then. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And, and then McGonagall does Imperio, like, two minutes later. It's like... What? Awesome. I like how they're all That's what that is. Calm about it too. <laughs> yeah. They're not thinking. They're not they're making unforgivable. Unforgivable. Well, war. And I like it because Ray finds Crucio. Crucio. I don't know, but like obviously, I, I I haven't in the wild, but I used to listen to Pottercast religiously, and all I could picture during the first chapter of this book is John Noe going nuts. John Noe. The, the, the Dalish yeah. has such a strong plotline, and I love the part where they're like Harry. When He's Re- named John. Remus John. Yeah, we found out today his name is John. It's John Stolish. Is it really? Yeah, Joe said in an she... interview, they asked, well, what's Stolish's first name? And she thought about it. She said, hmm, I think John would be good. It's John. She yeah. just made it up on the spot? She did. Do you yeah. think she did? she spell And John always posted on Pottercast all about it. He's just in seventh heaven. Yes, well, she named, I think she did after John Noe. Well, like, here's the thing, too. It's like when we find out that it's Remus John Lupin, I, I didn't think John went with Remus. It's like the oh, because Severus just puts a ring to Albus. Yeah, true, but I looked. <laughs> but I looked over. I, I like. I like looked over at Danielle and reading this. I'm like, could you picture if like Snape's middle name was Bob? Like it just doesn't go with the whole field. <laughs> But like, I, but there, there was a line when when Remus was furious with Harry for not using, uh, you know, a killing curse or a very, you know, or a lethal curse yeah, on Stan, yeah. and he's like, Harry, you use Expelliarmus too much. It's become like your trademark. And all I could picture was the, once. was the movie. It was from no, but from the movies, he's like he he Expelliarmus. That's the only spell they use in the movie is Expelliarmus. So I was. Goddamn <laughs> Leviosa. In, in a Pottercast. Yep. They they always talk about how oh Expelliarmus is gonna like defeat the Dark Lord and then it I did. just thought it was and then it, how it does. Well, that was the thing I was laughing at. Is like they she even comments like Harry, you think you're like a little too obsessed with the whole Expelliarmus thing? Okay, like I have to say that I was a little confused with the Clankers plot line. What was that's the way that they control the dragons in Gringotts. Is that it's, it's like how you train dogs? Kind of, you know, you okay, can get them to, okay. to do stuff with a with a whistle. Well, they, the dragons thought any time that they heard that clanking noise that they were going to get 
fortune. Oh, I see. Okay, so that makes got them to back up. That's how Thank they got you. into the vault. Yeah. There's a lot of C words. And then the caros, you know. I'm sorry. I'm Googling John Dawlish right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> just, just go to um, pottercast.com. They ha- he had a post on it today. Sorry to stop the podcast. I just have to see this. Well, no, it's okay. I'm like skimming through the book, making sure that we talked about everything I really wanted to talk about. Well, we have to yeah, talk about, about Neville. The, the, the Pottercast oh, itself. Oh, Neville. The radio show with... Uh, yeah, we have to talk Oh, that was awesome, too. I yeah, love the, that. Uh, that. Potter Watch. Yeah, Potter Watch. See, I'm calling the Pottercast automatically, but Potter <laughs> Watch, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a really good way to get Remus back into it because ever since the coward scene, he's able to basically reconnect with Harry on some level, which... No, is it the last time? It is. It's the last time they... Yeah. Yeah. Because do they ever... They never make it back to... No, the next time he sees them, they're on the table in the Great Hall. No, didn't they ever... When did the... um, When did they go to Bill and Fleur's? Is that... That's already... That's right after... That um, had already happened. I'm sorry. That's after Dobby died. Yeah. Right, that's when Dobby dies. Okay. Actually, no, they hear Pottercast before that, though, don't they? They hear Pottercast. <laughs> We're just going to call it Pottercast. Pottercast, sorry. Pottercast, <laughs> and they're in the tent. No, show. yeah, they hear it in the tent, and then they go to Malfoy Manor, and then Hermione's tortured, and then they go to Bill. Hermione Michelle being Potter. tortured? Oh, my gosh. Gemma's in the laundry room. I know. Oh, she was in her laundry then. Oh, oh I missed it. I'm Jen, so Jen, sorry. Jen, that Jen. was my favorite scene. No, no, let's talk about this because I wasn't here either. Where were I'm you? I'm so sorry. I don't mean to be repetitious. I was, but my only upset about it was that Hermione seemed to get over the torture so quickly. I really wanted her, you know, I wanted Ron to carry her out, you know, sit by her bed and it'll be okay and like touch her hair and like it didn't happen. But that's well, okay. it could have, just not in front of Harry. Harry was a little preoccupied with Dobby at the moment. Yeah. Will you please write? A scene for me, I need it, of Ron sitting next to her bed and them, like, trying to make her better and, like, her, like, you know, shaking and, like, weeping and showing emotion. Screaming, keep it down out there as Harry's building a grave, like, right next to the bedroom window. <laughs> I thought that she yeah. wouldn't been in pain for longer. Like, lingering. Yeah, like, well, I think Harry didn't. The I mean, Harry was Ren. under Christie. Yes, with Voldemort, and he, there wasn't any At the end. lingering. Yeah, he he, yeah. he it didn't. Yeah, where I did think I she was doing that? it. It must be total fan fiction. Seriously. It's completely like, fan fiction. Yeah, isn't that awful? Well, isn't for, that a I miracle? Mean, you're thinking of after the end with the residual, or are you? Maybe. It, I mean, it could be so many fakes that I've read that there's a residual. Heat well, we, I mean, we do know that it it if it, if you're under it for too long, it can do major damage because the long bottoms are in same Mungo. Good point. Still. Good point. Hermione should be yeah, stupider. She, I don't know if she was on the Hermione level. comes out a bleeping moron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hermione's wearing a helmet for the rest of the book. <laughs> I don't know that she was only throwing the Crucio at her, though. I think she was doing the whole world of stuff. Like pulling her fingernails? That was just my impression. Because oh, we don't hello. have a clue. I'm sorry. I know, after I said it, I was like, oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, just ignore me. You know what my favorite scene of this whole book is? What's your my favorite other scene? one? Yeah, yeah, I have like. Besides 13. that one, yeah. Yeah, um, Trelawney chunking her. <laughs> the crystal balls. balls. Oh, that was- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that I was lo- my cheering moment. I love. Well, no, it was. It was in defense of Lavender Brown, who's her favorite stew. That she's like, hey, I've got more where that came from. You know what it is? It's like you never picture Molly Weasley and Bellatrix, and you never picture you know Veneer Greyback and Professor Trelawney. Like it's just like, huh? 
I really liked that. I love that scene. Well, I love McGonagall running through the hallway screaming charge at people. Like at she's the, the desks. And yeah, at the desk. And the desk. Yeah, that's excellent. I, just, I really liked McGonagall's whole sarcastic attitude towards Severus. Well, towards Slughorn. Like, you know, like... like. Oh, I hate him. Well, you know... S-O-B. You know, we will duel to the death. And he's like, what? He's like getting out of bed in his nightgown. I wanted to kick him. Oh, his matching, um, his matching green pajamas. Ugh, I just, ugh. I love Gross. Professor Sprout, like, with the mandrakes. It's like, crap. I'm gonna kill you with plants! <laughs> well, I, I love that. I love the meeting. Grab every plot device we've had from the past seven years and meet in the courtyard in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that they brought out that, what was the screeching thing? The, the mandrakes. The mandrakes. The mandrakes. I love that they brought out the mandrakes. Now, what was up with the spiders? The spiders randomly rebelled and, like, <laughs> carried okay, Hagrid guys. off with them? Oh, and again, we think Hagrid's dead. Oh, yeah, and I'm, and I'm starting to curse Jen again. I'm like, she is gonna die! Yeah, no, it's fine, because at that point, I was positive that Hagrid was dead. Me positive. too. But the man won't die. Danielle actually mentioned the whole Half-Blood Prince, Eileen Prince thing didn't get resolved. I'm like, mwahaha, the prince's tale. And she's like, touche, and that ended that conversation. But... Yeah. I guess I've missed this. I, I can't no, remember. Chair, no, I, I don't think that I could have bought... Because I, I didn't buy into the whole Snape Love Lily thing. But I did in this only because they met before Hogwarts. Yeah. Yes, it made it much kids. more believable for me that that was the reason why. It wasn't that they became friends at Hogwarts and were friendly. And whatnot. It, it was they... He's the one who told Lily she was a witch. I think about, yeah. you know... How Harry felt about Hagrid because Hagrid's the one who told him he was a wizard. Yeah. And then, so they they had a much stronger bond than I could have anticipated. So it it made it much more believable for me as the reason why Snape, you know, turned and why Dumbledore trusted him. I think it was one of the things I read about in fan fiction and believed it. And one of the re- one of the reasons I think that that plot resonated so much with me and it was a throwaway line but it was Petunia's line in Order of the Phoenix that that awful boy that was awful boy yeah was I was thinking I knew him too the awful yeah, boy told us about Azkaban and, and, and it turned out to be sta- and for some reason I just love the fact that Petunia's nickname was Toonie I don't know why. But to I'm, me, I know. I like that, too. That worked well. I'm a very simple person. You know what I mean? Like, easy things just amuse me, and that, for whatever reason, amused me. I, I really like that, and I love the fact that it was the prince's tale that it kept up the Half-Blood Prince, and I lo- and I just, like, throwaway lines. Like, are your parents still fighting? Yeah, but they'll be done soon. It just shows that they've talked about this before, and that Lily was a good friend to Snape, and then you, you obviously get the obligatory scenes where, you know, the Marauders are asses to Snape and asses to Lily, and... You know, what did everyone think of the behind-the-scenes scenes with Dumbledore and Snape that took place, like, during the run of the series? Oh, I wanted to hit Dumbledore. I think that, well, one scene that, I don't know why it amused me, but Dumbledore... It's almost re- like he wanted Harry to take them out of context. I don't... Well, I think for, for, for what Dumbledore needed to happen, he needed Harry to believe he had to die. And for order that, in order for that to happen, Snape had to believe that Harry had that to Harry die. Harry had to die. Because I've read the book once, how much of a requirement was it that Harry freely sacrifice himself? That was I think that, a, was, that was a clincher. The total. That was everything. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, was everything. everything. He, he had to willingly give his life to to uh, to stop Voldemort, and, and that's, that's why he, him. yeah, that's why he you know made sure he couldn't get to his wand easily. 
so that he wouldn't fight back. Nope. Okay. You know, he stuffed his wand down his robe so that he couldn't get to it, so that he couldn't fight back. And that goes back to the whole twinkle in Dumbledore's eye because Voldemort had Harry's blood and the whole protection thing. That, and was, that was Dumbledore's first glimpse of, oh, wait a minute, there might be a way to get Harry out of this, but he couldn't tell exactly. anyone that. The gleam of triumph in his eye. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. Well, Melinda, I'm going to ask you, what did you think of the scene at platform nine and three quarters? Because you wrote practically the same scene. Anyways, I'm curious what your thoughts are. You know what? When those words, you are the seventh Horcrux, the Horcrux he never intended to meet, came out of Dumbledore's mouth, it was an emotional scene. It was Harry had just, you know, given his life, basically. And I was, I was very upset. I was, but then when he said those words, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I didn't know what to do. I was like, no way. Did that just happen? I, I, I read it. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> this seems odd. Well, well, no, because I have to tell you, um, Danielle was a firm believer that Harry was not a Horcrux, and I was a firm believer that Harry was. And, uh, like, I kind of, like, I think you convinced me a little bit of it. And I just looked <laughs> over, I'm like, ha. And a lot of people have said, no, 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 no. And it's like, uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't love. believe it either, even though... Melinda, the way you wrote it, it was completely believable, and I could have bought into it. But as a you know a theory, as far as the you know the the real book, I I was like, no, he's not a Horcrux. He's not. He's not. And when I read that, I swear, I said out loud, oh my god, Melinda and the Muggle Boys were right. I said it right out loud. I'm like, oh my god, they were right. And the people all around you who haven't gone there yet, they're like, what did they say? What did they say? What did they say? What? What? <laughs> Well, I was so bad with the spoilers when people told me who've read spoilers that I would like it. I'm like, why? Did something happen that I wanted to have happen? What did I tell you I wanted to have happen? And I completely over-analyzed everything. But Now, what what was up there with them at Platform 9 and 3 quarters? Was that the piece of Horcrux? The that, thing that, was, that was Voldemort's soul. I, think, yeah, the I thought it was I, the, the, the proto-Voldy thing. The part that went into Harry. Yeah, and, and there was nothing more he could do for it. So it was, it was literally the piece of Horcrux. Yeah, so Voldemort yeah, killed him. Yeah, he killed. He pretty much killed himself, you know, because yeah. he killed that part of that was in Harry. And it reversed right. the prophecy basically. Instead of neither can live while the other survives, it became neither can die while the other lives. Right? Basically, I think. Right. They were they were connected. Exactly. That's why she said she worded it so carefully. That's deep. Because you're. Yeah, they couldn't. <laughs> neither could die <laughs> as long as the other. Yeah. Well, it's one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Voldemort reminded me in this book almost the, like the hostage negotiator with the bullhorn. You have one hour. <laughs> like, like I just, just like I'm like Voldemort doesn't give like an hour. Like what is? I just I I keep thinking of when that scene's over and they ha- he has Hagrid carry Harry's body back out to the school. Oh, that just, was awful. Uh, uh, and everyone comes out. No, no one. I kneeled. loved McGonagall's reaction. Loved McGonagall's screaming reaction. no, and then who was it? Ron and Hermione Jenny and, Ron, and Jenny. Hermione, yeah. No one kneeled, right? Nobody kneeled. No, no I don't think. So. No, it's, it, not that I know. But that's when our boy Neville comes in. Yee, Neville. Jules, did you have any thoughts on Neville at the end? Probably not. Oh, though. Neville! Neville rocks, man. See, I've been saying it for years. Oh, so what a Gryffindor! Up. He pulled the sword out. Yay. Grip hook somewhere is screaming. No, that 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 threw me out of the story for a minute there. Though I was like, "Where's Grip hook? Did he?" Gri- I was thinking, "Did Grip hook all of a sudden?" No, because I think the, the hat was enchanted in such a way that if a Gryffindor needed the sword, it would appear to them. Because I mean, the goblins made the sword, so they feel they own it. But it was really Gryffindor's sword, and yeah. it was, was like the chamber. The hat came down, and Harry needed the sword and it appeared to him and you know when Neville had that hat on his head and Nagini was there and he knew he had to kill Nagini 
the sword appeared to him. That's pretty convenient. Well, where is the sword now? Where do, where is the sword going to go? I'm wondering. Uh, the same place that you know Harry works probably in his future career. The stuff we just don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's somewhere. I think Neville should keep it. Well, Harry got no. it in his will, right? I think it should be at Hogwarts. He'll actually. leave it. Oh yeah, he won't want it. He'll leave it in the headmaster's office. The guards yeah. are going to want it back. Snape was pretty much what I expected because I really I believed that he was good, and I believe he was working for the Order all along. He was a lot more sympathetic at the end than I ever gave him credit for. I never pictured yes. Snape having a Patronus. I didn't get it at all, though. I mean, I didn't get the... I got that he wasn't as as dark as we thought he was, which I expected. I, I, I wasn't surprised at the, the Lily connection, but I still didn't find Snape any nicer than I had no, going into it. I, I think it was, it was the one line he had about using Harry... To Dumbledore, you're using him like lamb to the slaughter or something like that. Yeah, yeah but so did Snape. Right. Snape. Snape tried to save Lily. He didn't care about James and, and Harry. True, but he saw what Dumbledore was doing as using one particular person, like using one particular person for the express mean of a means of accomplishing something, whereas the marauders to him were essentially collateral. He didn't care one way or another. He just cared yeah, about Harry Lily. was a baby. A one year, and what yeah. did he possibly think? That Lily was going to fling herself into his arms and be so grateful that he spared her life when he let her one-year-old child get killed and think that she was going to love him for that? I'm sure he wasn't. Like, like I'm sure... Like, it, it, it's not logical what he was thinking, but... I think that, and, and Danielle put this really well in the forum the other day, Snape, I think, has the hardest existence of any character. He literally has to work for both sides every day convincingly against people looking for him to make the slightest mistake. And even going through all that, he still manages, after Dumbledore is gone, after you know he kills Dumbledore and he's on his own and he doesn't have to do it anymore, even after all of that, he still helps Harry. And think about the scene when Sna when Voldemort decides to kill him. All he says is, I need to get to Harry. I need to get to Harry. Let me talk to Harry. Because he knows he needs to relay th that information about Harry being the last Horcrux. And he also needs to relay the information so someone will know that he was actually working for the good side so his sacrifices wouldn't be in vain. So I I don't know. I think that I came out of the, the, this story a lot more sympathetic to Snape, even though he's an ass to kids and like, like he's not a nice, likable guy. He's not a nice person at all. He's not a nice but, person, no, but I like. Not, and I can understand that. The, yes, he was working for the good side all along, but I, I suspected that, so it didn't it didn't jar me. But then I kept like uh, he was so bitter towards James. But the way I see it, James in the end he didn't let. Remus kill him as the werewolf. He went in and stopped that. He he saved Severus's life. Mm -hmm. But in the end, in in turn, Severus didn't do the same for James. He let James just go. It was Lily he tried to save. The whole memories thing made me like Snape just because when Lily is asking about if it matters that her parents are muggles and he said no, like that, I don't know why, but that just made me like him so much. And during the contemporary story, like, during the actual story itself, he won't let someone use the word mudblood. Yeah. See, me, um, I don't know, Melinda may remember this, but I've always harped on Snape about how I liked him. He was always my favorite character because he was so complex and you never knew. 
but for the fact that he was always on the good side, to me, that takes a little bit of the edge off, and he's not, I mean, I still like him a lot, he's still my favorite, but he's not just, he's not as awesome, or I don't know how you want to describe it, but he's just, I don't know, it took a little bit off the top for him, for me, because he was actually doing it for a good reason, instead of his own Did reasons. it really, Richard? Yes. <laughs> you didn't own up to that on the list today. Someone's going to get... Kind of makes me sad. <laughs> It's like my emo Harry Potter moment right there. I was like, oh man, I wanted I wanted him to be in it for himself, not to because he had some thing or I don't exactly know how to describe their relationship with him and Lily. But His I, Petronius is a doe. That probably didn't help you either. I, come on, what is that? Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. I have a question, and I just have to ask this: When Aberforth reveals that his Petronius is a goat, did anyone else think of <laughs> Bernard the goat? Yes. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, I laughed out loud. <laughs> what kind of charms is he putting on a goat? I wonder. I, think oh, I don't even want to go there. I, I love we, how that. I think it's all back. to the imagination. I think we have a vague idea of what he did to the goat. Yeah. yeah but that's just. Ah. It's PG rated. It never, it never stays that way though. It doesn't. <laughs> don't fight it, you know. I just can't think of what you could do to a goat that would just. <laughs> I'm gonna save us right now. Hey, Melinda, you guess the. T- Can I just tell you there was absolutely no suspense in the tiara scene for me? I'm like, oh, the tiara. And I look at Danielle. It's up in they the room. They started hinting at that well early on, though, when I was go. I was cheering. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, at, um, at Luna's house with um the yeah, with the, yeah. and it, it yeah. just that tiara kept coming back. Even Auntie Muriel kept commenting on it. She fixed it on Fleur's hair. It just kept coming up and up. Was and up. it referenced at all previously that it had anything to do with Rowena, or did you just guess that whole thing? Was there any canon basis for that, or was that just a really good guess? It had to be Gryffindor or Ravenclaw's, and Ravenclaw was the woman. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm confused about something. What's um, that? Are we talking about Muriel's TR or the the one that's in the, the uh, Room of Requirement? The Room of Requirement. Okay. But the fact that a, the a fact tiara that it was a tiara. Because I got threw off and I was okay. Yeah, there's two, it's two different. Proceed. Two different tiaras. Yeah, no one's confusing. There's three different lockets and two different tiaras. I'm like, what? <laughs> and two different swords. We have one diary, one ring, which has two purposes. It's, it's very confusing. About 50 Pufflepuff cups after that scene and Gringotts, that but one. I guess they go away. That burn. I liked how the sword was the one that was able to destroy the Horcruxes. That way, all four of the items from the founders were all used in this whole thing still. And Harry, right. didn't, and Harry didn't do it alone. Everyone destroyed one. Yeah, Harry destroyed... No, what was it Harry? The diary. The, the, diary. the diary. Yeah, Harry got the diary. Ron got the locket. The locket. Uh, Hermione got the cup. Uh, Voldemort got the piece in Harry. Dumbledore got the ring. Uh, Neville. Neville ne- got Nagini. Neville got Nagini. Crab got the um, uh, tiara. tiara. The tiara. Is there anything and else? And Voldemort himself got Harry. Yeah, the, the piece in Harry. And then and Harry got... Well, Harry got too. Harry got, you know, Voldemort himself. Yeah. Voldemort kind of killed himself. That was I mean, it rebounded back on him. I thought, you know, that it kind of had to be that way. Kind of going back to the beginning. That's what happened in the beginning. You know, when the curse rebounded on him. Just don't shoot yeah. Harry. It's bad luck. I'm sorry, Richard, what are you saying? <laughs> it's, it's okay, no worries. Uh, I just thought it was kind of weird. They had a whole build-up how Harry was going to have to go through and get all these things, but in the contemporary search, not going back to the actual diary itself, but he, like, he didn't destroy a single one in this book. I mean, I was, you know, that's kind of threw me, but 
I guess that comes back to the point of needing her friends and what have you. Yeah. Although, for some of it was convenience sake. Like, Hermione destroys the cup off screen, and... I have a question. Did anyone think that was a great plot hole that they had... She, Joe had to get Ron and Hermione down to the Chamber of Secrets, so they just had Ron talk, like... That was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, mom, 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 and the thing better. opens up. <laughs> I think it would have worked better if somehow the cup that was still a horcrux had come into play, because Ginny did the same thing when she had the diary horcrux. Yeah. So I think it should have had something to do with the fact that he had the Horcrux with him, or he was holding it or something that, that helped him able to do that. Yeah, because it's like, he's like, I remember, I kind of remembered what Harry said six years ago, so I just kind of mumbled in front of the thing. No, well, you know what, was, though? And I think this was on the MuggleCast um, uh, discussion of the book, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but they did, in it, when they said it, it, I did remember that throughout this book, Ron does mimic several people. So there was something established that he could mimic voices. That's right. He did do that a couple times. Oh, yeah, yeah, he mimicked... Who did he mimic? He mimicked... Um, something on the Pottercast, I think he did it very well. On the Pottercast, on the Potter just watch. Let it go. Just let it go, Melinda. Just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be a nod. That JKR was definitely giving that a nod. That would be cool. That would be... Umbridge. We forgot to talk about Umbridge. Oh, God, I hate uh, her. I hate her. I don't even want to go there. I thought that was too... I, you know what it was? I really thought Madungus had the locket, and that was what you know he was trading to Abe in, in book six. I thought that was just an excuse to get Umbridge in there so he could play around with her for a couple scenes. But she had Mad-Eye's eye on her door. That oh, is oh, so awful. I wanted to vomit. Oh. And God knows what they did to Mad-Eye's body, because obviously they got that too. It was just... Yeah. I and looked. they took his eye. It's like just the desecration of it. Yeah, it's, it's just horrible. How many does Harry bury during the course of this book? Oh, God. He shows respect. He does. He buries... He should. He's burying... He's a it. very strange wizard. Well, he, he, he buries Mad-Eye's eye, and he buries um, Dobby. Unfortunately, he did blow up Hedwig. That was unfortunate. <laughs> well, Hedwig, you know... Yeah, exactly. There was nothing he could have done for Hedwig. And it was Hedwig or himself at that point, and I think Hedwig would have... That's what Hedwig would have done. Wormtail <laughs> killed himself. <laughs> that was kind of anti-climatic. Have you been on mute all this time? Well, I left the speaker on because I'm enjoying listening, but I'm kind of folding clothes. Uh-huh. And like I was like crawling over the cl- clothes and going, Oh, Hedwig, he didn't get cremated. <laughs> I'm sitting here in this room that's my children's. They have their video games and their homework desks in this room where I'm sitting. My son went to a craft show, a wizard's workshop this past week, and he made a little Hedwig, and it's sitting here on the desk looking at me, and it's killing me. I have a question for you parents. Um, the books, obviously, you know, with Sorcerer's Stone and everything, it started off as, you know, pretty obviously a children's novel, but as it gets older, it's coming to death, torture, and mild sexual innuendos. I mean, I know it's really off topic and I apologize for baking it like that, but I mean how do you how do you I don't know, I can't even think about how you could get your kids to understand or just even to I don't know, let them watch it because it's gonna be hardcore like in a theater if they unless they take all of it out. My oldest is fourteen and so he he started reading these when he was, I don't know, seven or eight, I guess. They started reading it in school. And um so I think he's perfectly he's mature anyway and so I'm not worried about him at all. My six-year-old yeah, my, is like obsessed, not as much as me, but 
You know, he wants to see the movie with the small snake, that's the first movie, and the movie with the big snake, and the movie with the Dementors, and the movie with Dragon, you know, and so he's going to be the hard one for me, I think. Because wasn't, because he, was he the one who saw the fifth movie with you when he was like crawling all over you because he was Yeah, he was in my lap. It was much, it was much better watching it yesterday when I was by myself. I could actually. My oldest son, he's 10, he's seen them all, but I have a seven-year-old who, He's seen the first three, but I haven't let him watch four, and I I, I didn't take him to five either. I, I I don't think they're ready for that. Yeah. My mine are a little older. Um, Samantha's fifteen, and so I don't think that's so much an issue for her because it's contemporary for her. Yeah. Right. Um, my twelve-year-old daughter, eh, she's not as much into it. She watches the movies. Um, and, you know, even just this week, she said, you know what, I can't read those big books, Mom. You know, they're too intimidating for her. So I'll probably read them with her, which I think then if those things come up, you can talk about it. Because I read all, all of them to Samantha up through Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And then she read Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows on her own. So I'll probably do the same thing with Shannon. And, cause, you know, she's 12. So by the time we get up to the sixth and seventh book, it will be more contemporary for her as well, probably. Right. I mean, she watches the movies and she goes, but she's not as, um, you know, she doesn't know all the, the finer points. I'm sure I'll see the movies at some point. I'm 26. <laughs> <laughs> You're like so, 50. I just saw Order of the Phoenix. Good movie. Too much pink. Yeah, that was really creepy, by the way. I know we're not talking about the movie, but then all those cats, it was just driving me batty trying to... Hmm. I mean, they make their reappearance in her office at the ministry. Yeah, her office yeah. looks just like it did at Hogwarts. She doesn't die in this one. I have to say, Melinda, you know, I know it was harder than you letting, you know, Umbridge <laughs> off easy than Seven Warcrafts, but this was ridiculous. Oh, maybe yeah, she I... does and we just don't see it. Oh, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm, the Dementors I'm get gonna her. Pre- well, you I'm know, in the, in the died. thing she said today, um, in the um, Hogwarts of History thing that she's writing, we are going to find out what happened to a lot during the the reconstruction so hopefully we'll find out something juicy happened to her i have a question for you for fanfic authors because i know you know especially you jules and melinda you you like to stick to the canon whenever possible what are you going to do if she writes you know a story which basically says you know harry potter 1981 to you know 2100 you know here's all the kids he had blah blah blah. like do you think that's gonna block you in nah no you'll be fine well see i write neville i don't think she'll She'll do that so much either. I mean, we already we got the epilogue nine years later. He had three children, so that it's she still left that wide open. But I think we'll find out a lot about the other characters that we didn't. Yeah, know, I think the like some of them. We don't even know if they're dead or alive. Dean Thomas. She's mentioned that before that there was a whole subplot where Dean's father was a, a wizard. You no, know, he was Let's a wi- no, he was a wizard who wouldn't go to Voldemort's side, and he was killed. Right. Yeah. But his parents right. never. He, and his mother, and Dean never knew that. I think, if I'm remembering that correctly, mm-hmm. which is why he was raised Muggle. Right. I really thought Dean was cool in this book too. I, I was treated Dean, and I like the little Dean Luna subplot. Yeah. Dean ships Luna. Mm. I, I don't lo- think I could write that one. I don't know if I could write it, but I'd, I'd love to read some. I, I love Luna. I love uh, Luna too. She's been like in. Je- she's been in. You know torturous jail with Mr. Ollivander for weeks. She's like, bye, Mr. Ollivander. <laughs> it's just like this. It's like she came over like to just spend time with him for the day. I just thought that was hilarious. She's know. awesome. I love her. Yeah, then it was funny. I'm trying to wrap my mind around, is there any plots we haven't discussed yet? And I was coming up empty, then I'm like, oh yeah, what's everyone think of the Deathly Hallows? 
Oh. <laughs> it was not at all what I, I expected. You thought it was the Horcruxes? I thought they were the Horcruxes. I thought they I were thought the Horcruxes. That they- I thought that they would be something like opposite to a Horcrux. Kind of like the way Harry would go beyond the veil and be able to come back, but not so much. Well, I think they came out to be different um, methods of Harry achieving his goals. He could either increase his own power or he could take power away from Voldemort, and that was the decision he had to make. That was the choice. That was the choice. I like the part where they're finding out about them, and when they each have to define what they think is the most important hallow. Each of the trio says something different. different Something different. Harry says the stone. um, Hermione says the cloak. And Ron says the wand. Yes. Yeah. I believe. Exactly. Yep. Hey, good for me. Well, it shows their personalities. Yeah. And what's important to each of them. Yeah, Harry's bring back the dead. Hermione's go hide. Ron's beat the crap out of them. What do you guys think about this? Uh, I saw a thing on Wikipedia where they have like a huge family tree from the Peverell brothers. And the Potters come from Ignatus, and the Slytherins come from one of the other guys. I know it's crazily distantly, you know, related or whatever, but basically they are. It's like, I'm talking about thousands of years, so I mean, it's got to be a long way, but I don't know if that was, I just found that really awkward. So, whatever. What was the, (laughs) well, they had said that before too, that all the purebloods are are related in their together at some point. But that, yeah, yeah Voldemort and Harry Voldemort. ultimately were descended from the same, from brothers. Same family, yeah. The Peverells. Cousin Barney. <laughs> Barney. <laughs> Who else is thinking of Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch? <laughs> I loved that Harry finally got to be a Weasley. Cousin Aww. Barney. <laughs> that was a great scene. I loved it. Aunt Muriel. <laughs> I'm trying to think what... I'm flipping through my book now because we're going to get off here and be like, we forgot to talk oh, about... Oh, yeah, we forgot to... St- I'm sorry. What, what about the um, the DA at Hogwarts while Harry and... That's what I really wanted. I think Melissa Ranelli said it on Pottercast. You've heard the Pottercast, right, Melinda? You've heard yes. it? Yes. Okay. Um, I, I'm kidding. Um, she mentioned at one point she wanted during the final battle, you know, everyone to grab their wands, point them up and say, for Dumbledore and charge in together as Dumbledore's army. I love the fact that Dumbledore's army was still there. And yeah. you know, it was still going to fight and it wasn't going to Whenever happen. they were all showing up in that room, just one after the other, it was like, yeah. yes, yes, it was a great scene. And that's something that I'd, I'd like to have seen. I know why we didn't see it, because we couldn't see it, but it's something that will be really fun to write, I think. You know, I'm, that's so that's the fan fiction I'm looking forward to. The year at Hogwarts? Yeah. Are you writing it, Jules? I may be writing some of it. Well, Neville, and I'm assuming Neville will feature prominently. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're like, this is my dream come true. Thank you, Joe. It was. <laughs> he, li- he lived and he was badass, man. <laughs> I, I, I just, I just, you know, was he carrying Dennis Creevy fireman's lift through the castle? Or not Dennis, Colin Creevy? I uh, don't remember. Oh, wasn't that uh, um, Oliver Wood? That was Oliver Wood. Yeah, that was okay. Oliver. Yeah. It was just it was just Wood. It was just Macho Neville marching around the, the castle just carrying it. I don't know. He was. Neville was their leader. Although the the photo in the in the chapter I that that isn't what I picture Neville looking like. Yeah. Well I think we're we're getting near the end here, guys. Does anyone have anything else they want to throw out there before we I mean I think the epilogue I thought was the only thing just the epilogue real fast, the only thing I really found really relevant in the epilogue, because I think it was a lot of fluff was it conveyed that Harry had not only forgiven Snape, but he respected him and probably respected him more than many other people just for what he was able to tolerate during his life. I thought that was 
a really good moment for Harry and a good turnaround. I mean, we can debate whether or not Snape was a nice man or, a, you know, doing what he had to do, but... Well, he wasn't a nice man. Well, he definitely wasn't a nice man, but I think... Well, it, there was a lot of, again, quiet throwbacks to other books still, again, in that, that final scene. Like, Harry's middle son, the one that's going, is the one that looks the most like him, they said, so it's a little Harry, and then Malfoy's son, and you can get the hint there that, that we might be going into another rivalry coming up. We had the little girl chasing the train saying goodbye to her brothers again. There, there was a lot of, um, yeah, it, it's like here we go again. Malfoy's balding. Okay. Malfoy's receding hairline. Or Draco. I wanted, um, I wanted Lily, Harry's daughter, to have his eyes, so it would be another Lily Potter with red hair and green eyes. I wanted that. Did they say what color eyes Lily had? Yeah, they said it. Well, that Albus is the only one with the green eyes. So Lily's a little Ginny, then, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And James is a mix. And Ron and and Hermione have a son named Hugo. Hugo Weasley. What? Well, and I want to know what his middle name is. Popular name in Britain. And Harry's a godfather. Yep. Oh, Teddy. Teddy Tonks. <laughs> or Teddy Lupin. Teddy Lupin. Oh, what did I say? Okay. Sorry. Well, he was raised by the Tonkses, so maybe... No, never mind. A Tonks. Well, he was raised by Mrs. Tonks. That's what... I think we're guessing that. That wasn't put in there, but are we guessing that? But he, Yeah, but he was living with her at the time of, of when his parents died, so I'm assuming that he stayed there. That's true. Yeah. Somebody, somebody on my list pointed uh-huh. out today that, that when... when <laughs> When his parents died, Harry's only 17, so, I mean, it'd be really inadvisable for him to take care of him, and the only other person would be Andromeda, because she had nobody left. Oh, I think that yeah, was me. and it couldn't have been Harry anyway, because they said something about him coming over for dinner three or four times a week or something, so, yeah. so yeah. he right. couldn't have lived there if he was coming over for dinner. Plus, at this point, he's 19 years old, so he's a man. Sneaking onto the Hogwarts Express. <laughs> I, from a guy's point of view, I thought that was awesome. To kiss his... <laughs> Step cousin, but whatever. Well, no, they're not related at all. No, they're not related at all. Well, uh, that's true. They're not related at all. That's true. And actually, yeah, she's she's Bill and Blue's daughter. She's Bill and Blue's daughter. And okay. Yeah, she's Blue and Bill's daughter. But Flo- I'm sorry, I'm confusing. I'm confusing the seventh Horcrux. She wasn't pregnant in this. Show. Okay. <laughs> Damn you, Melinda! This one. Good like, that doesn't make any sense. Why is she on the Hor- Hogwarts Express? She'd be graduated by now. <laughs> So, and yeah. Gabrielle was 11. I saw that. I'm like, ah, I got it. <laughs> you got it, Melinda. Did we count the stuff that Melinda got right? Jesus Christ. I was, like, shocked at how much was right by, like, the fifth chapter. <laughs> like, there were just, like, the stuff. Tiara, the, like, tiara, oh my God. the tiara was big. Although, when they slept in tents, I did laugh at Melinda. I'm like, ah, she said The tent? <laughs> yep. <laughs> she said there wouldn't be tents. We know who the real Bloomsbury hacker was. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Whole thing's been a Oops. ruse. Whole thing's been a ruse. Oh no, I've been found. <laughs> They'll never trace us to this. It's not like we're recording this entire conversation. <laughs> Does anyone have anything else they want to say, or should we just give our final thoughts on the book? Book was the best, and it was amazing. I loved it. So I'd had only disappointment I had was the lack of backstory on Teddy after he grown up. But other than that, I had nothing terminally wrong with it. Awesome. I liked it, but um, I don't know. It might so up until this point, I think my first, my favorite book was Order of the Phoenix, and a lot of that, I'll it's it's Neville, you know, it, because he really grows in that book. And part of why I really like this one is 
his Neville again. But this one really made me really like Harry. And I'd liked him before, but he was like a second my second favorite and he's he's running neck and neck with Neville now after this. Wow. So gave it, I gave it two thumbs up. That's that's imp- from usuals, that's impressive. I'm a yeah, little, yeah. I'm a little I'm a little nervous right now. I'm a little nervous. I loved it. I got exactly what I wanted. I'm I'm very, very happy. No kidding. <laughs> I loved it. I wrote it. <laughs> my I remember thinking when I finished it, it was horrible and wonderful and angsty and scary and heartbreaking and it was everything I hoped for and more than I expected. I personally think that there were so many scenes in the book that were exactly what I hoped they, were, they would be and it took me a while to realize hey this isn't you know someone else's theory this is actual canon now. There were a few, exactly. there were a few more moments like that I wish were in there. My best case scenario would be 15 of those moments. I think I was expecting two. I think we got seven or eight. So it definitely surpassed my expectations. I really wish it went a little bit more, but it, it, it was the last book. It closed down the story. Um, personally, I'm not upset that there was a lot left out because I think Joe will fill us in with the encyclopedia or just with fan fiction. I'm going to get that anyway. So I'm not. I like the fact that there were some doors left open. And. Um, it's my favorite book. It was my favorite reading experience. And any book that has Molly Weasley fighting, you know, Bellatrix to the death and has Creature as Alice on <laughs> the Brady Bunch, I, I, I can't help but love. So I definitely love this one. She really did put, like, a lot of references, I think, to the fandom. It's almost like a... Yeah, I do. I think, that. like I said, I thought Order of the Phoenix gave a lot of little nudges to, to the book readers, you know? Yeah. A little, few little high fives in there. I really think this book had a lot to the fandom in there. Yeah, it's like her victory lap of saying goodbye and acknowledging. Yeah. Like, there's no way Dollish was in there that much, if not for John Noe. I'm sorry. She knows. I couldn't help but giggle every time his name came up in the book. I'm like, did she... Was he supposed... <laughs> was that really going to be Dollish or some other nameless aura before that, you know? Yeah. Dollish got beat up by Gran. Come on. That was awesome. <laughs> Gran was awesome. Oh, yeah, great. Gran was great. Has, they, has anyone seen my signature on the forum? Yes, and I yeah, Molly to, for president. I'm going to let you know that that was just perfect. Molly Weasley, Molly if you Weasley haven't seen it, Molly Weasley for president, Grand for vice president is my. Uh, it wasn't my favorite book. My favorite book will always be Goblet of Fire. Okay, but I think it's my second favorite. It reminded me so much of such a fiction, especially Melinda. You know, I was like having major deja vu during the whole book, but I liked that, I think. And I liked it as a whole. The Hallows, I I don't know, that was kind of random. I liked that there was a lot of Bellatrix because she's my favorite character. And I like how apparently she's a bitch. And. You didn't know? (laughs) Well, she's a bitch that I love a lot. But, um, she's mean. I mean, she was crazy. I knew she was crazy, but that that's, like, my favorite line. And I think it's funny how the two most emotional parts of this book were a house elf and an owl dying. And that was really good. And I just, I like it a lot. Oh, I did cry a lot, too. What's up, Melinda? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Kate. I realized we, the most emotional no, part I thought of the whole book was Harry walking to his death with his... His parents? Parents there. We, we skipped that whole part. Joe said that that was the emotional part she kept talking about where she bawled and bawled and bawled. It was whenever he got that information and then just laid his head on the floor, I lost 
that completely. Yeah, I had to close the book. Yes. I oh, oh I can't do this. Yeah, I just I walk saw away through that it. entire chapter. I don't think I stopped. No, I, I could. I was like, oh, please don't do this to me. Yeah, I just bought the audio book today because I like to listen to them at work. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to, like, not listen to that part while I'm there where people, because I'm, I'm going to be sobbing. I'm going to be sitting oh, I there. I was blubbering sobbing. when he was asking if it was going to hurt and told his mother to stay close to him. And I was like, oh, please, my heart can't take this. <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry. I didn't want him to be a horcrux. I take it back. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know. And yeah, I thinking, it was oh different because I, I knew I would never kill him. I didn't know that she wasn't. I didn't, you know, and he really thought he was going to die, too. It was horrible. No, at this scene, I seriously bawled. Oh, Jen, how you doing? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forgot That's about you. Talk about crying. <laughs> no, I've been listening and, like, laughing and, like, but this scene, I had to say that I could not read. I, this is when I literally put the book down and just sobbed when the parent, you know, and he's asking if it's going to hurt and... Uh, Oh my gosh, I love this book. I thought you hated this book. <laughs> yeah, I hate it too. It's a love-hate relationship. Simultaneously? <laughs> yeah, it's just like any kind of relationship. Only I have certain violent thoughts about it, but you know. All right, Jen, your, your final thoughts on Deathly Hallows. Go on record. My final thoughts? Yes. I loved the book. I loved that it was actually a character book. It was emotionally traumatic. Um, there was lots of angst, which, of course, is always a good thing in my book. The only thing that made it sad for me was that it ended and that the epilogue happened. But everything else was extremely wonderful in my book. And, um, you know, I, I love that Hermione and Ron finally got their moment, even though I felt that it was a little short. But I loved it. And I love knowing the i love knowing that harry and jenny and ron and hermione all get married but um i didn't really care about the details very much but um and uh you didn't care about the details yeah i would have i would have been perfectly fine had had joe said um they got married and they had kids and you know it was lovely life and and without going and naming them all and making them actual characters because i didn't care about them and i can agree with that yeah and I really liked, um, I actually really liked that Remus and Tonks died and left Harry in the position where he was, like, serious. Only he could be in the position where, um, you know, he could take care of Teddy from the beginning and he could, you know, be there. And, and it, it was kind of like the whole book, the series to me, in so many ways was like a circle of tragedy. And with this book at the end, it felt finally like um, like the circle got cut and there could be a future. And mm-hmm. although ties were, were severed, um, it, it will never be forgotten. And so I really, that's what I really liked leaving this book. So anyway, that was my two cents about it. She likes it much better today than she did on Saturday. <laughs> I told you. I, I just needed a few days to mourn. You know, and and when I get emotional, I can't figure out how I feel. It's awful, and I don't know if it's just me or if it's a girl thing or if it's just me. But I do. I get all bubbled up inside, and 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 it comes out as lashing out anger. But really, it's just I'm I'm broken inside, and, <laughs> and I need a hug. And, and 
need a hug in a couple of days, to, and then I'm completely over it, and then I go all and have all moments. So, well, I think we're pretty much uh, about done here. So, all right, good night, everybody. Have a good night. Bye. Night. 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 And we're back with Mac and Danielle, and it is now Thursday evening. So it's been it's been five days since the release of Deathly Hallows. We've all had a chance to think about it a little bit more. Uh, Joe's come out with a few interviews telling us that apparently Hermione is a high-profile trial lawyer, which didn't see that one coming, but, you know, whatever. Luna also doesn't wear shoes, apparently, so check that one out. And uh, what we're going to do with this part of the podcast is just get a little bit more deeply into the book itself um, and less about the reading experience and more about the themes and how this book fits in with the others and all that good stuff. So, Danielle, why don't you start us off today? Okay, well, um, one of the major things that stuck out for me and that I was hoping to get other people's opinions on was the way she dealt with the whole concept of death. Like, we've known throughout the books that Voldemort's biggest fear is death. He goes out of his way to find ways that he will never die, and, you know, he splits his soul. I mean, he does all these really dark things. And what we see in Book 7 is Harry unbeknownst to him and without him really even trying, he becomes the master of death. And she does that, obviously, like through the story of the Deathly Hallows with the wand and the cloak. And I just found it so fascinating because Harry was able to do what Voldemort never could, and Harry didn't even want to do it. And he's able to defeat the darkest wizard ever by just being unafraid of to die. Like, Harry just marched into that forest. He wasn't, I mean, he was afraid, of course, but he was going to do it. There was no doubt in his mind that he was going to walk in that forest and he was going to face Voldemort. And he knew he was going to die. And to me, that was just so important to the story that Harry, in the end, was the master of death. And, you know, that's how he got over Voldemort. So I just wanted to get see what you guys thought about that, if you had anything to say on it. I think it's really interesting that the way in which Harry masters death is not through fear. He doesn't fear death, and it's only when he's prepared to accept his own death that he finally becomes the master of death, which is something that Voldemort never quite gets a hold of because he's always afraid of his own death. Um, Even through instilling fear in others, he's never able to completely conquer and control the wizarding world. Um... I like the way in which she portrays not just Harry's view of death and Voldemort's view of death, but also Remus and Lupin, Dobby, Hedwig, um, Fred, and all the other characters who die throughout the book, that death is a natural part of life, and that even though we don't always expect it and it is normally a sad thing when it happens, it's something that must happen in order for us to be able to really live. And when Harry finally accepts his own death and is prepared to face his own morality, he's able to defeat Voldemort and ends up living at least 19 more years. Um, so I like the way that accepting death is actually a part of life, is what I took from that. We're going to assume that Harry doesn't fall off the train tracks right after, you know, all is well. We're going to assume everything was fine there. Um, I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure sure he makes it through the rest of the week. Yeah. Yeah, when you look at this book, this book is the one that really delves into into death the most. And it's probably the book that comes the closest 
to really getting to religion, what happens after we die. And I think that Joe meant that to some extent. I know she was asking about her own personal religion, and she wouldn't answer it because it would cause people to read too deeply into the last book and so forth. In terms of Master of Death, I know that was written on James and Lily's uh, tombstones, and I know that um, the person who holds you know, the three hallows is seen as the Master of Death. From a plot perspective, I was actually a bit confused by that because it doesn't really imply what would happen to someone who, you know, is it something, you know, Voldemort wants immortality. So if he gets, you know, his seven horcruxes and hides them away, he's effectively immortal. And, you know, the, the, the Sorcerer's Stone, you know, is the elixir of life, you're immortal. I don't know from a plot standpoint what would happen to someone who was able to possess all of the allies. I would surmise you would be, you, you would have the ultimate stealth, you would have, you know, the ultimate power through the wand and the ability to, you know, bring the dead back. So you'd be essentially extremely powerful. What I think the story of the Hallows tells us, and I think it's echoed by, you know, who Harry is and how he relates to death in terms of, you know, how Voldemort relates to it. The Hallows are something that are very alluring and almost addictive. You see Dumbledore, you know, as an old man, become fatally wounded when he forgets himself for a moment and tries to possess the Hallows. Because, he, you know, the man who has said, you know, many times that death is but the next great adventure is so you know, willing to bring his sister back that he puts a horcrux on his hand and he kills his arm and infects his body with dark magic. You know, it's in even Harry, when he finds out there's Hallows, you know, he, he desperately, you know, wants them. He won't hear of the Horcruxes anymore and he's plotting behind Ron Hermione to get these Hallows. And I think it, the battle of, you know, life or death comes down to when they're at Fleur's house and he has a choice. He can go and speak to Griphook about the Horcruxes or he can go to speak to Mr. Ollivander about the Hallows. And Harry has a choice. Who do you want to speak to first? And he chooses Griphook. He is going to, instead of finding a way to give himself ultimate power to the point where he could defeat death, he is going to find a way to take away the, you know, the invulnerable nature of Voldemort. So Harry makes the choice that he doesn't want the ultimate. That, that, that's the point where he as the character makes that choice. And you see it throughout the rest of the story. You have Harry who has a, you know, the, the, the stone, the hallow that can bring back the dead, and he just leaves it in the Forbidden Forest you know, for the next fanfic author to pick up, I'm assuming, but he, he doesn't care about it. And, you know, he could have the Elder Wand. All he wants is his own wand back. So I think you see, you know, Voldemort, someone who's craving just, you know, the, the, the ultimate power and the ultimate, you know, immortality. And you see Harry completely disinterested in it after he learns, you know, to get to that point. Once he makes that journey himself, he doesn't care. So I think that's just extremely telling between the two characters. Harry, someone who would walk away from immortality and embrace death, when Voldemort will do anything he can to, to live. Well, yeah, and I think the idea with Voldemort is, I mean, and it just struck me more as I thought about it was, you know, his group of followers are Death Eaters. And when you think about what they do, they prevent Voldemort from having to face situations that are even remotely dangerous. He sends them ahead do all of his work so that he can avoid, you know, until he's ready, until he wants to show up when, you know, he's probably not worried about dying. I mean, they get in the way for him. Like they, But they don't do it because of any, you know, 
any love for him. They do it because of fear, and that's who they want to follow. Whereas Harry has friends who are willing to die for him, too, but it's just so different, and Harry doesn't want them to die for him. I mean, he's, that's, I think, his biggest problem is that he's just so guilty about things he shouldn't be guilty about. I mean, his friends are with them because they love him, and they would never want to be anywhere else. To think of one thing even, too. Think of, you know, how many times during the story do the Death Eaters come across something, but they're like, whatever you do, don't call Voldemort, because if you imagine what will happen to us if, you know, we're wrong and it's a false alarm, or Lucius, you know, we have to be sure about this. Can you imagine, you know, we could come back into Voldemort's, you know, favor if we're, if we're right about this. It's all about trying to please Voldemort. Look at Harry. Harry shows up at Hogwarts after having been gone for a year, and the first thing the DA says is, how can we help you? Like, what can we yeah. do? And, you know, he, he shows up at the school. He, you know, goes into the Ravenclaw common room, which I just have to add is a Hufflepuff. We're the only ones who think are a common room in the story. I'm just angry about that. And, you know, so, so Harry, you know, comes up to McGonagall and says, you know, I need to do something here. You know, the Death Eaters, you know, are, are going to attack soon, and, you know, we need to fortify the castle, and I need to do something for Dumbledore. Everyone marches off to battle and does exactly what Harry says and doesn't question it. And they have this faith in Harry that, you know, when, when you know, I, I joke about that Voldemort's outside with the bullhorn screaming at the school like a hostage negotiator, you have one hour to comply or send out Harry or I'm going to kill you all. You know, the Slytherins, you know, want to send him out. And he have the three houses, basically, you know, put the ever-living fear of God into the Slytherins, you know, and the Slytherins are the first ones to be asked to leave the school. And they have faith in Harry and they're going to fight for him, even though they have no idea why or what he's doing. And whereas with Voldemort, you know, it's basically like, you know, you're trying to finish up your work for the day, but you don't want to anger your boss so you make sure it's perfect before you send it to him. It's just, it's a really different contrast. Well, that tells us something about the way we live our lives on a day-to-day basis as well, because the Death Eaters who live their lives seeking power and in fear of death really have a very empty, meaningless existence because their goals are ultimately someone else's goals. And while they're trying to get some semblance of power for themselves, really they're still always going to be under Voldemort's control because I don't think any of them are planning on usurping power from him, but merely siphoning power away from him for their own personal gain. Whereas Harry's friends, Dumbledore's army, the Order of Phoenix, these are the people that we see have friends, love, and loyalty and close ties in their lives that enrich the very lives they live so that even when they lose those that are closest to them, their lives have more meaning and more importance because of who they have with them and how they choose to live their lives. And they're doing what is essentially the right thing, not necessarily for their own good, but for the good of everyone who exists. And that's kind of a way I think JKR is pointing out to us the ways in which we should live our own lives, that immortality questers and power seekers who don't have any regard for life itself tend to end up on with the short end of the stick, whereas those who have rich and meaningful lives filled with friends, love, courage, and meaningful experiences, those are the ones who will truly benefit in the end because ultimately good will always beat out over evil. Yeah, look at the just the level of sacrifice that you see on the side of the order. Mad Eye knows that he'll be the first one to be targeted by the Death Eaters that are waiting outside Private Drive because he's the senior order and he's the one most likely to have Harry. And he's the first one to be killed. All of his friends stop, you know, with Jen was joking about it, you know, that they're, you know, naked versions of Harry, but, you know, they all put on essentially the biggest bullseye in the world for Harry. And 
everyone I think we've met in the past six books comes back to Hogwarts at the end to defend the school. Another point that I thought was good when we're talking about the sacrifices people made in the name of love is Snape really, his entire life was a gigantic sacrifice because everything that he does throughout the book, serving Voldemort, uh, protecting Harry, all the way up until his death are all done in the name of Lily. And really, of all the characters, I think he personally makes the biggest sacrifice because he doesn't even get to live his own life. He is living a life for Lily's memory. And that's all in the name of love, which is incredibly powerful when you really stop to think about everything that he's done since Lily's death for 18 years. I, told, I totally agree with that. I mean, I when I finished reading this book, I put it down, and I couldn't believe how much my my opinion of Snape had changed, in that you're right. I mean, Harry had a horrible life, too. I mean, he had a horrible childhood with the Dursleys. He has a dark lord chasing after him from the time that he's, what, like, 14, and, and he has, a, you know, Voldemort has a body again. But, you know, he has, from the time, like, Voldemort is vanquished, we can assume Harry started to get that normal peaceful life that he wanted, and we know he marries Jenny and has children, so everything turned out okay for him, whereas you're right, I mean, Snape had just a horrible life in general, I mean, I got the impression from reading that chapter with his memories that his childhood wasn't exactly great, you know, like, he couldn't wait to get away to Hogwarts, it sounded like he couldn't wait to get away from his home, and, you know, maybe his years at Hogwarts were okay, but he still had James and Sirius picking on him all the time, and then... Then Lily dies when they're only 21. So right away, the love of his life is just gone, and he feels remorse and guilt. And from then on, it's a life of service, a dual life between serving Dumbledore and serving Voldemort. And it's just, it's such a miserable existence for him, I would think, that I, I can't even imagine. And I, I, like I said on the forum, I can't agree more with what Harry said at the end of it, is that he was probably the bravest person he ever knew. I mean, that's... That, who would want that life? It's just horrible. Whereas a year before, he's screaming cowered at him on the front lawns of the school. Right. Yeah. And you can understand why Snape would get so upset at Harry's remarks all throughout the six years, because really, not only does Harry not get everything that Snape has had to sacrifice for him, but he also doesn't understand that Snape had it worse almost than Harry ever would because he didn't have a happy childhood. He really screwed things up with Lily, who he was desperately in love with, and then spent the rest of his time being a, a double agent and just doing so much all for Harry's sake and not being able to tell him any of it. Right. It's incredible. You know, I wonder like what you guys think of this because uh, like I said I was listening to podcast today and they brought up a really good point and I'm just curious how you guys not having listened to it would, would weigh in on it Snape you know is I can't remember was he stabbed by Voldemort in the neck Some, he wasn't cursed he, he set the snake on him uh, the snake bit him snake right but, um, the genie bit him and then Voldemort leaves and Harry enters and Snape gives him the memories, and then just looks into Harry's eyes, and it's, you know, green eyes to black eyes, and he's looking at the eyes of Lily as he dies. Now, number one, do you think, and I'm going to just back out here because I've listened to this conversation once already, but do you think that he 
gave Harry just enough information to let Harry know he was a Horcrux? Did he want Harry to know everything that Snape had done and to give him, you know, a, a deeper look into the Half-Blood Prince? Did he want Harry just to know about the Horcrux and the other member he seeped out? Was he looking for some type of redemption? What do you think happened there? Like, was that just yeah, Harry? Yeah, I think, um, like, before you even said that, before you said the word redemption, that's exactly what I was thinking. I think he was in some way looking for some sort of redemption. I... I, this is just the impression that I got from reading it. I could be totally wrong. Um, I got the impression that, like, he he doesn't hate Harry at all. I think it was just, obviously, I think he was just bitter. I mean, it, it's, it would be hard not to be to see, like, the love of your life, marry someone that you hate, and then have a child, and then, you know, that woman dies, and now you're sacrificing your life to watch after her child. I mean, I can see how he would be incredibly bitter, but I really don't think there was hatred there. So I think in a way he was trying to show Harry through those memories, like, I don't hate you. I don't know, want you to think that he did, but I had to do what I had to do. And, you know, I truly loved your mother because I really think he did. I know there are people who are kind of like, no, he was a stalker and it wasn't, you know, whatever. But I, I, I think they get that because as a seven-year-old he was hiding in books. Well, seven, you do weird things. But, you know, I, I think it was genuine and... So I, I think he definitely gave Harry a little bit more than what he needed in terms of, you know, the Horcrux information, sure. Well, now you see, I think it's interesting because didn't one of the last memories was Dumbledore said, wait until the very last moment and then tell Harry everything, right? Right. Yeah. So I think Harry needed all that backstory on Lily and Snape in order to understand everything that had done because without that, why would he believe Snape's memories, without understanding how much Snape cared for his mother. Because had Snape just given him the very basic information about him being a Horcrux, for all Harry might know, it could be a trick. One last way to do the Dark Lord's bidding, maybe the Snape thing was a ruse. Who knows? But I think in understanding everything that Snape has been through and Snape's relationship to his mother, he sees for the first time everything that has take pl- taken place, everything that is important, which then makes the understanding of the Horcrux information completely acceptable. And I, I don't think it's almost as much for his, his self-redemption because I don't think Snake is looking for any kind of redemption. He's going to die. Um, but I do think one inherits to know about his relationship with his mother. I don't know about that. I think that... I mean, I mean, Snape is not a fool. Snape is a very smart person. And I think he knew everything he did. I think he knew the way he treated Harry was inexcusable. I think he did it anyway. And I don't think he really cared at the time. And I think that he was very let down by Dumbledore at the end. And I think he thought that Dumbledore was using Harry and using him. And I think he harbored a lot of anger for that. I think that's why we saw the scene in the uh, Forbidden Forest with Harry and Dumbledore that we overhear in Half-Blood Prince uh, via Hagrid. And I think he's a very complicated guy, but I think at the end, he knew he needed to get to Harry. And he looks up into the eyes of Lily. And I, I don't know, on some level, I just have to think that he had to explain that and had to end that. And he needed to put all the strips on the table before he died. I think that's why he shared all of the all of the memories with him. And I'm actually just flipping through the book as you guys are talking here, and I actually didn't catch this the first time I read. When Snape leaves Hogwarts, for the last time, Emma McGonagall chases him into the classroom and he jumps through the wall. She screams at him, coward, coward, as he flies away from the school. 
Yeah. And it's the exact same thing that Harry screams at him in the last book. So even if Snape is flying off, you know, to Voldemort, knowing that this is it, knowing that the the last decades of his life as he's been playing double spy, you know, against the middle, you know, trying to serve Dumbledore and serve the order, but at the same time convince, you know, Voldemort that he's serving him and he's being called a coward. At that point, I don't think he was probably close enough to hear it, but yeah, I get your point. <laughs> Well, and to add to all that, just imagine what it was like for seven years teaching Harry, seeing Lily's eyes that he probably fell in love with, and James's body, which he probably absolutely despised, and seeing all the similarities that there were between James and Harry and how much that probably tore him apart, and being so remarkable like his father, and how hard that must have been for Snape because this was the girl he loved with the guy he hated. And their kid that he's protecting is so much like the guy he hated. And then we're going to jump ahead to the epilogue where you hear... Yeah, and then you have Snape living that that existence every day, and Harry despises him, and he's the greasy git, and he's the most hated professor at Hogwarts. Then you have Harry, who watched him kill Albus Dumbledore. You have Harry say to his son, you were named for two headmasters of Hogwarts. One of them was a Slytherin, and he was probably the bravest man I ever knew. If Snape was trying to redeem himself, he succeeded. And I think that so much of Snape's behavior towards Harry over the course of the series was him, with his own impression of Harry, being constantly let down, while at the same time, like you said, seeing the woman he loves in the body of the man who he despises. So it's a very complicated thing, but I think at the end, he needed someone to know. And think about this. You've been a double agent all these years. You've been working for the good side, and you've been faking it with the bad side. Everybody thinks that you are evil. Everybody thinks you have betrayed Dumbledore, you have betrayed the Order. Everybody thinks you're a coward, and everybody thinks you're a murderer. And there's nobody left. And it reminds me almost of like the scene from the beginning of the Da Vinci Code. If you're the only person who knows something and you're about to die, you need to tell someone else. Harry needs to make sure that Neville knows about the Horcruxes. So if he dies, there's three people left that know. Dumbledore needs to make sure Harry knows about the Horcruxes because if he, if Dumbledore dies and one Dumbledore dies, somebody else needs to continue. Snape is about to die and he's going to die a coward and a murderer, and he needs to make sure that somebody knows that he was doing the right thing. I think a lot of it was that. I think Snape cares how he is thought of, and and I think it mattered to him. So I thought that was a really moving point. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, the whole I thought the whole storyline of Snape was just uh, was just so well done. I thought, and um, you know, in the middle of the story, when we see the silver doe in the forest, the leading Harry to the sword. Who would have ever thought that Snape's Patronus is a silver doe? I mean, that just right away that that link he has to Lily that they have the same Patronus is just to me. It's just. I don't know. It's so incredible that a person like Snape, who we thought we understood, or maybe not understood completely, but we thought we knew what Snape was like. And then when I when I read that, I just said, "Wow, you know, we I was so wrong about what type of character he was." So it's just um, excellent, excellent writing there. Jen should be very pleased. <laughs> I was supportive of Snape. I never thought Snape was bad. I, I don't. Yeah, there was, there was like, yeah, there was like a big part of me that really didn't want him to be bad and that he was really on Dumbledore's side the whole time. <laughs> so I was glad to be there. Which is, I think, it was, I, think he, I think the evidence was overwhelming that he was good. So I think that a lot of people just didn't want to be bad writing. But, yeah, I mean, I could easily see Snape as good, but I think it's much more interesting the way it worked out. 
Well, another thing that really struck me when I was reading the book, and um, it's more, I think we see it more towards, like, the earlier parts of the book, is how basically just life in the Wizarding World changes under Voldemort's control, how he slowly takes over the ministry, and we see a persecution of Muggleborns, we see their wands being taken away, and some of them get the Dementor's kiss. Um, we see drastic changes at Hogwarts where Death Eaters are teaching, um, just this, this total crackdown on really on individual liberties, on freedoms and things like that. And I just thought, you know, as I was reading it, I think obviously the big correlation most of us would make is thinking of something like Nazi Germany where, you know, you have this one leader who is obsessed with this idea of pure blood and how they're better, and he slowly but surely makes sure that, you know, those he deems unworthy are weeded out. And I was just really impressed with really like the intensity that J.K. Rowling wrote this with because I was just so surprised at some of the things that were happening. You know, I think when I heard about the Dementor's Kiss being applied to Muggleborns, I was just in shock. Like, I couldn't believe how far it went. And yet at the same time, I wasn't surprised because it's Voldemort and look at what kind of person he is. So, um that I just thought was such an incredible part of the story. Um, great writing there, and I just want to know you guys kind of what your impressions were with that. Um, well, it's interesting because Mac and I just read uh, The Seventh Horcrux by Melinda Leo, and one thing that that story, and for anyone who has time, read it because it's very similar to a lot of the plot points that actually came on the Deathly Hallows, uh, would make the fun of Melinda a little bit for that one. Um, one of the plot points was raised in the Seventh Horcrux, which you didn't see a lot of here, but I think it's one of those things that happened off the screen, is that in that story, because Voldemort was so close to taking full control, um, they vote um, Dolores Umbridge, Minister of Magic, to crack down on the Wizarding World and you know save it. And basically, she enacts policies which are similar to the ones you see in Deathly Hallows, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the treatment of muggle-borns and the treatment of you know, free speech and, this, and, and how we deal with our enemies and so forth. And the point that was raised there is when people are scared, they want someone to protect them and they want to do anything to feel safe so they don't care what they'll do. Now, you didn't really see it so much in this story. This story was more of the bad guys took over and they're pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. But the overwhelming plot line is people go along with it because they want to feel safe. And if it's a situation where to feel safe, we're going to get rid of the Muggleborns and we're going to make Voldemort happy, do you do it? Who stands up and who says it's acceptable behavior? And that's one of the dangerous things about living in that type of political environment when you have to choose between being silent or fighting when, as you see many times during the story, if you speak up like Luna's dad, your daughter goes missing. And yeah, if you speak up like the Weasleys, you have to go into hiding. So what is how how much are you willing to fight for for what you believe in is is the question I think many people face. And the Weasleys make a different decision than Lena's father does, but you have to feel sympathetic for the fact that he's in that position in the first place. It really brings home the point that Voldemort makes about soon we're all gonna have to choose between what is right and what is easy and he was it's just sad how right he was. I mean it's just the level that it was brought to by Voldemort. Um, but like Ryan said, I mean, who, most of us probably would do the easy thing. You know, we wouldn't, you know, want to risk our lives. But um, anyway, but what were you going to say next? Well, I was just going to say there are, uh, it's incredible the amount of parallels that can be made, uh, especially, you know, like you said, in Hitler's Nazi. Uh, and the question that a lot of historians have asked is, 
who exactly is at fault in that situation. Do you blame the autocratic dictator who is taking control? Do you put the fault on the policymakers who were following them and, and putting those policies into place? Or do you go so far as to put the people who refuse to act, who refuse to speak up, who refuse to take action, even when they know something that is being done is wrong and they still do nothing for fear of what will happen if they speak up? And the problem that happened in history and probably happens in Deathly Hallows as well is it gets to a point where the rhetoric of the time and the emotion and the power that is being displayed by Voldemort, the Death Eaters, and the new ministry is when you have a force that big and they are educating your children that muggle-borns are bad and the prophet is publishing reports as to how non-magical people have been stealing power and becoming magical. So really, there's scientific justification, or as close to science as they get, for why pure blood should be accepted and half-bloods and muggle-borns shouldn't be. I mean, these are all things that actually happened in our own history of, you know, racial purity and scientific racism. And when these things happen, it gives you all the more reason to go along with the flow, to not fight those who are in power, because slowly you start to believe, well, maybe, yeah, this is correct. It doesn't seem right, but all the facts that they're presenting to us, that kind of makes sense. And in the world that Voldemort and his followers and the new ministry and the prophet that they created, for the everyday wizarding citizen, you know, not those who did pirate broadcasts, not those who secretly fought against the teacher, but those who were just in their homes and going to work and living day to day and just trying to get by, how much fault can you put on them for believing everything that they're being told by the people they're controlling their lives, and how much fault do you take off of them because even if they had spoken up, even if they had rebelled, there's nothing they could have done anyways. Uh, short of rising up by the thousands in order to fight the power. Because well, anyone you speak to... Well, and the big thing that happened in the past during Voldemort's first reign is you didn't know who was an undercover death eater, and you didn't know who you could go to and say, hey, what's going on here? This isn't right. Because if you went to the wrong person, you're dead. There's two levels of, of culpability here. There's people who literally are so ignorant that they don't know what's happening. And there's people who know what's happening but stay silent anyway. Your civilization has been has been captured. Say so you're the wizarding world and you've you have you have been subdued by Voldemort. And you know, Voldemort wants to give you, you know, the captured population the ability to control your own lives. He doesn't want to kill everybody. He wants to run the world, but he wants to make sure that you get to live your own life, too, so you don't become a disgruntled mess. So he gives you the ability to form your own police force, and he gives you the ability to, you know, run your own lives. He'll make the big rules, but you can still have your own life, and you can still have children, and you can still have dinner time, and, and, and your life, as you know, it is not over. So people say, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, if, if, if we don't police ourselves, the tech eaters will. You have, you're, you're policing each other, and you're, and you're turning against each other, and you're making raids on each other to stomp out resistance to Voldemort. Before you know it, you've turned the human race against each other. I mean, there's, there's points where 
people get what's happening. They know that Voldemort has taken over. They know that this what we're doing is not right. And do they rebel against that? Do they speak up like Max just said about that? Do they, you know, have their own resistance broadcasts? Do they leave school? Do they barricade themselves in the room of requirement at Dumbledore's army ready to, to fight when necessary? Or do they say, this isn't right, but you know what? We, we have to protect ourselves. I mean, there, there becomes a point when people get it and people have that choice to make. And the choice is maybe between being silent and speaking. The choice may be between fighting for the world you want to live in or keeping your daughter alive, is in uh, Luna's father's circumstance. So in that choice, it's a lot less clear-cut. But I definitely think that there's culpability on everyone. Everyone knows what's happening. Like, for example, take the character of Dalish. Dalish was sent after Neville's grandmother. So Dalish is still in war. So that's, you know, you have to understand at that point then that the ministry has been infiltrated, that he's not taking his orders from Death Eaters. He's taking his orders from the Ministry of Magic. But there's Death Eaters at Hogwarts teaching. They're on staff. They're Death Eaters. They get the dark mark. You know, the Death Eaters have infiltrated. People get this. Does Dollar still go to work every day? Or, like Kingsley, does he fight in a resistance movement? Does he fight with the Order? I, I definitely think there's a choice there that people have. And, yeah, what do you do? I think that, you know, more students at Hogwarts probably because of their experiences with Harry and with Dumbledore and based on where they were located, fought back a lot more than the Wizarding World did. But you did see that at the end of the story. You saw, you know, Harry's original Quidditch team return. You saw the Order of the Phoenix return. You saw the Weasleys return. You saw people from Hogsmeade, you know, coming out of their homes with their wands ready to defend, you know, Hogwarts. Everyone came back, you know, to where they started from to defend that place. I mean... I think there was definitely, you know, once you get the snowball going and once people start fighting back, it's easier to jump on board. But if no one's fighting back, are you one of the brave ones that does it at great personal risk, or do you just stay quiet and see what happens? I don't know. So let me ask. Those that looked out for their family, went about their day-to-day lives, knew something was going on, but chose not to fight because it was in their own and their family's best interest, are they at fault for Voldemort coming to control because they didn't speak up? Coming to control, I think there was a point where they could have spoken up before then. I believe that the Weasleys, you know, had been speaking up for years. I think if the Order had been speaking up for years, if you mean, you know, prior to the to the events of this book, could they have spoken up? Sure. I mean, let me put it this way: the Muggle Studies teacher spoke up. She wrote an interview in the paper, and she ended up dead. And you know, um, Luna's father, you know, spoke up, and he wrote, you know article after article telling people to support Harry because he believes in him, and his daughter was kidnapped. And the Weasley spoke up, and they ended up essentially in, like, the witness protection program in hiding, and their one of their sons died. The other one of their sons was badly maimed. You know, Hermione spoke up, and she lost her parents. I think in the specific case of Harry Potter, I think, in my opinion, a lot of the blame can be placed on previous ministers who knew what was going on and deliberately covered it up, deliberately told people the opposite of the truth, saying, oh, don't worry, Voldemort's not back, you're all fine, when he was back and he refused to tell people. Now, if you're just an average everyday wizard and, you know, you you going by what your government is telling you, you know, I can totally understand how they're going to believe what the ministry says and because part of it is, 
you know, well, why would the ministry lie to me? But maybe part of it is, too, well, I don't want to believe that the darkest Lord ever is back. So I'm just going to go about my daily life, and it's easy to do that. And I think a lot of people would do that, you know. Um, but I just personally would place a ton of the blame on, on Fudge because he just, you know, he could have done a lot more to prepare the wizarding world, to prepare the ministry for what it should have been doing, and instead the ministry crumbled. It, it turned over to Voldemort because of his poor leadership. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to answer your question, Mac, I think there's many levels of of culpability. I mean, I, I think that at some point you have to decide what your priorities are. I, I can't tell you whether, you know, it was worth it for the Muggle Studies teacher to publish her article and wind up tortured in Eden by Nagini. I mean, if she had the choice to do it over again, she was obviously very frightened. I don't think she thought that could happen. Maybe she wouldn't do it again. Maybe she would have been silenced the next time. You know, Mr. Lovegood lost Luna nearly. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is to that, but I do say, that, I, I will say this. When you have people like Lee Jordan and Remus and Tonks and the Order, and when you have people like Harry and people like Neville and people like, you know, everyone who came back to Hogwarts at the end and fought and kept fighting. And when you have people like that, you know, who, who fought back. And you have mm-hmm. others who collaborate openly. And when you have others who, you know, fight back quietly, like I think uh, April 4th Dumbledore, he doesn't, you know, lead the charge, but he does say Harry and Hermione, and he does send Dobby. And, you know, people like Dobby, who, you know, he's a house elf, and he jumps in there and says that you will not harm Harry Potter. He doesn't have to say that, but he does it because that's what he feels inclined to do. I mean, I, like, even picture, you know, the scene at the end of the book when Buckbeak and the centaurs and, and, you know, Creature with his little apron come flying back to save the day. I mean, there's a point where people fight back great personal risk, so it's difficult to say that if somebody doesn't fight back because their life or their family's life might be in jeopardy, then that's completely acceptable because that, in, on some level, detracts from what the people who you take the risk, you know, do. I mean, I think it has to be weighed. I think you're guilty on some level, although maybe you don't care because you kept your family alive. I guess that's my answer to it. What do you think, Daniel? Um, well, actually, I was just going to say you reminded me of another point I wanted to bring up, so don't let me forget that. But um, I, I mean, I think this is a tough situation. I think the everyday family would do what most of them did is kind of quietly acquiesce. You know, and you know what? In throughout history, like Mackie said, you know, throughout history, that's happened. I mean, people appeased Hitler when he was slowly taking over. They were turning a blind eye to it because it was like, oh, well, he's slowly taking over these parts, you know, of the world. Well, okay, but... And then when it finally got to a point where we knew it couldn't go on anymore, you know, that's when the United States stepped in. So it, it, that's how it happens, but... Um, does that mean where, like, does that mean the United States was to blame because of the, because the Holocaust happened? Well, at the end of the day, whose fault was it? It was Hitler's fault. He's the one that had that vision, and he's the one that wanted to do that. And then, of course, you can blame all his minions that followed his orders, but I think at the end of the day, when we're looking at Harry Potter, and it's what I feel like saying to Harry over and over again, it's not your fault that Remus and Foxtite, it's Voldemort's fault. It's his war, he's the one that started it. He's the one that came back with all these ideas of, 
you know, weeding out people he deems not worthy to be wizards. I mean, it's all his philosophies that he's putting into place that is causing all this, all these problems. I mean, we can't forget at the end of the day that there was one dark lord, and he was the one doing this. Well, and the other thing I think we have to recognize, and when we take a, when we talk about it, take it in the scope, is that while reading this book, we're really seeing one extreme which is the real, rebellious, outspoken... I mean, most of the characters that we've come to know over these seven books are mostly the ones who are the most outspoken against the Dark Lords, who are taking the biggest actions. And we don't really get to read about your average wizarding citizen. So when you talk about the Holocaust, we know what it was like from Hitler's point of view, from those in concentration camps, from his soldiers, from the average German and Polish citizen. We know what it's like from all points of view, but in reading Deathly Hallows, we really don't know what this story's like from all points of view. And those that we do hear really are kind of on the extremist movement and probably not your typical wizarding citizen. Right. I will say this. I think the closest we might get to that is that when Harry and Hermione and Ron infiltrate the ministry and they're, you know, they take an apologies potion, so they're, you know, they're other people for that time. Like, I think the best sense you get is watching, um, you know, the Muggleborns who are basically, like, on trial um, in that room with the Dementors. That's basically your average family. I mean, to me, that seemed like... You know, an average wizarding mother who has three kids at home, her husband works as basically maintenance guy at the Ministry of Magic, and here she is terrified because look at what the Ministry is putting her through. Um, I think in some ways, you know, at least for the Muggleborns, that's how life turned out to be. So they experienced a pretty rough time. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the themes through the books is definitely that, you know, no matter what you do, maybe you are silent when you should speak. And maybe, you know, there were times when Dumbledore thinks he should have spoken more. And, you know, there's times when Harry, you know, feels as though he, you know, was too quiet when he could have spoken. You know, everyone makes mistakes and everyone regrets things. I think one of the themes of, of Deathly Hallows as a novel was remorse. You know, if Voldemort would only remorse, you know, his, his soul would, would heal. You know, look at Snape. Snape was a cat eater. And he repented that. And look how he was able to live the rest of his life and the tremendous amount of service he was able to provide from the rest of his life. For anyone who was silent, look at Percy. Percy was silent during the rise of Voldemort the second time. Didn't do anything. Betrayed his family. And at the end, he came back. And that's all that mattered, what he did at the end. In terms of the Wizarding World, at the end, when Harry needed them, everyone fought for him and nobody backed down. You know, little Colin Creevy fought for him and died. You know, you, you've got Neville, you know, hucking you know, geraniums over the wall. You know, Neville's fighting for him. You know, these people from Dumbledore's army. Dumbledore's dead. You know, they've been living in this torturous school where, you know, they, they, they've had you know, the snot beaten out of them for months, and they're still ready to fight for, for who they believe in and what they believe in. So I think in terms of the wizarding world, I think many people were silent and many people regret probably what they did, but I think what matters in the end is your choice. What, what do you do when the chips are down? I'm, I'm willing to bet that many of the people who fought at Hogwarts, the Battle of Hogwarts, or maybe people who were not as active, or maybe they would have left, but the, you know their friends stayed behind to fight, so they fought too, and maybe they were glad they did it. I mean, 
it's difficult to say, okay, you know, if someone comes at the door looking for, you know, the mudblood, you tell them where they are. Maybe you do, but maybe you make up for it. Maybe you atone for it. So I think from the wizarding world, I think there's definitely layered. It's very hard to say that you know, these people collaborated, that these people fought. So I think there's different levels of, of fighting and different levels of collaboration. Now, Danielle, you had another point that you thought of. Um, oh, yeah. Well, when Ryan has I said, like, kind of at the end of the battle at Hogwarts, um, you see, like, the house elves and the centaurs, and they're rushing to basically Harry's side. They're the ones who are joining in the fight against Voldemort. And it just reminded me, too, of, like, um, a warning that Dumbledore had given again is that, you know, it's to Voldemort's own detriment that he treats creatures that he deems as less worthy than him, it's going to come back to him and it's going to be a problem. So I just, I really love that, you know, we had an army of house elves marching in and doing everything they could to fight against Voldemort. And it just speaks volumes about Harry's character because he could have easily gone the path of like, you know, of most wizards and saying, oh, well, they're meant to serve us and, you know, I'm not going to care too much about what happens to house elves. But here he was, like, he had a friend in Dobby. He eventually had a friend in Creature, which I just thought was so funny and incredible. But, um, and he's just so incredibly different from most wizards, and they're rushing to his side to fight for him. And I just, I just love that aspect of the story, to see Creature running in with probably, like, a rolling pin or something and starting to bash people over the feet with it. It was just, I loved it. Yeah, well, look, what with, look what happened with Dobby at his death. Harry personally dug his grave and they, you know, created his, you know, gravestone, you know, named Dobby a free elf, you know, recognizing that was the one thing that Dobby was most proud of. And when they bury Dobby, they take off their own clothes and bury him in, in their clothes, which is, you know, got to be the ultimate sign of respect for a house elf. And yeah. because of that treatment, because of the way that Harry and his friends and those follow him, you know, so you know, based on the way that they, you know, regard the house elves, at that critical moment in the battle, you know, the tie turns away because of that. It's because of who they are that they're successful. It's not just well, I, I mean, that's true and important, but it wasn't all creatures ended up ultimately being good because even though the way Harry treated Dobby and Dobby's death was ultimately one of the things that won over Grip Hook. At the same time, the werewolves, the aromatic, the, the gigantic spiders, the giants, these are also creatures that Voldemort looked down upon and thought were below him, but at the same time were still willing to serve him. So while you I, might have had house... Go ahead. I couldn't actually tell what side the, the acromantulas were on. It didn't. It seemed like the Death Eaters were equally afraid of the spiders yeah. and that they were trying to get away from them, too. I, I don't know if that was the way I read it. I couldn't tell if they were fighting. Yeah, that was the true. There was a line in there that said Hogwartsians and Death Eaters alike were running from the spiders. The spiders were equal opportunity attackers. Yeah. Well, oh, the giant. where Voldemort was, where Voldemort was hiding in the forest was where they presently, or where they formerly were, and I was under the impression that he scared them off, sent them towards Hogwarts, not necessarily because they were obeying him, but because he was using his power over them to control them, without regard of who they killed, his own Death Eaters or Hogwarts students, as long as they were killing, because that's what he wanted. 
It's possible. It's a little unclear. I mean, they could have run from him because he was more powerful, and they just realized that you know the school was in chaos and that it was a good time to strike. Or you know maybe they were working for him, but there was definitely that line in there that said that, that they were attacking everybody equally. So maybe, uh, maybe they can't tell who the Death Eaters are, who the humans are, or who the you know who the who the students and the and the teachers are. I don't know. Well, I think just maybe like the point is better made with just the house elves. I mean, that's just as a race, the house elves are just looked down upon. Um, I mean, I think especially we've seen by people like the Malfoys who are Death Eaters. You know. By people like that, they're just looked down upon as less than dirt. I mean, they're treated so horribly. Um, so maybe like the centaur is not a great example, but I think that with the house elves it is, just to see them take a side, I just, um, to me it was really important um, to see them in the fight. Important to recognize, I think one of the things uh, Joe was trying to tell us was to treat others that we might not see as equals you know, just because we don't view them as equals or they're not the same of us, it's still important to treat them as such. Because all of these creatures were essentially, they all had human levels of intelligence. They were just different in form and shape and ways of thinking. But in the end, they ended up being every bit as important. And I think she's trying to show us that it's important to treat, to treat everyone equally. Because when you look down control and, you know, basically disapprove of others just because they look different, it, it's not going to end well for anyone. Right. It's not to treat them well because you never know what they can do for you someday. It's to do it because it's the right thing to do. I mean, no one could... Right. Yeah, I don't think anyone guessed when Hermione was going on about Spew that you know, a few years later, you know, it would be the house elves jumping over the wall to save the day. I mean, that's not, you don't do it for that reason. You do it because it's right, and then you'll gain, you know, success from doing what's right, not the other way around. Yeah, exactly. And um, I know Hermione's probably, well, she's definitely the best one in terms of uh, giving the house elves the respect they deserve. But, um, and just, too, is that, um, you know, Voldemort, just um, based on how he viewed, like, something like a house elf. I mean, look at how much he underestimated the house elf's magic. I mean, when he took Creature with him um, to test out, like, the Horcrux in the cave to make sure that the protections he placed around it were actually working, um, you know, that that turned out the one reason why Regulus got a hold of that Horcrux and then later Harry. Um, you know, it's just... Voldemort, once again, underestimating people to his own downfall. And it's just something that you don't see Harry doing. Harry doesn't take anything for granted. Yeah. And Harry was able to defeat Voldemort because he thought about the situation and about the Elder Wand more logically, whereas Voldemort thought of it more pompously. And because he didn't bring himself down to, you know, the, to the level of Harry, he lost his life and lost the war. So be nice to your monkeys, chimps, and orangutans. <laughs> yes, exactly. Be nice to your dog because your dog will be your master in like three years. <laughs> well, uh, this wasn't this, this wasn't like a big discussion point. I was just kind of more curious about what other fans thought. But we've you know as we read through these books, like as the whole series, we see how important it is that Ron, um, that Harry has. Um, Ron and Hermione, and then also like his larger group of friends, but most importantly that he has Ron and Hermione with him and that they're always willing um, to stand by him no matter what happens. 
And so I was just, um, as I was reading the book, um, I think I was somewhat surprised that when he walked into the Forbidden Forest, he was alone. Um, I know he had the film that he eventually, like he could eventually, um, you know, kind of had his parents and Sirius, and they were with him too, but a part of me was surprised that he wasn't going in with Ron and Hermione. I, I, didn't expect him, I didn't expect him to because I was thinking back to Philosopher's Stone when Ron and Hermione got him there and bucked him up, and at the end it was something he had to do by himself. And yeah, that's true. I, I, yeah, definitely. He he would if he took them with him, they would have died because there served no useful purpose there. I mean, that's the difference. It's something that Harry's on a mission where he has to. He alone must do something, and he's on a mission where he can't tell anybody else because you know that person you know may be the one who will betray him like Wormtail to his parents. So it's it's an interesting position for Harry because he's being told, you know, trust, trust, love, love, love is your greatest gift, but whatever you do, you don't tell anybody because they'll betray you and you'll die. So yeah, so for Harry, I think he could not have gotten through this book without Hermione specifically. Ron definitely Ron, you know, there are parts they never would have made it through it without him. And they got him to the point where he was able to walk through, you know, the Forbidden Forest with his you know, dead family members because he knew that if he died, he would be saving Ron and Hermione. And Neville would take care of the rest, and Ron and Hermione would take care of the rest. So I think got them, they got him there. Yeah, that's true. I, I didn't think of it that way, but that's, yeah, that's a really good way to look at it, especially with... Um I think it was I think it was Pottercast, right, that had actually gone through kind of the books and said, Well, you see similarities between two and six and so they were kind of um saying maybe we'll see similarities between book one and book seven and I think that whole idea of Ron and Hermione doing what they need to do to get Harry to where he has to be, which is, you know, yeah, that's exactly how we see it in book one, so that's a good point. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's so many similarities between this book and the first book. I mean, you have the point where, where Hermione holds Ron, you know, are you a wizard or, or not? I mean, you have yeah. the point, like, even, like, and I'm ripping this off completely from Luke, but even the part at the end where they're at platform nine and three quarters in the epilogue, so much of that is lifted from, you know, these characters earlier on. You have the daughter who wants to go to Hogwarts. You have, you know, the older guy, you know, Snoggy and his girlfriend on the train. It's life goes on, and... I think there's a lot of similarities you get in this book and the in the first one. Ha uh-huh, ha, Jenny hooked up with Harry. <laughs> now for you to get with the receding hairline. Yeah. What do you think like became of that relationship between Harry and, and Draco? Like just curious. I mean, I don't know. They were like polite to each other, but I'm wondering really how they view each other now. I think they got to the point where they went through to to get through that, to get through the war. And for Malfoy to lose everything. Now, here's the thing. I mean, Harry and Draco didn't speak, I think, in the entire in the entire novel. The only point where they come into contact with each other is at is at Malfoy Manor. And you know, you have oh, Harry, the you have, requirement. Oh, you're right. You're right. He, he thinking, saved Draco's life. Yeah, and then uh, Ron does later too, right? Yep. Yeah. Think of it though. This, oh, that's right. I never thought of that. Because back up and think of what happens at Malfoy Manor. Malfoy is so, you know, horrified by what's happened to him, in and the direction his life has taken. That when he has Ron, Harry, and Hermione at his mercy, which he's always craved, I think, for seven years, he doesn't even say it's them. He can't do it. 
and he's like someone who's 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 in over his head and doesn't doesn't want this. You know, this is too much even for him. And there's even a point where you know he cries when Crab dies. You know, crab. I'll repeat. He cries when Crab dies. I mean, he he's a character. And at the end, you see it. You know, Lucius Narcissa. And and Draco are just at the table in the Great Hall during the rejoicing, and, and they don't know what to do because this isn't where they're supposed to be, and it's their lives are just completely upended. So I think after all that, he probably gets to the point, you know, with Harry that you know they, it, it just doesn't matter anymore. Mac, what do you think? I think it sucks to be the Malfoys. I mean, there's it's one thing to be on the losing side and die because then you don't have to deal with the consequences of your actions when all is said and done. But I can't imagine what that family must have went through once Kingsley's ministry finally got settled and once people were like, oh, here's Lucius and Narcissa and Draco, and they were big-time Death Eaters. Personally, I'm surprised that the whole lot of them aren't Nazgadan for life because as much as they ultimately caused, as much damage as they did, they might not deserve to be dead. Well, I would actually say Lucius does deserve a death penalty. But they certainly don't deserve to be in the Great Hall during the celebrations. Somebody should have slapped the cuffs on them and hauled them out because they're criminals and what they have done are criminal acts, and they should be punished accordingly. Well, technically, at that point, the Aurors were still working for the Death Eaters, so it may have taken them a little while to handle that. Although, I would argue, just from a completely, you know, non-realistic standpoint, I think making them sit in the Great Hall during a rejo- the rejoicing ceremony was probably enough for them. But think of Narcissa, though. I mean, they made their choice. Lucius, not so much in this book. Lucius wants to get back into, into Voldemort's good graces and was unsuccessful. But Narcissa saved Harry's life. And she did it to save Draco's. So, she falls into the, into the guilty version of Luna's father. Where Luna's father is doing the right thing and is then silenced by fear over losing his daughter and fear over protecting his family. Narcissa is on the wrong side and, and, and gives that up and goes to the right side to save her son. So they're actually mirror, they're mirror images of each other, his father and, and Drago's mother. So, I don't know. I would disagree only because I would say doing the right thing for a long time and doing the wrong thing once is a horrible thing. But at the same time, he really... The, I mean, the only reason Luna's father did what he did was because they were holding his daughter captive. Yeah. And quite frankly, it was that or his daughter would die. But what Narcissa did, she had continually done bad things, and I would argue that one good action, even if it did ultimately save Harry's life, is not enough to redeem her for all the bad that she did. Well, I don't think it is either, although I will say this. I will say that... It was the case of Luna's father. You could tell it was a series of bad things that he was doing. He was publishing the articles, you know, to bring in Harry. And he was he called the ministry, and he was about to turn Harry over to the Death Eaters. I mean, he definitely made conscious decisions to, to 
prioritize his own daughter over Harry. You know, with Narcissa, you know, she's a death eater for a long time, desperate to save her son. She lies to Voldemort on his eve of victory to save her son. And she could have easily been executed if she figured that out. Now, she did it for the completely wrong reasons. She cared nothing of Harry. She cared nothing of the good side winning. She was hedging her bets. It was political. But she valued her son more than she valued her own life. So with, with Narcissa, there's some gray in there. She's not, you know, she's not a totally evil character. She's someone who makes awful mistakes that get her in over her head to the point where she doesn't know what to do anymore. But she got herself to that position. Whereas you know, his father got himself to that position by doing the right thing, and he still desperately was looking for another way. Well, you know, I think Luna's father, if he could have seen a way out other than calling the Ministry on Harry and publishing those articles, where he could have still appeared to have been helping the Death Eaters but actually helping Harry, he would have chose that. I think he would have chose. Whereas I think Narcissa, if she has a way to save her son's life and still serve the Dark Lord, she definitely would have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think she, I think even she, not really Lucius, but I think Narcissa and Draco, when you think of the scenes in the book where, where you see Draco's terrified face and Harry's visions, I think with Narcissa, she gets that life under Voldemort means her death. I think, I'm a, I think to save her own life and her child, she would have done away with Voldemort if she could. I think she saw which way the wind was blowing. Yeah, I don't think she liked the life that her son was leaving was leading in Voldemort's inner circle. You know, it's one thing to to give him wealth and power and prestige at Hogwarts, but to actually see her son be put through what he was put through, I think might turn her stomach, and that's not what she ever would have chosen for him. All right, so we're going to get out of here tonight, so thanks for listening to us in this what is likely a four-hour podcast on Deathly Hallows, but it's the last book, so we promise we'll never do it again. So have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Hi, this is Lilith, and these are my predictions for Deathly Hallows. Number one, what are the seven horcruxes? Well, obviously the ring, the locket, the, and the diary, and the teacup. I'm also going to say Voldemort's body, like the one he's, you know, him. <laughs> um, Ravenclaw's tiara, and Nagini. Number two, who will be redeemed? I think Draco. And the reason for that is because... Even though Draco idolizes the power and the glory that the Death Eaters have, once he really got into doing what Death Eaters do, he realized that he could not kill somebody. He could not handle the pressure that it comes with it. Because he knew Voldemort was going to kill him if he didn't follow through. Which... Voldemort does to any of his Death Eaters, whether or not their father disappointed them or whatever. So I think he had a rude, rude awakening as to what his father does and to what would be expected of him if he were to follow in his father's footsteps. I don't believe that Snape will be redeemed, and there's one reason for this. As much as I want him to be on the good side, I don't think that he will be. And on page 595 of Half-Blood Prince, right before he kills Dumbledore, it says, 
Snape gazed for a moment at Dumbledore, and there was revulsion and hatred etched into the harsh lines of his face. And that is why I don't think he will be redeemed, because he was no longer acting, I, I believe. He was finally showing Dumbledore what he thought of him after putting on this face and playing up to whatever Dumbledore wanted. And he finally got to show his true feelings. So, sorry, but Snape's a baddie. <laughs> Who's going to die, Harry or Voldemort? Well, obviously Voldemort is going to die because this is a children's book and good always wins. <laughs> and there really would be no point in writing this whole series only to have the bad win. I think, anyways. I do see the possibility that Harry could die, and the reasons why Joe would do that. And I would understand it, but I don't want it to, so my prediction is he's not going to die. Question number four. What other characters will die? I think Hagrid is going to die. Um, in one of the Weasleys. I'm just not sure which one. Probably Percy, but Bill's pretty active in the whole fighting, so he has a pretty high chance of dying. Of course, Ron and Ginny do too. I don't know. I guess all, th all of them, and then if one of them dies, they still get the points. <laughs> Question number five. Which character will show magical talent late in life? Obviously, Neville, because he's such the perfect underdog, and I think he's been completely underestimated his entire life. If his grandmother hadn't been so overbearing, I think he would be more confident in himself and would show more magical ability. And now that he's did the whole ministry fight and the fight in um, Half-Blood Prince... He's gaining more confidence, and his grandmother's showing more pride and in him. So I think we're going to see some good things from Neville. I hope. Question number six. Will Hogwarts reopen for Harry's seventh year? Um, I predict that no, it will not open. Because if the wizarding adults were smart, or would... Let me rephrase that. If they would act like muggle adults in this day and age, it would not reopen. After the murder of Dumbledore and Death Eaters into the castle, there is no way that the governor should allow it to be reopened. The security has been breached, and the students will be at danger no matter what anybody says. I think it's going to stay closed until Voldemort is gone. Number seven, which student will become a teacher? I think Hermione's going to be a teacher. Um, she could obviously have any job that she wanted in the ministry or wherever, but I could see her being a really good teacher because she loves her books so much, and that is how you teach, is from the book. So it kind of works good for her. And I think she would have arithmancy. I think I remember her saying that the first year she had it, she was really excited about it, so... I'm going to go with arithmetic. I predict in Deathly Hallows that in one of the fight scenes, it's going to take place on the Hogwarts grounds, and Hagrid is going to be out there bellowing and screaming, and 
knocking out as many Death Eaters as possible, and they'll be shooting all their spells at him, and he'll start to go down, and then all of a sudden, Grop comes running out of the forest and absolutely tramples everybody <laughs> and saves Hagrid's life. Hey, um, Lily, this is Lady Chi. I'm here to respond to your comments about Deathly Hallows. You got an amazing number of things almost right and, and a number of things terribly wrong, of course. You and I both thought that Hagrid was a goner, and he, he wasn't, sadly enough. Um, I, there was uh, that moment there about Grop, though, that I, I definitely laughed at because I didn't think anybody would... I didn't see that coming in, and you certainly did. Um, of course, we lost Fred, one of the Weasleys, so maybe you should get points for that. And um, Yeah, just a lot of good um, good stuff there. We, of course, both thought that... I don't know if you thought that Harry was going to be a horcrux, but there it was. It was in the book, and we were both wrong. Sad, sad, sad. But thank you for your predictions and your comments and, and uh, submitting them to Potterfic Weekly. Hey, Potterfic Weekly. This is Julia. Um, no, no, I'm for invent, Julia. I just thought I'd be really creative with my name there. Um, anyway, I called to talk to you about my opinions on Deathly Hallows. I have so much to say. I'm just hoping I can squish it all into the two minutes you guys have given me. Um, so I think I just want to start about the things that I was right about. I think everybody and their mom calls Regulus being R.A.B., so I was pretty excited to be right about that. And about Creature being the one to go with him to get the Horcrux. Um, I don't think I anticipated... Uh, the detail in which we would get that story, but I really liked uh, hearing about it, and I was—I really was very, very sad to hear about uh, creature leaving Regulus there on the rocks. It was pretty bad for me. Um, I was right about Harry being a Horcrux. I was right about Snape being on the good side, and I was right about Snape dying. Although I was not expecting him to die quite like that. I mean, to die like that, it was ultimately just so pointless and unimportant. And I think Snape is a greasy git. And I don't like him at all, but. To be honest, he deserved a death a lot better than that. He really deserved a death like Bobby got, and I was really uh, disappointed that he didn't get it. Um, <clears throat> I was also right about Harry surviving, which made me happy. And about shipping, I'm sorry, guys, I've gotten into far too many words about this one not to be excited that I was right. So, you know, Harry hitting around Hermione forever. Woohoo! Um, I was wrong about the Snape Lily ship. I had always refused to hear those theories, just thinking that it was way too over the top. But, um, it was actually okay. Joe made it all right. She handled it very well, so I didn't feel like I was watching corny chick fuck, and that was exciting. Um, I did not expect Molly Weasley to be the one to take out Bella. I was pretty thrilled when she did, but I always thought it would be Neville. Um, but I'm I'm really glad that Molly took her out, because these death theaters just never learn. You do not mess with somebody's mother. It's just not going to end well for you. But I guess they've learned that lesson now. Oh, okay, Julia. It's so much fun to get to hear your voice finally and um, and get to talk to you or or at least get to respond to your comments. Um, I want to talk to you, first of all, of course, about Snape because you know how strongly I feel about him. I don't don't think that he necessarily deserved a, a grander death. I think that, you know... One of the tragedies of war is that we don't always get the deaths that we deserve. I, I hear a lot of complaining about Snape's death, about Remus and Tonks' death, um, about them not being big and dramatic enough. And the fact of it is that it's not always big and dramatic. It's the, it's the unexpected things in war that are more more painful in the end, I think. And um, so, you know, I was never a fan of Snape like you were, but um, I, I was a fan of the way that Joe wrote him. And I think that this... Um, this is one of the best parts of Deathly Hallows, was, was Snape in himself. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit, of course, about Bellatrix and um, 
her death. Of course, nobody called that. We were all rooting for um, Neville, but he he got to live. Um, he got to live up to his Gryffindor um, sorting in, in different ways, and um, I think that they were probably more effective for him. And I was cheering because I've I've always loved Molly Weasley. She's always been one of my favorite characters, and um, I just I felt really really excited that um, she finally got a chance to shine. So uh, moving on, next comment. My question is: If a dog sweats through his tongue, what are his armpits for? What? Uh, I have to listen to that one again. I don't get it. My question is: If a dog sweats through his tongue, what are his armpits if for? What? If a what sweats through his tongue, what are his armpits for? One more time. My question is: If a dog sweats through his tongue, what are his armpits for? Oh, if a dog sweats through his tongue, what are his armpits for? Um. I have no idea. I don't think he has armpits anyway. He has leg pits, doesn't he? And that's it for Potterfic Weekly this week. Um, I'm sad I couldn't make the major episode. I love Deathly Hallows, you guys. I loved hearing about it. I've loved talking about it um, on the forums with you guys. So, um, yeah, I'll see you next week for the end of canon discussion. Bye, everyone. So don't. You ever wonder what will happen when it ends? Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.